dear, we're under attack by about 50,000 soldiers. What do we do? Oh, no! Any chance we could try talking to them? Maybe they'll go away if we ask. No, they didn't respond to anything. I shouted from a megaphone. They just kept marching towards us. Uh, bad news. We can't run away. They've surrounded us and are coming in the back. Well, I guess that means we're gonna fight. The odds are 10,000 to 1. Doesn't sound promising. Wow. That was a lot easier than I expected. I mean, I never knew soldiers died just from falling down. <laughs> Your backlog, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the RPG Backtrack, its continuing mission to explore games from the way back when right up through yesteryear, to seek out forgotten games and neglected classics, to boldly discuss what you have not played before. RPG Backtrack, the longest-running podcast about your favorite RPGs of the past. Get ready for in-depth discussion of plots, characters, gameplay, and more from the staff of RPGamer.com. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Bill Willis and Mike Minky. Yes, the plane has landed into the city of RPG Backtrack. This is number 218. Tell it to the Muso Marines. I am Phil Willis, and this is... The one man who represents many men on the Musu battlefield, Mr. Mike Minky. I feel as if you're selling me a whole bill of goods that I may not be able to live up to, but I'll see what I can do. Woo! You are the voice. I heard you were the voice of many things tonight. I'm very excited to see how many different little things you bring to the table. Uh, I'll see what I can do again. I, I make no promises, but I have found little tidbits of information that added together in the aggregate may be fascinating. Or they may just bore everyone. We'll find out. Mm, speaking of gathering little tidbits of information, we have the FAQ King himself, Mr. Nathan's on the call. I prefer FAQ Emperor myself. Oh, there you go. We have, we have Mr. Matt. Hey there. Anytime we're talking Dragon Quest, I'll be here. And uh, we have uh, the very famous Miss Kelly. Hey, I, I will press the hell out of that X button to win. <laughs> that's, that's what Musa <laughs> games are, right? That's what they're about, and that's what we're talking about tonight. We are talking about Muso games, specifically on our main event. We'll be focusing in on a quartet of uh, games that tie directly into famous RPG IPs. Super exciting, right? As exciting I, as I'm pulling ex- off I'm a excited. Muso attack. 
Um, yeah. And wiping the screen of 50 soldiers at the same time. I'm excited. These are some of my favorite games in the entire world. Uh, and we're going to get into it. we got so much to talk about. So we're going we're gonna to put you on pause for a second. We're put on some music. And we'll be right back after this. This is the main event where we take a game or a series of games and we slice it open like a hundred soldiers dying all at once by my blade. This is take two because we've already done this once for hours and I found the recording is bad. So we're going to give this another shot. And because it is a second take, I'm going to start off with a crispy cold one. Oh, yeah. Woo. I'm out of cold ones. Mm. Are, you, are you using a warm one instead? <laughs> yeah. No, just drinking water, unfortunately. My wife bought the wrong cold ones, and now we have an 18 pack of seven ounce beers. Ooh, I did that... not know they came in seven ounce ones. Oh, welcome to Utah! Like I don't buy anything under eight or nine percent <laughs> here. It's great. Uh, anywho, uh, Dragon or by Muso games. We're talking about Muso, the Muso games <laughs> that tie into uh the what is it the rpg franchises i guess is that our yeah uh, musa game spinoffs it basically you got uh musa into my rpg mm. so that's what we're doing today first first i want to set the stage just in case we have some listeners who doesn't who don't know what a muso game is so if you've heard of dynasty warriors or samurai warriors uh the warriors orochi uh, that is what's like it's, it's a Koei Tecmo that makes these things. Omega Force. Mm-hmm. Wh- which one is it? I don't remember. Good old Koei Tecmo. Yeah. Koei Tecmo. So they've been making these games for years. They started way back off with the what the PlayStation One days. Is it the PlayStation One? I think, I think that's when the first one came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, I think, they really didn't hit their stride until PS Two though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, when they start really cranking around PlayStation Two. Uh, that's when they became these full-blown different... Because I think like the first game was like a fighting game of some sort. Uh, but it really didn't become this Muso experience until like the PlayStation 2 days, I believe. Anywho, um, in, 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 in the Muso experience, you are playing a captain uh, who is leading dozens and hundreds of soldiers uh, against the enemy who has dozens and hundreds of soldiers. Uh, they're all standing on a field waiting for you just to go run up and beat the crap out of them. You'll have a sword or a spear or whatever weapon you have and it's all in it's a 3d type of uh running around you just run up right who, to the who is this jong her i've heard jim sterling talk about so much <laughs> who jong her mm. okay who doesn't ring a bell who her not a clue Mm-mm. so you're... jim sterling is apparently very distraught over what happened to jong her in dynasty warriors 9 <laughs> oh there's a lot of travesties in dynasty warriors 9 don't even get me started with that <laughs> so many travesties uh 
So, but you go, you run forward, and you beat up a bunch of soldiers at once uh, using combinations, usually light attack, a few light attacks followed up by a hard attack, uh, the hard button attack, which will generally be some sort of AoE effect to wipe out lots of soldiers at once. The early games were kind of low frame rate and clunky because it was just trying to do too much at once, but later on, especially with the PlayStation 3 area, where we got more computing power, it was... Yeah, they were able to put more things on a screen and run with smoother frame rates, which made the ex- definitely helped the experience, at least for me. I couldn't get much into the PlayStation 2 games. Um, in along the way, there are captains. Ca- uh, most of the most of those these dozens and hundreds of soldiers just standing right waiting for you to beat the crap out of them. They really don't put up much of a fight at all. But the captains, on the other hand, they'll block. They'll attack you back. And if they're over-leveled above you, uh, can bloody kick your ass. you got to watch out for these captains. Uh, you know, the funny thing is the, the, they'll often be in the middle of a dozen or five other soldiers. Uh, it's not that the soldiers really do a great job protecting the captain. The captain's the one who kicks your ass, not them. But finding the captain or just seeing him in the in the sea of other soldiers, sometimes you just want to clear them all out just so you can see the bloody guy. Um, but there's lieutenants and soldiers throughout the map. Uh, you know, at first blush, a lot of people will, will see these Musou games and will be like, this this just looks kind of boring. Uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of cool. You wipe out some soldiers a whole bunch at once, but once the novelty wears off, what's what's the point? Well, the real meat and potatoes of these games, once you get past, uh, you know, the first easier missions, is you begin to realize there's some strategy involved about where you're at and when you're there. Because there's usually these big maps with lots of forts you got to cover. Each one's got dozens of soldiers in them. And then there's an enemy headquarters. You've got your own headquarters oftentimes in these games you got to protect. And you got to be able to get over there and do your thing. While at the same time, the enemy captains are putting pressure on your captains or, heaven forbid, your base. And if that's your win-loss condition and you're too busy over here having fun killing hundreds of soldiers at once, you can lose the game like that. So you have to run around, be at the right place at the right time. And some of the games, you can actually command some of the other captains on your side where to go and even jump to their feet in the middle of a battle. So there's even more strategies about dividing and conquering and hopping into your lieutenant's bodies, uh, so to speak, by so that you can knock out this bad guy over here, this bad guy over there. Because on the harder maps, there is a lot going on at once. While a hundred soldiers coming at you at once doesn't pose much of a problem, when there's seven enemy commanders coming at you at one time, that can be rough. And when there's 12 enemy commanders each going to different parts of the map causing you heartache, uh, and you can't be everywhere at once, it's Superman's main weakness, right? Superman, Mm -hmm. there's nothing really that can stand up to Superman, but the problem is, even though he's really fast, he really can't be everywhere at once, right? So mm-hmm. that's what you feel like. You feel like Superman, but you can't be anywhere else. And that's where the real challenge can come in. So how well you play the game and how well leveled up your, your heroes are can help you slice through those captains faster so you can get to the next thing quicker. It could oftentimes be the difference between losing or winning uh, a particularly challenging scenario. So that's kind of them in a nutshell. And when you see, uh, when you, uh, Koei Tecmo has taken on a number of licenses over the years or whatever it's called, uh, had some partnerships where they've taken other IPs and and married it with their formula to create some different and new experiences. And that's what we're here. We're here to talk about three of them in particular. Of course, if you just go and look online, you will find everything from Attack on Titan, <laughs> which is these, instead of having hundreds of little soldiers, you got dozens of these really big, huge, ugly titans that eat people, uh, to a Gundam. Uh, go figure that one gigantic tons and tons of gigantic robots for you to go and fight and beat up at the same time uh but but we're here to talk about the ones that uh that that tie into some of our favorite rpg series in particular we're going to be talking about the dragon quest heroes games 
uh, Hyrule Warriors, which ties in with the Legend of Zelda, of course, and Fire Emblem. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna start this off with Dragon Quest Heroes, the World's Tree Woe, and the Blight Below, developed by Omega Force, published by Square Enix. Uh, this was released on the PlayStation Three, the PlayStation Four, Microsoft Windows, and your Nintendo Switch. Originally coming out in North America on October thirteenth, twenty fifteen. This is a single player hacking slash experience. So you know, being that this is a Dragon Quest spinoff. I know there has to be a really, really deep plot here driving this. Isn't this your typical Muso game, which really the Samurai Dynasty Warriors games have very, uh, you know, kind of lighter stories based on the romance of the Three Kingdoms, but there's not a ton of plot there. It's really just an excuse for you to go and fight a bunch of stuff. But I know Dragon Quest does this so much better, right? Well, um, just like all of the early Dragon Quest games had their incredibly involved narratives, right? Especially turns. the first one. <laughs> Loopy loops, you know, all of them. <laughs> the first one where you can see the final castle when you walked out of the first town. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Really quick, on a scale of one to one to nine, ten, eleven, whatever we're up to now, where does this rank on on level of plot here? Is it a Dragon Quest one, a Dragon Quest two experience? What do you think? It's like maybe two or three. S- I wanted to say like maybe SNES era. Oh, but SNES era, you get, well, Dragon Quest VI is a massive plot. Um, but Dragon Quest V, you got generational stuff. That's good plot. Heck, they just released a movie with, it, with that. I don't think you'd get a movie version of uh, Dragon Quest, The World Tree is Well and The Bite Below. Well, Dragon Quest VI was so deep, it was way over my head, Mike. Well, I think clearly, for the for the film version of the of this game, we will have to expand upon the base narrative, right? Well, I will say it had a pretty interesting start to it because the beginning of it, mankind and the monsters are living peacefully. Like there's an opening scene where you see people just walking down the street, and you got the golems over here selling you bricks, and the slimes over here selling you little stuff, and it, humanity and monsters are living peacefully side by side. Um. Castle Town, right under the Yggdrasil tree. All, all is well. All is well. There's little moles living in the mines, digging up stuff for people. Um, but the premise of the game is, uh, at one point, darkness, boom, goes over the land. And all the monsters, their eyes turn red. And suddenly, they're like a monster in every other video game you've ever played. They attack. They attack everybody. Um, and the game is going kingdom by kingdom, area by area, and kind of subduing these hordes of monsters, um, which you eventually find out some dude named Velcro or Velasco or whatever. Um, he's scheming to plunge the world into darkness. You know, big bad guy. You go up, he, he's got to kill the world tree to do it and revive this uh, dark dragon called Shadroth, who's Lord of the Night. Because, you know, you got to have a dark dragon who's the Lord of the Night because a shadow fell across the land. And... Really, that's about it. Your your whole um, premise is, you know, it, it's just an excuse to get together so many of the awesome Dragon Quest characters from uh, many other games. And just play with them and beat the crap out of a lot of little slimes. Um, th- I th- isn't this like the first time that you hear a lot of those characters' voices? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of these are from, uh, let's see, Dragon Quest 4, 5, 6, and 8. That's what the representatives come from. So 8 was voiced, but 4, 5, and 6 never were. So these are the 
first time you ever hear it. And it's interesting because they stick with the uh, regional dialects and accents that Dragon Quest IV introduced when it came over um, on the DS version is where they started really doing different lands with different accents. Yeah, because I was surprised that the people from 4 had uh, kind of Russian accents. Yeah, they, they really played that up in the um, DS remake of Dragon Quest Four about 10 years ago. Um, and actually, the Russian one was like the number one thing that people were really pissed off about. Uh, you went from Princess Alina to, to Sarevna Arena, Alina now. And at least in that first game, it was hard to read some of those lines. You know, it's one thing to hear somebody talking with a fake Russian accent. It's another yeah. thing to be like reading lines and lines and lines and like, what the hell are they saying? <laughs> yeah. I always have to read those accents out loud to be able to replicate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, totally, it was the first yeah, time you heard that. Rough. I appreciated it at the time because at least they were making a distinct effort to have this not just be plain text. Mm-hmm. And it's still not something you see very often because, yeah, when it's written, uh, it requires a bit more effort from the audience. Yeah, you got to put the work into it. Like Kelly said, you got to either read it out loud or you got to be hearing it loud and clear in your head with all the V's and the C's and the Z's and the accent marks. And you're like, what? So, what just happened here? It's definitely not Dragon Quest Old English anymore. So, I also appreciate that the two women from Dragon Quest V, your potential brides, are the Dragon Quest V representation. Yeah, there are are three women in Dragon Quest V now, only in Um, the DS one. And the DS and mobile, they added that third one. But man, they they really don't like to ever call back to Deborah anywhere. Which is a shame. She's an entertaining character. <laughs> oh, very so, much so. Let me let me run down the uh, uh, the the characters real quick. Uh, okay, so so we got Yangus, mm-hmm. Jessica, Terry, yep. Nara, and Bianca, uh, Maya, Carol, Alina, Isla, Doric. Aurora, Lucius, and a surprise guest appearance by Sara. And you or, forgot, you forgot the monster Helix, person. Helix. And Helix. Yeah, Helix. Don't forget Helix. Spoiler alert, his, his crown becomes a big deal at the end of the game. It's all about the crown. With the crown. cutest little British accent you've ever heard on a character. Oh my god. He became, he became like the Dragon Quest Facebook social media, the face of Dragon Quest social media for about three years after this game. And and by all rights, he should. He's adorable. He has that very British orphan charm that you just want to feed him a bowl of oatmeal. Please, sir, may I have more schlub? <laughs> That's pretty much the accent they go for. Yeah, yeah, they play that one up. He's the only monster in the entire game that somehow hasn't been turned into a monster. He's still the helpful guy walking around. And you find out it has something to do with the little crown that his dad gave him a long time ago. But yeah, the the last four characters that uh, Phil mentioned, Lucius and Aurora, Doric and Isla, they're characters that are unique to this game. They are uh, not pulled from other Dragon Quest titles. Lucius and Aurora, you can pick at the beginning to be one or one of these two. You could start off as the male or female protagonist. You're going to play with both of them throughout most of the game anyway. The game focuses on these two. They're captains of the Royal Guard, and I believe they're cousins or brother and sister or something. Somehow related. Yeah, they're somehow related. Doric is the king of the kingdom that is based right there under the Yggdrasil tree. And Isla is an inventor that uh, kind of gets all the plot going. You end up 
like just traveling around the world in a gigantic floating city. Um, there, the fast travels there, but you're really just like, you're always in this gigantic floating city. And I believe like she invented that and mm -hmm. she's a playable character. She uses a boomerang. Doric uses axes. Lucius and Aurora is your sword people. And everyone else kind of uses the stuff that they're kind of known for in the games. Like Alina's fighting with her fists. You can put on claws. Uh, she clips different claws. Carol's got his, um, he was a guard and he's in love with Alina. They're from the same chapter in Dragon Quest Four, And he fights with his big pole arm. Uh, Maya's got, she's the dancer. So I don't think she has the cards. I think that's Man, I think Nina in the next one. Nera got fan. No, Nera has the magic wand. I believe you're okay. right. With Maya's got the fans. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie's a sword user. Bianca uses a bow and arrow. Has my favorite skill in the game. Jessica's got whips. And Yangus has, I believe, clubs. But yeah, kind of the the main weapon that they use in their respective games are what they bring to this one. Um, and yeah, you have the uh, hidden character Zaro who joins late after you beat him. But also it, interesting it, enough, the, the magic using characters also have their sig signature spells. Oh, very much so. Yeah. There's a lot of signature stuff going. Um, they had, you can always build up your gauge, your special attack. And one of the ones that is definitely a series callback is Kirill. When you go to use Kirill's special attack, he just, the whole screen pops up like comic book and you see thwack, 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 and which is an instant kill spell. And it just doesn't work for him. And that's a joke that goes back to the um, 1992 Dragon Warrior 4, the original game, where the AI setting, and I don't know if it was in Japan, but the one in the United States, uh, fans to this day complain about it. Because you had to use AI in the chapter. You couldn't directly control Kiro past a certain point. And he would just cast Thwack on bosses and Thwack on metal slimes. He would cast Thwack repeatedly on enemies that were completely resistant to that ability. And so they took that series joke and brought it back into this game. Phil, we're, we're talking about the AI controls of the original Dragon Quest Four. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, and, and, I had no and, idea that was a callback because I played the DS for. And I tell you, yeah, oh no, no, that was definitely, uh, you know, we were, and I just got through talking about this on another podcast uh, about, you know, my first experience with Dragon Quest Four. I love those initial four chapters where you're playing through their stories, and then you get to chapter five, which is the main meat and potatoes. You get your hero, and then he or she starts recruiting the other characters that you played in the first four chapters. And that original NES version, the biggest disappointment to me was once they joined your party, you no longer had direct control over them like you did in the earlier chapters uh, during combat. They the AI would run them. I think you might have had like some broad strategies, like don't use MP or whatever, but that was about it, and it really really got on my nerves because yeah you, you just didn't always make the smartest decisions the games are already not very tactical or jr turn-based jrpgs especially back in the 80s but dang nabbit let me control my characters they, so. they made some interesting design choices on those early dragon quests suddenly like dragon quest 5 went down to three person parties but you could recruit monsters and had a family of four and you're limited to three and that was bizarre it, nowadays you play the ds versions you're you're good with all that yeah, you yeah. won't know. As Kelly said, you won't even know that there was a joke there about that, Kiro quest, casting Thwack. Cause... That that was like such a big thing for me that when when the DS when they announced the DS version, um, and it's one of my favorite 
you know, JRPGs of all time because of the nostalgia goggles mostly. But but when when it came out on DS, I, the first thing I looked for was to see whether I was going to be able to control my party or not. And it was during <laughs> one of the interviews or uh, editorials on it uh, the, before it came out that said, yes, you're going to be able to control your character. And I said, sold. And I pre-ordered my Dragon Quest four that i ended up buying two more times because of like ds is getting lost. i played yes. that game so it's sad <laughs> uh so so in this i think one of the things you know when you're playing through this there's a couple of elements that make this different than other muso games and that's what a lot of people will, will ask me sometimes they, they 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 when i talked about muso games and they say you know they see there's everything from you know a one-piece pirate <laughs> uh um uh, Muso, you know, to Samurai Warriors, to Warriors Orochi, they're, you know, what, what are what are the differences between between all of these, right? Are they just are they just slapping some dragon uh, quest skins on these characters, and it plays pretty much like Samurai Warriors or Dynasty Warriors? And really, the reason people are buying this is just for the nostalgia, you know, the cool factor of hey, I'm playing uh, Nira and kicking ass. Uh, is that is that all there is to it? And the answer is a resounding no. That is certainly part of the charm in the appeal. But eat what what Koei Tecmo or whoever does is is they will take uh, elements from each one of these franchises and and put those elements into the game. At the end of the day, you're still running around just beating the crap out of everything. Uh, you have a Muso gauge, you, you know, can do a devastating attack and all that, but they layer in other elements in with that. And in Dragon Quest Heroes, what they do is they allow you to control an entire four-person party, at, you know, almost at once. They're all traveling with you. Uh, the, the closest analogy I have in Muso games is Samurai Warriors, or is it, no, I think Warriors Orochi 3, where you get three people at once, and and you only see that one character, but the other two are kind of all with you, and you can swap them out on the fly. But here, it's it's more realized. If it, They try to really make you feel like that feeling you get when you're playing a Dragon Quest game, and you have a party of four characters with different classes and different skills to have to complement you know each other and that's what you kind of get here uh you can jump into Kiro, cast a cast a buffing spell then jump into alina beat the crap out of a few things with your fist then jump into uh you know whoever aurora whoever and cast a couple of spells uh damaging aoe spells and it's just it gives you that feeling of dragon quest just in real time while dealing with dozens of monsters instead of just one or two monsters in front of you it's really really exciting it's fast-paced and it is so much Fun. Yeah, they brought in tons of Dragon Quest stuff for this game. I mean, it, like you said, it's not just a skin. They really kind of go at what makes a Dragon Quest game a Dragon Quest game. I mean, you can go hunt the metal monsters. They, they're like zooming through the field. The first time you see a metal slime or um, one of the liquid metal slimes, you're probably not even getting a shot out on it. Like in the games, it takes off running. And it goes way faster than you can go follow them after. Um, you're collecting mini medals from treasure chests and from beating certain enemies sometimes and trading them in in games. Um, trying to think about they've got Patty's Planning Place, which is a character from Dragon Quest Nine, where you could go in and in Dragon Quest Nine you didn't have a lot of set you didn't really have set characters. You had your hero, and then you just kind of like Dragon Quest Nine, Dragon Quest Three. You made up a party of random. Hey, I'll get a soldier. I'll get a blank slate. Mage, I'll get a blank slate, cleric or something. But there's Patty from Dragon Quest Nine sitting there in your airship city, and it's Patty's planning place where you can decide: Are you taking Yankus or King Doric or um, one of the two bride to bees? And it really gets into that. At certain points, um, 
all of these characters also kind of mention the games that they're coming from and what's going on because they've been magically pulled into this scenario here in this other world where monsters are supposed to be friends. They're not from worlds like that. And all of a sudden they wake up and they're in this world like, hey, how did we get here? But hey, we'll help you fight. We'll join your cause because why not? And Bianca and Nera got snatched from their world the night before the wedding. And they don't even know who's getting married. They're like, well, you know, someone's going to pick one of us tomorrow. So, I mean, they, the characters know their stories. Uh, they make it known what's there. You've got alchemy that a lot of the different um, accessories that you can do to increase your hit rate or your power or this or that. All those accessories come from the Dragon Quest game. And kind of like with a lot of the Dragon Quest alchemy systems, you can get different levels. You can get a better equipment if you do alchemy better. Although this one's more um, based on the ingredients. If you use better ingredients, you can get better ones. Uh, you could make yourself a ruby of protection to increase your defense. Well, you could have a quick ruby of detection, a classic ruby of detection, ruby of deflection. I can't remember the ruby thing. Um, and you could get a luxury one depending on which one you got. And you find recipes, you're given recipes. Um, You can get recipes through the side quest system, which is a lot of times just, hey, there's this monster back in this place that you already went to. Can you go back there and bring it back? Um, And of course, everybody's hanging out in this bar at Patty's planning place. And there in the bar, if you talk to certain characters after, I think you've got to have activated their special attack at least once. There's a random chance anytime that you go up and talk to them that they're going to do a puff puff on you. <laughs> and <laughs> in Dragon Quest, the the theory behind puff puff is a couple big uh, breasts are being rubbed in your face. But the joke in Dragon Quest is that never happens. Like, it's never shown. It's always treated as a joke like you're supposed to kind of know in game that that's what's supposed to happen but yangus walks up and like oh here's 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 a puff puff just close your eyes and then you're hearing like ooh ah yeah and the screen's black and then when you open your eyes again yangus who's like made good friends with helix in this game is like rubbing helix on your cheek and he's like, oh, is it so cool to have, like, a slime rubbed on your cheek? Or, you know, they've done something else. Like, they put makeup on you. You're like, oh, I tried this out on you. How do you look? So it's always a joke, the whole Puff Puff thing. And they do it well. They've even got an in-game accolade called the uh, Puffington Host. Because, um, again, Dragon Quest are known for their puns the past 15 years. So they got a Puffington Host Award for getting a Puff Puff from everybody. Um, all the armor all the weapons that you can buy and collect throughout the game are also just pulled completely from the series um you get your copper sword your zenithian sword your metal king armor uh, all the cool stuff and all the middle mid-gear all the way up there is there as well yeah and and, and there's I, I think one of the uh i can't remember uh, you know because I, I played dragon quest 2 recently but i've had uh, dragon quest heroes 2 recently does this one... I know 2 has a lot of open world. Does this one have a lot of open world too? Remind me. No. No? Was that a yes or no? No, you're, you're, you're going to a certain or area. There are large areas. I mean, they're an area that it might take 10 minutes to walk all the way around, but it's not open world. Dragon Quest Heroes 2, we'll talk about that. That's completely open world. You can walk from, you know, with very little loading time at all from one kingdom to the next to the next to the top of the mountain. Yeah. So, so my recollection of of Dragon Quest uh, Heroes was a lot of fun. It was very exciting. I like Musou games, and I really like the different take on them. It, it was 
it, it was a it was a little bit longer at the story of it uh, the story mode so to speak was was a little bit longer than some experiences uh muso story-based experiences but i i did feel like it didn't have a ton of replayability afterwards like once i got through the story it, it just uh it was it was fun good romp spent i don't know 20 hours give or take on it and i was done um enjoyed it and may go back and do it again sometime but didn't just spend a lot like hundreds of hours with it after we run talk about it. um did y'all feel like there was was there a big post game or something that i just completely missed out on here there was not no there was i mean there were missions that you could do that you didn't have to do to beat the game um but they were always optional i, I ended up doing all but two missions uh there's a fight against i want to say zoma from dragon quest 3 there's a fight against oh, one of the big ones is this upgraded version of atlas the one-eyed mon- tall tall gigantic monsters in the game and you're oh, like yeah. in a yeah that and that was in the demo that they showed at e3 and around pax the year it came out you got to do that battle and not a lot of people could do it you're literally like climbing up the sides of buildings to get to like the third floor just so you were at his eyeball level and could shoot his eye and then jump down and whack on his big toe for a little bit. And he's walking through the town, just smashing building left and right. And if he gets to the target before you can beat him up, uh, you're gone. And almost all of the missions story-wise you'd go through, what it was at certain points, you could go back and do that mission again at a higher level for better reward. But that was it. It was like one, two. You could do the, you know, the silver version that was needed for the story or the gold version. And then, yeah, there were maybe three, four or five boss fights. But yeah, when we start talking about Hyrule Warriors and Fire Emblem Warriors and the extra stuff that they have, Dragon Quest Heroes didn't have it. I mean, I put I put close to 100 hours into this mainly because I wanted to try to 100% it. I wanted to try to platinum it. I did not. Like I ground everybody up to 99 and still Where? couldn't beat Zoma. I know. Yeah, I, know I, I couldn't I, do it. I burned out pretty quickly too. Once I finished the story mode, I was like, "Okay, my thumbs hurt. I'm done with this." It's a lot yeah. of button pressing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I, I and I liked it enough. Like I wanted to see, you know, what was gonna happen next in the story. I wanted to see what new weapon I could unlock. You know, if there was a character still to unlock, I wanted to make sure I got all those. Um, but once I was done, it was it was a done experience. Um, but it, it was definitely worth it, and it it, it it you know it generally goes for pretty cheap, so it's not uh, it's not overpriced, especially nowadays. I, I do I did feel like I got value for it, so I don't want to paint a picture like oh you know it wasn't two hundred hours and therefore it's not a worthy uh, you know experience worth your money. No, not at all. I really really enjoyed my time with it, and totally happy with games that are only 15 or 20 or 25 hours uh but they're fun and that's what this was is a really great you know experience so i wanted to touch on something you said earlier you mentioned it's out for switch it came out for switch as a re-release um it was actually like a launch title for switch in japan they put dragon quest heroes 1 and dragon quest heroes 2 on the same cart um which caused a little bit of problems because it was like 128 gigabyte card or a 64 it was bigger than any other cart that they were making for the switch at launch and really anyone they're making bigger than now so it was a little bit of squeezing to get it on there now there's some hints on a german website it's been listed for about two months now from some german website that a european version is coming which would likely have a north american version too um but 
no Switch copy is out here in North America. Yet. Mm. So, I, I really want this one. Throw them together. Yeah, I, I want this one of the Switch mainly because the other two games we're going to talk about are on the Switch, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to hold my breath. Oh, um, and you know, it, it, it didn't have, um, this game doesn't have co-op mode for couch co-op, um, which we'll talk about Hyrule and Fire Emblem Warriors does, and I mean, as much as I loved this game, I put a hundred hours into this. My son's played it twenty hours. The other one, he's played like thirty or forty hours over the years. But like, I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I'd probably buy it because I'm a Dragon Quest person, and I'd have it just to have it. Oh, but, I'd, man, I'd it... buy the crap out of it again just to have it. Of course, I, I bought the original version of it because it came with a pretty sweet collector's edition. Mm-hmm. Um, the tre- the treasure chest that had the the slime and the lanyard and. Uh, the game itself, and I I had to have the Dragon Quest or the um, Plush Slime just because mm-hmm. I collect it... those. <laughs> oh, I've got I've got one. We uh, there's a group of a bunch of us that uh, take him around the United States and internationally take pictures with him, and he's on Twitty <laughs> as Twitty. He's on Twitter as Westy Blue Slime, um, and he'll just have funny little quotes. But I, I've got one hanging in my room, and yeah, my kids love Westy the Blue Slime. But yeah, I mean, uh, I would love to see this come out. And if it means that I could get a couch co-op of this, because they they had online co-op if you were part of the, uh, if you paid for PSN online and whatever. But yeah, they never had that split screen co-op. That would have been great. You can usually get it uh, for the PlayStation. I usually see it under 20 bucks uh, every once in a while mm-hmm. in the stores. Uh, it's not currently new on Amazon, but there's some used copies for around 20-ish. Uh, Steam's showing it at 40 uh, but uh, if you don't want to pay 40 which I think it's worth 40 but if you don't want to pay 40 uh, just put that Joker on your wish list and uh, just, just wait for the next holiday sale. It'll be down 20 or no problem. Yeah. So we're looking at a game five years old, so it, it's yeah. it's going to go on sale often enough. On sale. So, oh, it it goes on sale all. The time. Mm-hmm. Um, one more thing I wanted to touch on before we moved on to the sequel wasn't that final boss fight just epic as hell in that game? Well, yeah, he turns into a giant. Is it two headed dragon or something? Yeah, he, I mean he's a big black dragon. I can't remember if he's got two heads or not. Um, what's funny is when my youngest son he's six now but i think he was four when he finally learned how to turn on the ps4 and to play a game by himself that's all he did he probably spent 20 hours beating that boss 20 30 40 times because i <laughs> by by this point by the time he was that age two years ago and doing this i got up had all my characters at level 99 so he knew how to go and change characters and just go fight the final boss and i'd come home from work some days and my wife's like oh he's been in there for 20 minutes and i'd walk in and there's the end and the ending again he loved watching the ending everybody getting on the god bird to go back to their own world but yeah that was a that was a really cool boss fight oh yeah the god bird from eight isn't it yep yeah, um she's i believe she's in three two in, yeah in she Pinera. shows up a lot it's in some games she's like in, Pin, in pinera and in, 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 i'm pronouncing it like a mexican tamale almost <laughs> but um she's not an empanada but uh she's ramia r-a-m-i-a ramia in dragon quest 3 and they, they talk about a goddess or a god bird a couple different times it, throughout the series but yeah in eight you're flying around with her and she plays a big part in eight comparatively to the other ones but yeah she's the one who's like i collected all these heroes because i knew you couldn't do it alone and at the end they all step off the cliff onto her wings and they're all waving it 
Lucius and Aurora, Lucas and Aurora, whatever their names are. <laughs> Lucius, Lucius and Aurora as they head back to their own worlds. Oh, yeah, just a fun little game all around. Hmm. Yeah, and like Phil said, I mean, 20, 30 hours. None of these games, if you're going to go through the story mode, are huge time investments. Nope, nope. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's a lot of fun, and I completely recommend it. I, If you're a fan of Dragon Quest, uh, it's a no-brainer. Uh, unless you mm. just completely hate Muso games uh, or the thought of running around and beating the crap out of tons of little happy smelling slimes at once. <laughs> uh, I will say another thing that makes it kind of a little different um, aside uh, from your normal Muso games, aside from the, the team mechanics, is normally in those Muso games as you're running across the fields of, of faceless soldiers... Uh, they really pose no threat. They're just there to clear out and make you feel good along the way. Maybe build up your, your muso meter uh, before you get to the bad guy or clear them out of the way so you can easily see the bad guy because he won't fall over with one or two hits like the rest of them. But in Dragon Quest, uh, there is more of a, a hero. There is a little bit more of a focus on the, the trash mob, so to speak. For one, they're not faceless. They're all really cute, beautiful renditions of the monsters that you've grown to love in the JRPG series. Uh, just beautifully rendered and seeing some of those move in real time in 3d was just a delight and treat as well as of course the main uh but second is they actually will hurt you they will actually you know pose a bit of a challenge to you if you let your guard down and you take too long to figure out what you're going to do uh the little minions actually do bite and some of them will put status effects on you you'll be running around and suddenly your character's sleeping because you were near the characters that typically or the monsters that typically put you to sleep uh in the normal game uh and so that's kind of re refreshing. You got to be a little bit more on your toes in this one, but you have an entire party. So even if that character you were playing just got put to sleep, you just hop into another character real quick and take care of business. We forgot to mention the monster metal system in this game too, where you um, yeah. monsters drop little metals that you can pick up, and you can either uh, use them to summon a whole bunch of little monsters or summon one gigantic one that'll um, run around and hit things for a while. Yeah, this one it was it was just that part, and we'll talk about how that changed in the second one to make it even a little mm -hmm. bit cooler. But yeah, mm -hmm. you'd get those monster metals, and you'd have to earn throughout the game. You'd build up slots like. You might have five slots at the very beginning of the game, so you might get five little skeleton soldiers that'll follow you around. Um, whereas later, you might get up to six, seven, eight, nine, ten slots, and say a golem drops one, and but he might take up three slots because he's a huge mm -hmm. monster and he hits as much as three little skeleton dudes. So yeah, yeah they, they had different they had different um, strengths, and those strengths were basically how big the slot they would take up and how many of them they would and yeah they would just keep fighting for you until they got knocked out i i love that part because it, it kind of reminded me of the monster raising in dragon quest 4 in, in a way i mean you couldn't keep them obviously but it was nice to have have monsters give you a leg up and i mean that's something that dragon quest has their own version of they got the dragon quest monsters games and yeah in five you could recruit lots of different monsters in six, you can recruit. They had a lot of different monsters in the Super Nintendo version of six. When they made it for the DS, they kind of actually cut that thing down and just made slime member, slime family members. But yeah, it's it's something definitely that has been around in the series. Oh yeah, yep. And 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 in certain battles, it it, it added a little bit uh, tactics to it because you might have to defend a point. 
and putting down some of those token monsters near that point could uh, could free you up to go and do a couple of other things or take care of another point because uh, mm-hmm. you knew that they would slow them down a bit. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I like the mechanic. Uh, it, it was definitely uh, made to feel a bit more uh, strategic. So with that, uh, we're going to take a strategic little break and we'll be right back to pick this up with the second game. Hold on tight. Welcome back. We're talking about Dragon Quest Heroes 2, developed by Omega Force, published by Square Enix. This was released on the PlayStation 3, the 4, the PlayStation Vita, Microsoft Windows, and I guess in Japan on the Nintendo Switch. This was originally released in North America on April 25th, 2017. This is an action RPG hack and slash single and multiplayer experience with a deeper plot because Wikipedia gives it. Oh, by the way, I hate to go back for a minute, but since I'm the host, I can do one of the hosts. I can do that. Um, uh, Dragon Quest one, you know, IGN gave it a six out of 10. So, you know, it's not a good game because Dragon Quest only has the best reviews. Right, Mike? Well, let's see here. You're using IGN as your review source, right? Right, right. They gave it a 6.2 out of 10, saying the joy of fighting defenseless creatures in Dragon Quest Heroes only lasts a short while. Well, point two is very important because it establishes the, that we're dealing with scores out of 100, not out of any smaller numbers. Right, and there's a huge difference between a 6.1 and a 6.2. You're right. Is it like a Richter well, scale? Does it go up 10 times every number? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Matt, I'm not sure because IGN doesn't clearly state what its review scores are for. Not like RP Gamers review scores do. <laughs> then again, I seem to recall that almost nothing ever gets below a 1 on IGN. Yeah, 1. I mean, does anything really drop below 6 very often? Uh, that trucking no, game. Happened. Didn't that trucking game? I, I, <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> oh, big rigs over the road racing. <laughs> yeah, didn't that one? I swear that one got like, uh, yeah. So basically, Dragon Quest Heroes better than big rigs over the road. Better than big rigs, uh, totally. Yes, it is. I I think we can all agree. Dragon Quest Heroes Two is superior to big rigs over the road racing. It's way Unless... superior. IGN gave number two a seven point five. I mean, oh. if we're using earthquake stuff here. <laughs> this is like fifteen times better. Oh wow! Than there you Dragon go. Quest Heroes One. I've died and gone to hell. <laughs> well, well, you know, it just came out, so I suppose we should see what IGN's official score for the first part of the the remake is. Then we can really know what it thinks. So, so <laughs> in more reputable sources, Dragon Quest Heroes. <laughs> One uh, review got a four out of five at rpgamer.com by our very own Sam Watcher, who enjoyed the localization and felt it was delightfully fan servicey in every way. And she felt that the combat system was fast and versatile. So, nah, IGN. But I, I just felt the need to share that. Okay. No, seriously, Dragon <laughs> Quest 2. We're really doing Dragon Quest uh, Heroes 2 now. And, and Sam doesn't like uh button mashing stuff too much because uh, i understand that she her her hands don't like having to do that for long periods and i can understand that yeah and these games will definitely do it to you that's for sure i've i've had uh muso cramps on more than one occasion you know that sounds nastier than what it probably <laughs> i meant it to uh anywho Dragon I, Quest... I think you've just diagnosed a heretofore under uh, underserved condition there phil 
where where are the muso cramps suffering individuals of the world and how can we help them no no we're not doing this is no, tunnel syndrome no, or is it no stop it guys stop, we're getting off track on backtrack wait stop it just no put my foot down dragon quest heroes 2 i'm crack okay all right matt well, talk about the saying, story the the story actually is a lot better they they actually like had it set up better this time. Yeah. Um, it takes the story takes place in the land of the seven realms. Uh, there's multiple seven kingdoms, seven areas around here, and a thousand years before the start of the game, there's this huge brutal war, and this great king named Unos stops the war, and there is no war in these seven kingdoms. They all get along peacefully for a thousand years. Um, there's this huge declaration, and it's just. Nothing happens. Nobody goes to battle against each other. Everything is settled. Um, we're good. Well, here we are, a thousand years later. Um, things start to go to hell. And you're going one realm attacks the other, and they find out, like, oops, whoops, we were given bad intel. Sorry we fought you. Because right away, um, again, you could pick a male or female protagonist. You're either Lazarel with his double swords or Teresa. Um, and they have to fight off um, an attack from their actually their friend Prince Caesar lives next door in Indonesia and he comes over and attacks and then you have to fight him off and wait get, he, um, he lives in Indonesia Indonesia D U N I S I A okay I thought it was attempting to be a pun on an actual country which it kind of is yeah i I would find that (laughs) offensive just saying i might know a few people from there so where you work (laughs) so uh there uh you fight off this attack you find out caesar's attacked you on false premises like what we were told that you guys were doing this and blah 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 and you end up with there's actually a group of four again of new characters you've got your main the lazarel and Teresa. prince caesar ends up joining you and Desdemona is my favorite person in the game because she just attacks everything with like these huge axes that are way the hell bigger than her. And she's dressed up most of the time like a Dragon Quest three soldier woman with the uh, not very covering armor. And she's it's strategic, bright red, strategic armor. It's strategic. It Remember, strategic the monsters armor. always aim for the shiny parts. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're gonna kick you in the crotch. That, that's how you fight, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, I mean, especially if you're a little slime going against a human, how are you going to take them out? Go for the knees, go for the crotch. There you go. Um, yeah, the story, the story is good. You go through all seven kingdoms. Everybody's got a little issue, which is pretty much like a Dragon Quest game. Um, they've usually got issues with each other. Eventually you figure out that, um, the whole world is based on twins. All the, all these events are based on twinning things. And the, uh, brother of Unos who, made the great peace of a thousand years. His name is Fractos. And, you know, unity and fractioning things, you, you play on the words here. But hey, guess what he wants to do? Plunge the world into darkness. What? That's never happened before in a Dragon Quest game. Heck, it's never happened before in a Dragon Quest Heroes game. <clears throat> Rewind the tape 30 minutes. But uh, eventually you find out that Lazarel and Teresa aren't cousins like they thought, but they were actually twin siblings separated at birth. It's not very well separated at birth. Um, and they're descended from Uno, so they can join their power together and end this new war. And they're on top of it all. So, it, again, not not a huge deep plot. Uh, I think I may have 
let it out to be more than it is, but it, it's more than the first one where it's like, hey, there's a bad guy. He turned all the monsters bad. Let's stop him. Uh, this one, at least, it's got a little political stuff going on between the nations, and it, I, I would say the it, it deserved IGN's 7.5 compared to the 6.2 of the other one. At least the story, definitely. Duh. Um. <laughs> okay, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> just go ahead Phil. no i just he just uh no those guys uh anywho uh let's uh yeah no the 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 story here is definitely uh deeper and more involved uh what you'd expect from a drag quest game it definitely felt more robust uh and and there's more kind of pushing you uh forward and a lot of those lines, we got uh, a number of characters uh, in this one. We we got mm -hmm. some new and some returning characters. Uh, the 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 ever so memorable uh, Lucius and Aurora uh, from the first game are available in the co-op dungeons, which we'll talk about in a yeah. minute. Yep, yep. They're, they're, that was kind of a neat little surprise because boy, did I grow so attached to those guys in the first game. Um, you got Alita, Kirill, and Maya who come back. Uh, Terry. Uh, Helix, of course, the most important person of all. Come of on, got to have him. Uh, and Jessica, uh, we all remember Jessica. You can't remember, you can't forget Jessica. Uh, Bianca and Nira also come back again in the co-op dungeons only, which I thought was also a great surprise to have those those two back in there. New characters for this game uh, include Lazarel. Anybody uh, remember what game he's from? He He's the main protagonist from this game. Lazarel and Teresa are the new ones for this game. Oh, okay. I about say I was like, uh, yeah, and Teresa, right? Mm -hmm. uh, those are your new ones. Uh, Desdemona. Her and Prince Caesar are also the other two new ones from this game. Okay. Uh, Tornical, which is actually Tulu. Let's be honest. His real name's Tulu, which was super awesome being Dragon Quest Four lover. Love seeing him there. Uh, he's just uh, he's just great. Mina. His entrance into the game when you meet him is funny. He's like running away from the monsters, and he's got his big backpack, and weapons are spilling out everywhere. So. Yeah, yeah. Maya's sister Mina from Dragon Quest Four also joins the roster here, so now you can play the two sisters together. Uh, mm -hmm. That was super super awesome. Uh, Carver, which admittedly I wasn't super excited about carver i'm still not excited about carver nope. uh, no no maribel from yeah. dragon quest <laughs> seven what come on tell me she's not your favorite oh my god she does have oh, a strong personality which i actually remember she does she's is... like the six-year-old with an attitude come on that's uh -huh. totally original never seen it before totally not irritating uh do we have rough not at all yeah rough, he's I'll cool dragon quest seven mm-hmm uh, mm -hmm. one of my favorite, Angelo from a Dragon Quest Eight, uh, and the uh, the healer with an attitude, and Aaron, uh, from Dragon Quest Nine, which I don't re didn't really do a lot of Dragon Quest Nine. So is that she, she she runs the inn because her name is Aaron. Oh, e -R -I, -N -N. I get it. Get yep. it. Was, so is she? Why don't I remember her playing Dragon? Is she like a hidden character or something, or Japanese version it only? I think she she's not a playable character. She's again one of the ones you can go uh, up to okay. and get side quests or something from. Yeah, remember in Dragon Quest Nine, aside from the lead, which was a blank slate that didn't talk, and you could design a whole bunch of things around. Uh, everybody was like Dragon Quest Three. You just hire them and they never say anything. 
Yeah. And according to the notes here, uh, Dragon, uh, along, uh, let's see here. It, it's, it has Ragnar. Was he also in the town somewhere or something? No, he joins, uh, or he's only in the Japan only Switch version. They added him for the Switch version. Oh, Japanese always get all the good stuff. Yep. Uh, but anywho, you get to make your, you get to make a, a pro, you got, uh, it feels like I felt like I had a couple more to choose from here, total character, number characters wise. Uh, and you really get to put together some good parties with these guys. I, I really had a good time, uh, just mixing and matching their skill sets and such. And the side quests, um, ver- the, the way the side quests were handled here, they had a lot of side quests that you had to take certain people into. The first game, it was a lot of the side quests were like, oh, no, a mole took some of our potatoes. Can you go kill 100 moles? That'll get revenge for our potatoes. Um, whereas this one was more specifically, it, it, they had a little bit more story to them. And it was like, you'll need to take the sisters with you to go handle this threat. So it, it had a little more pushing you to change your party up if you were going to do any sort of side quest stuff. So, yeah, so this one, I think one of the big, so they they took a lot of what was fun in Dragon Quest Heroes 1, and and in my opinion, made a more fleshed out experience. Like, this is is a more robust experience. You definitely, I think you still want to play one to get that. I I played them, I would play them in order. Their stories Mm -hmm. don't directly really super tie in together, I don't think, but not that it really matters. I don't really care. Honestly, I didn't play this one for the story. I don't play these for the story, but... Even if they did, no, it, it, you definitely want to do the first one first because this one makes a number of improvements, and you don't want to go back and try to play the first one after you play the better, the better game. That's just that never is a good feeling. But uh, one of the really cool things about this, so you know, Mike, we were talking earlier about how uh, uh, Dynasty Warriors Nine is a hot steaming pile of dog dung. Might be my stepped away. So Mike and I were having a conversation. It, it, oh, there he is. I do I do seem to remember that. I don't see how it connects here, though, because Dynasty Warriors 9 has no connection to the Musou games we're talking about, right? Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> you begin to wonder. Uh, so, boys and girls, uh, a little plug for, for Mike. Uh, how do you say that? Mike and I's? How do you say that? R? 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 Yeah, R. That's the R. English word. R. O-U-R. R. R. Uh, we, we it's got, not even talk like a pirate day. What is this? We're going to do a little bit of a plug here. Like it might said, be we, for the people that are listening on talk like a pirate day. We don't even get paid to plug. This. We don't even get paid to plug Jim Sterling, do we, Mike? No. And yet we we just can't help ourselves. So Jim Sterling has a, before. no has a has a video on Dynasty Warriors Nine and what a burning pile of poo poo is. Yes, more than one. Yeah. Oh my. Pull pull any of them up, boys and girls. But uh, find out how Koei Tecmo has taken a beloved series that I personally adore and has managed to completely ruin it in a in an attempt to what broaden its appeal by making it an open world experience with more crafting. Uh, and failing yes. miserably. The, the open world is very important. I feel because you, the, what you've talked about so far, being able to bow, to mow down dozens of soldiers at once, that's obviously too claustrophobic. You need to have expansive environments where you just wander for a while without really seeing anything, and maybe a couple of soldiers come by and you get to squish them, and then oh look, there's the commander I need to kill. Kill the commander. Mission's over. Doesn't that sound like a better structure? 
Oh, oh, it totally does. Especially what's even more exciting is when you got to go and hunt down a wolf or three that are completely bugged and getting stuck in different for uh, different uh, parts of the geometry of the world. And you got to shoot it like 10 times, one arrow at a time, just so you get a piece of fur. And sometimes it doesn't drop and you feel like you're playing a really slow MMO instead of a Dynasty Warrior kill the crap out of hundreds of soldiers at once. Again, though, Phil, it's open world. That's very, very important because everyone wants open world games. Right. Everyone. Now, what's really interesting here, and we, 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 you know, we talk about this. We'll talk about this later on. I think with some of the other games as well. Is is having played the just about every modern dynasty and samurai warriors game and stuff like that. Uh, except for nine, because I saw, I saw Sterling's video. I'm like, yep, nope, not doing it. But uh, it's funny that that in doing these IP, these other IPs for other companies, they do some of these things better for other people than they do with their own intellectual property. So in Dynasty or in, in Dragon Quest Heroes Two, you have kind of an open world experience going on. You go, you got these big maps that you work your way through going from place to place and they connect together. Uh, but, but as you're going through and you, let's say you want to do some grinding, you want to go do a, 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 you know, some fighting or trying to find some random treasure or some drops off of monsters, you will go out into the appropriate areas and work your way there fighting through monsters. And, and it doesn't have that mission design structure that you had in most of the dynasty warriors games or fire emblem heroes or warriors or whatever it's, uh, it, it, you know, or high reward. Uh, it is, there's a lot of open world that, don't get me wrong there are quests there are you know maps you'll do with objectives like you would in any dynasty warriors games go forth and have fun but a lot of the game too is just this open world experience as well and you can go back and explore these areas when you've completed them uh go back and just you know and find rare monsters and find treasure chest uh try to find some some areas that maybe you didn't run across during the main story mission and it does it all better than uh dynasty warriors nine by far and that's that was like what 10 years earlier five years earlier something like that five years five years earlier that that's insane <laughs> now now for me personally oh, I, yeah. I, I don't know how you feel matt but for me personally i still i wasn't a fan of the whole open world thing once i had gone through the story i hit the bbeg at the end he kicked me off he kicked it really hard and I know, being a Dragon Quest game and a Musou game, I could go back and, and grind. Now, in your typical, you know, Musou experience, you can go back and play old missions over and over again at, like, harder difficulty letter levels. That will not only net you some XP and some gold, but allow you to farm up some more rare weapons. So you can go back and take care of that boss. Uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about Hyrule Warriors, you know, and, and Fire Emblem uh, Warriors that also has some robust in-game experiences that you don't have to beat the story in order to start exploring those and getting, you know, more XP, more gold, and all this other jazz, so you can go back and complete a story if you're struggling with it. But but here, correct me if I'm wrong, it just seemed like, well, if you want to grind, there's the open world to have at it. And, and that, for me, was kind of a bit of a, of a disconnect. That, that So I didn't feel compelled. Uh, it was a bit of a disconnect. And then I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of done here. I've kind of seen almost everything. I didn't quite get through the ending. But I don't have a big desire just to rub around and beat random groups of mobs hoping that I get it. Because the gold, the gold grind for better weapons is real. Uh, it's really tough. Very much so. Yeah. Every, single, every person has their own unique weapon. There's like 16 types of weapons. 
You just can't go buy a sword and give it to Angelo and then turn it around later and give it to Teresa or somebody. It doesn't work. Like, Teresa only uses, like, short swords, and he only uses these swords, and Lucius has only got double swords, and... And they aren't a cheap so, date. The no, higher-end ones not. are not cheap. Like, I've been playing oh. for hours, like 40 hours, and, 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 and for what, I'm only level 40 after playing 40 hours at a Muso game. That's something else. And then number two, like, I've only got enough gold to get most of my main characters up to, let's say, the third best weapon. Maybe one or two of them can have the second best weapon. No one can afford the best weapon, and I'm certainly not buying anything for the other the other characters. So that kind of also discourages me from mixing and matching a whole lot. That definitely it did for me, like, too. Okay, cool, because I thought maybe I was just me, because that was definitely a, uh, a bit of a disappointment compared to other types of Muso games where they're either weapons are interchangeable or or in some of the games where they all have unique weapons, they're just falling. The, the weapons are dropping like flies anyways, and gold is pouring from the heavens. Um, so, eh. No, this was def- I, the way I played this, I played with all four new characters because I played with I played with everybody from the first game. So like uh-huh. the new ones, Car- Car- like we said, Carver, eh, whatever. Yep. Maribel, I didn't really need to hear from her um, the whole what? time. Hear her, but, but she's I smart. Yeah. She's got she. She just wants to. She just wants to express her opinion. And maybe her rear end is smart. She's definitely a smart ass. But oh, yeah, snap. Oh. snap apple! <laughs> but I mean, like I had to loon in and out a couple times, and Angelo, but and I'd try out Mina, and I'd played with Maya plenty the first game, but I, I wasn't as compelled because yeah, it was so hard, and the armor orbs. I mean, this is how I remember how hard it was because by the time this game came along, my son had been playing a little bit and loving the fact that I'd cranked out to level 99 on the other one. So he kept wanting to play and he kept wanting to pick certain characters. And I'm like, okay, if you want to do that, give me like three minutes to change all their armor in and out because I can't keep these four people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because you could swap out the armor spheres. You just couldn't swap out their weapon. Yeah, and like accessories were really hard. All the accessories, again, you had to craft... Um, it was a little interesting this time, like, you could take an accessory and craft it down this, like, 15 level, you could keep making it better, like, you, you didn't have three levels right away, like, you'd make that ruby of protection, but then, hey, if you got a couple of these wings, you could make that ruby of protection plus one, it, so it would add more defense, and then, hey, maybe it would have a longer area of effect or bigger area of effect for this if you gave it a couple chimera wings on the next one, so you could take these accessories and really build them up through, like, a uh, 50, I, think, I want to say it was 15 times you could build them up. Maybe it was 10 or so. But either way, you're not doing that for, and I can't remember if they could all wear one or two, but you've got like 15 people here. You're not going to be taking 15 accessories and continually improving 15 accessories on top of buying 15 orbs for your defense and 15 different weapons. It, it did limit what you wanted to be able to do without a boatload of grinding to mix and match your party at certain times. Yeah, and and to be clear, like I personally like you can't not saying you can't enjoy Muso games if you don't enjoy grinding, but generally speaking, Muso games and grinding are kind of synonymous, especially if you're into the post game or getting through the harder modes or whatever the deal may be. There's nothing wrong if you buy a Muso game for 10 bucks and you just play through story mode, and that's what I do with Dragon Quest Heroes the first game. And for me, that was completely worth it. So don't get me wrong. Hmm. 
But but those of us who really love Muso will also tell you it, it really is about the end game and the end game systems. And, and grinding is part is always part of the formula. Uh, there's a reason why people put hundreds and occasionally a thousand hours into some of these games. But but this one just doesn't feel like a compelling experience. It really does feel more like like a like a grind. Like the older our MMOs were, you know, open world MMOs like earlier World of Warcraft, where your idea of leveling up and grinding up gold was going and spawning monster camps. You know, mm. and and trying to find those rare spawns. Uh, that's still kind of a thing in New Wild, but nowadays you've got all kinds of different ways to to do your end game fun stuff. And, and in other Muso games, we'll talk about a couple of good examples. Just felt like here was kind of missed the boat, but but that's his minor point because it, the journey was completely and totally fun and, and worth it. And 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 I, I think that last guy is tough. And I've heard, you know, obviously people beat him all the time. You go out and do. I don't think you need to do that much grinding in order to be able to beat him uh, and finish up that story properly. And then mm. and, and and be and and have a really great experience from that. And that, that that that's fine. Or be like me and just watch the ending on YouTube when you get there. And yeah, I mean, th- there were definitely better. Kelly and I got into it in the last one. She was mentioning those monster coins right at the end um, that drop, and you can have a monster you know, hanging out next to you. They expanded upon that for this game. You get coins, but depending on the type of monsters, they could be one of three different types. Some of them would patrol or follow you around, just like the first game. But there would be other ones that you could just turn into for a set, you know, 15, 30 seconds or whatever. You could turn into a saber cat and just go tear, tear, tear at enemies. You could turn into a golem um, and just like take your double fist and smash like you were the Incredible Hulk or something. Um, and some of them, like, there'd be the rock bombs. The rock bombs would just come and cast what they normally cast in the Dragon Quest game. They'd cast Sacrifice. So you would find their metal and you'd activate their metal and they would just appear in front of you, cast Sacrifice, and boom! It'd be like casting the best area of effect spell in the game. And it was just one-shot stuff or... They had ones that would come in and you'd use them and it would work like a heal spell. Everybody's hit points went up to max. So the monster coins were not just for like temporary little party members. They were used in different ways at different times. And what helped a little bit with a bit of a grind, at least for mini metals, is, and I didn't even mention this in the first game, there's a, in both games, there's a place where you can get mini metals for what they call monster suppression. Once you've killed a hundred slimes, you'll get a medal. Two hundred slimes, you'll get a medal. And three hundred slimes, you'll get a medal. Well, in the first game, all the blocks were at 100, 200, 300, 400, 500. Even for like boss monsters and metal slimes and king metal slimes. So, you know, maybe I took down like three or four metal slimes during the whole game, as you most Dragon Quest games, unless you really set out to hunt them, then maybe you'll get 10. But uh, you, you would never get that accolade or anything for. You're looking at some of these monsters like, I've never even encountered a hundred of them in the game, let alone had a chance to kill that. They they fixed this for the second one so that basically those numbers weren't static. They definitely scaled. For I looked up the hardest one on there um, in preparation for this. And like King Metal Slimes, you got the first accolade for beating one. You got the second accolade for beating two. And the third at three, the fourth at four, and like the fifth one was at ten. So they, they, they were like, okay, there's some of these monsters that you're not going to be able to do kill that many with and so you could get a lot more mini medals in this game which was pretty fun because the guy that you brought the mini medals to in this game was one of those uh platy the platypus duck guys and he was all gangster he had a huge mini medal on a big gold chain and he's like hey what do you want 
And um, something else they added to this game is you, your two main protagonists could have jobs. You, you could be set them as a cleric or a mage or uh, just a fighter warrior. And you could unlock later on if they've gotten them up to both level 15 and maybe both the soldier and the fighter where you could unlock gladiator an advanced class. And I, I really only think there were five or six classes total, but it added a little something that I was excited because my first um, game, my go-to attack was the bow attack reign of pain. I would just stand back with Bianca and just start shooting rains of arrows from afar. And then, you know, you do that for a few times, she runs out of MP, you switch to a person fighting in the middle of it and just go crazy with that. Like you said, um, you could just keep doing that. There, let's see what else. The class changes, the questers. Yeah, like rest. the weapons. The weapons could also level up. Like you earn experience with the weapon mm-hmm. and would be able to unlock skills, right? Correct. Yeah, you could um, do things to get better skills with weapons. And then a, a lot of these games, you know, this one doesn't have DLC, but a lot of games like these, the DLC is to have cooler looking weapons or cooler outfits. Um, they let you do like this too. You could. It wasn't DLC, but it was in there. You could unlock it. And once you like got a cool sword, like the, Zunith- the Zenithian sword or whatever, well, there were still better ones to get in the game. But you know what? If you wanted to look like you still had the Zenithian sword, even though you moved on to something better, or if you, God forbid, you don't want to look like you're carrying a little crappy copper sword around, and you wanted to look like the Zenithian sword, you could kind of play dress up. I had my two main protagonists looking like the ones from the first game. They had outfits for them that you could get. Um that and you had mentioned that there was online competitive cooperative dungeons where you could team up from people that were all in the previous game everybody was there so you know when you went through those you had the cast from both games yeah i I did 20 some people didn't remember finding too many people when i did searches on there there was oh that was and i and i never had the ps online so i never did any of the online i did those missions but i always did them solo yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, so I did them solo. Uh, they could be a little tough. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Defend this point with monsters coming in four different directions at the same time. Good luck, bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. But uh, it it was yeah. It's just it's just it's just a it's a ton of fun. And there's not another you know move. I mean, they're all they're all different formulas. But there's not this just mm-hmm. another one that really captures the essence of playing a full RPG party the way this does. Uh, there are other games like we'll talk about Fire Emblem and stuff like that where you all you know you have various people going out on the map at the same time, kind of working together. But here they're really working together like this tight woven team. They're constantly together. You're all you're only playing from one point on the map. And in that way, it's less. It tends to be less strategic than your other Muso games, where it's oftentimes about uh, paying attention to multiple control points on the map that are going on at the same time, and sometimes sending people over here to deal with that issue, especially in Fire Emblem. But uh, here, it really is. You, you know, you are just this this one party that is very closely, physically in proximity to to each other. And uh, constantly getting each other's back and, and buffing each other, healing each other. Healing's a big, big thing in this one, uh, unlike other Musou games, because you have clerics uh, mm-hmm. and heroes who can cast healing spells. And holy boy, did those save you on a number of occasions. If if a, if a person falls, you got some a, a drizzle leaves or whatever mm-hmm. that you can use to, to revive them, just like you could in the RPG. Uh, and it saves your bacon for big boss fights. So there's a lot of cool stuff that's going on here that really ties in so well with the RPG series 
If you just enjoyed the Musou games, you're going to get a really unique experience here that I think you're going to enjoy, even if you're not a Dragon Quest fan. If you're a Dragon Quest fan, you're going to get uh, you're going to get a really cool adventure with all your favorite characters. That's a different, obviously a different flavor than your typical uh, JRPG deal. But nonetheless, it's just a ton of fun and really well executed enough to where even if you're not a Musou fan, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, it's just fun and that's not even talking about how the 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 graphics look pretty good i mean the backgrounds and stuff on these muso games aren't great let's be honest but the character designs the characters are really well animated the monsters are really well animated uh and the musical score man you got all your favorite dry not maybe not every single one but you got a lot of your dragon quest tunes there uh playing in the background totally feels like a dragon quest game all the sound effects are pretty much there the leveling up totally it, it's it's mm-hmm. there and in full force and boy for those of you who like the series man the feels are real it can definitely be enjoyed by anybody who's just enjoying the muso but yeah like we said before with the first one they really know the property and, and i think it really goes in with the other ones we're going to talk about too they really get to know the property that they're making these out of and they do a good job with that yeah totally totally yeah totally can't be stressed i mean they just they really really do a great job of that it's not just slapping a skin on uh it it is it is it is yeah you really get the feeling that they really like the series themselves uh Mm. in all of these games it's just it's just really well done just really really excellent seeing some of those characters in full 3d uh, pulling off their big moves. Oh my gosh! I I don't even remember if this happened in the first one, but definitely in the second one. Uh, uh, fan lady Mila Mina, whatever I can't mm-hmm. remember her name. Whichever one she, uh, when she pulls off her ultimate Muso ending finisher and turns into the dragon. The first time oh, yeah. I saw that, I was laughing my ass off. I mean, back in Dragon Quest Four, there was a spell you could cast to turn into a dragon. You lose control of her, so it wasn't <laughs> something I did very often. Uh, but it could, you know, at the right time, it, you know, it could really be a, a game changer in a particular battles or two. But because uh, because you lose control and you, uh, well, uh, not that you had control those characters, anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just not something you put it. I just didn't use her a whole lot because of that. But but seeing her like I, I had to think about it for a second when she turned into a big dragon and pulling off her moose. So I'm like, why does she turn into a big dragon? Oh my good! And the thing is, in in the in the original Dra- Dragon Quest game, Dragon Quest Four, you don't actually see her as a dragon, right? It's all yeah, text on no. the screen. Yeah. And it's just like Mila turns into a dragon. She breathes, does twenty points, thirty points, whatever. That was it. To see this in a Muso game that's so well animated and drawn, uh, where she turns into this big, huge dragon that just towers over the enemies, and she opens up a can of whoop ass on them, is is just oh my gosh! You talk about the feels. It's just that, really, really great. And the first game when you get to recruit Sorrow. Um, he's the final boss for Dragon Quest IV. And he's human, and he's got long white hair and wears all black and is fighting with a sword. But when you activate his Musou attack, he turns into the warped version that you have to fight like five different um, changes as as he evolves in Dragon Quest IV. And yeah, my son's like, oh my gosh, Daddy, it's that big guy with the five eyeballs. Because... The epic final battle of Dragon Quest Four. he just keeps evolving. Starts off as this little toad-looking thing with eyeballs, and then he grows another eyeball on top, and another pair of arms, and then a third one with an eye on top. And that in 3D was awesome in the first game, seeing his transformation. So, yeah, they've got these characters that your NES and even on the DS, you never really see that happen. 
just like, hey, this is what happened. Yeah, yeah. But here you're you're seeing it. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's amazing. If you're a fan of the series, you're just gonna love it. And again, even if you're not, uh, it's just it's a different experience than your Samurai or Dynasty Warriors games. And and I think if you're not a fan, you you probably just wait for it to go on sale. Experience the story once, and I think you'll have a good time. If you are a fan completely worth the full price purchase that's what i purchased at totally don't regret it uh you can you know there is uh there is uh on, on steam they love to sell this for 60 dollars uh you know being that it's i don't know three four five years old by now uh, i probably wouldn't wouldn't pay that nowadays i'd stick it on the wish list and grab it on sale it is worth it but you know it's uh, it probably uh at this at this age uh, Dragon Quest uh, Heroes 2 on the PlayStation 4, however, which is what I paid full price for, is $12.41. Brand new from Amazon. <laughs> so I would highly recommend... Are you recommend, sure you can afford that, Phil? <laughs> you know what? I just got my uh, stimulus doodad, uh, so I think I can afford it. Uh, I think a lot of people could afford it right now. So uh, Dragon Quest Heroes 2, uh, yeah, definitely got that on PlayStation. I know also on the PC versions of these guys, by the way, uh, there has been some complaints of some bug issues here and there. I wouldn't say they're consistent, but I, I did notice that the reviews on Steam are mixed, and that's not usual for a game to like that's this good. But some of it is criticisms because people don't some some people are just stupid. Um, I'm sorry if your opinion doesn't agree with mine, you're stupid. No, I'm just <laughs> um, and uh, some of them looks like it's bugs. Phil is now running for office. He, his campaign theme is you're stupid if you don't agree with me. Well, here's like here's like one of the reviews. Uh, first time I made a, a refund request on Steam. The co-op multiplayer is extremely limited, only available for boss fights. You've already completed single player, so this is a deal breaker for me. Well, number one, you don't really play Muso games for the multiplayer experience. I mean, I'm not judging if you do, but there's a number of reasons why Muso games don't really lend themselves to most excellent multiplayer experiences. Number two, there is some co-op and multiplayer here. We I guess we talk about that just a tiny bit more, but but it um, but but you didn't even talk about that. It isn't just the bosses and stuff. There's actually like horde mode type of deals in the multiplayer when you talk to the lady at the end. So maybe you should play the game a little bit further before you give it a thumbs down and say it sucks. Just going to put that out there. <laughs> no, Phil. You can make that decision after 15 minutes. I, I guess you can. What is interesting is Sam dropped this a whole point. She gave Dragon Quest Heroes 1 a 4. She gave 2 a 3. Wow. Yeah. Uh, she, 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 she says there's too much padding, it's repetitive, and the story plods along. So I, I don't know how you feel about that, Matt. I think you played it more recently than I did. Because, I mean, I went back and played some for this podcast, but I was playing my, my game that was already pretty much finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't, I don't remember the story plotting and the padding. How do you feel about that? I, I didn't find that in this one. I mean, I, I want to say it's a 20 to 30 hour experience again. And, I don't know, the world's open, so you spend, a lot of that time is going from place to place. I mean, after a while, you start opening up the Zoom points, but, I mean, there's a lot of world to explore, whereas, you know, Dragon Quest Heroes 1, there's 10 zones, and you explore the 10 zones, and you go back to those whatever. I found that one much more repetitive than this one. At least here, you were walking between stuff, and you could dip over here and find a cool cave, and over here, go up to the mountaintop that you didn't necessarily have to, but you could go up there, and Thamatsu did it better. They gave it a 39 out of 4. Yes, out of all four of these games, I have these written down. Thamatsu gave this one the highest out of the games we'll talk about today. 
Uh, there, uh, so <laughs> it's a Metacritic score is about the same for both of these, but that's why I'm not a fan of these scoring systems. At the end of the day, I think you should listen to people that that you resonate with, reviewers that you resonate with, and and everyone knows uh, that uh, that I'm right on everything. So you should listen to me. Dragon Quest Heroes 2 is definitely a fun game and a, and a better experience than the first game. And play them in order. They're both fun. It says, um, but I think if you go from 2 back to 1, I don't think you're going to go back to 1 and go, boy, that was a much better experience than 2. I could see why certain people give it a higher... No. Yeah, I, you'll, I, you, I could be wrong. You're right. I don't, see that. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think you would see the played 1 and 2. You'd probably say, hey, look at all the things that improved. Yeah. It's just, it's just a lot of and fun. If you went backwards, you'd be like, "Wait a minute, why am I? Why can't I do this?" Why I'll also I say one thing I forgot to mention, uh, and, and I thought about this today because I, I played a, a little bit today again, getting ready for the cast. It was uh, in the combat system. Uh, it, it was it is more actiony than your than your other moves. I mean, they're all action games, but this one has a jump and a dodge button. And, and, and yeah, you think about that for a second. They uh, a lot of them have some sort of dodge button, but a jump button, and it feels like the dodge is is better implemented here. It feels smoother. It feels like there's more invincibility frames. Like it's a more important part of the battle. You do get hit and get hot, hit hard here. Whereas in other Muso games, while there may or may not be a dodge button, uh, even when it's there. It, it, it certainly is anything but a get out of jail free card. It, it, they're dodging in a lot of Muso games. It's really just can you get out of the zone where the attack's about to hit you? It's not really a button that gives you some invincibility stuff to work with. I just felt like it was. It definitely made it feel more like a, an actiony, not really up to level of Devil May Cry, but you you know a push in that direction. Mm. At least that's the way it seemed to me. Uh, anywho, go out and grab your copy today while you're doing that. We're going to take another break. That's been 43 minutes, so we want to make sure I save that. Of course, it'll be less than 40. Compress it, but uh, hold on tight. Listen to some more cool uh, Muso music. have a return and and we were we were debating whether to do hyrule uh warriors or fire emblem warriors next technically of course hyrule warriors came out first originally uh with the with the wii version uh and then we got a fire emblem warriors i think nintendo switch and a 3ds afterwards but then we got hyrule warriors definitive edition you know on the switch and ultimately, because I know we talk about fire or we talk about Hyrule Warriors, we're really going to be leaning more on the Switch version. Uh, that's what most of us have put the most time into. So I've decided we'll go ahead and do Fire Emblem Warriors first, uh, since it is the older experience of what we're really experiencing when we talk about experiences. 
So let's experience Fire Emblem Warriors together. Fire Emblem Warriors is developed by Omega Force Team Ninja, published by Nintendo. Uh, this was released on the Nintendo 3DS and the Nintendo Switch, October 20th, 2017. A single-player hack-and-slash RPG. It actually does have multiplayer. I feel like Wikipedia somehow missed that tag. Uh, it definitely, definitely has it. Uh, but anywho, uh, Fire Emblem... Uh, warriors so in 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 you you know what i'm really not great about talking about the the plot and we want to start with the plot do you want to talk about the plot or do you want me to wing it oh oh boy you know you start off as a deep brother and sister again oh royal twins royal twin let me tell you something boys and girls The well, thing once about, you got an idea, you go with it. You just, I tell you what, Koei, Koei Tecmo, man, no one's ever accused him of story, creativity, and originality. Uh, boy, we're just going to beat this this idea. And and these are, I'm sorry, I have to interject. I'm sorry, I got a rant here. These are some of the most carbon copy, JRPG tropey characters in existence. I just, <laughs> especially the boy. I just want to slit. I'm a hero and I'm going to save the world with my spiky hair and my sword. Stop me if you've heard this before, right? Wait a minute. But he can do it together. Oh my gosh. They all the, work together. The power of love and friendship saves everything. Yes. Oh my everything. goodness gracious. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You were trying to tell a story. I could go on. I'm going to let you tell well, your story. I, just... I, there's not much of a story that. I mean, I just finished this up. Like, actually. In the past month, I've finished this up, but I, I couldn't even tell you how much it is. So these twins, they're with their mom. They're walking through, for some reason, they're just walking underground through this thing. They hear of an attack. They get separated from mom. They think she's buried, but she gives them this, um, I can't remember, some shield of flames. And they're realizing that, oh my gosh, all the kingdoms that were around here are fighting each other. But wait a minute. Who are those people? Why is there an army of these people here? We don't even know who you are. You're not from around here. Well, all these armies and heroes from different Fire Emblem games, again, stop me if you've heard this, are brought together for, you know, reasons and reasons that are probably never quite explained. And you're working with your best friend, Darius, Darius. um, And they're like, hey, Darius, you know, your father's attacking all these different lands and all these weird other to say races or tribes but it's not it's other countries are suddenly appearing in the middle of nowhere and for some reason you feel that somebody tells you that hey you got this little short of flames you need to find five special heroes that will light up each gemstone on this sword of flames and you know you're going mission to mission it's pretty linear um going in and it's quite literally linear because there's a line taking you from spot to spot to spot um through the plot and i Gosh, there's only, what, 17, 20 of these missions, um, and each have an hour time limit. And I, I felt they, they, they took quite a bit for this, but you end up getting to the point where Darius confronts his father, um, and his father's like, yeah, I'm going to kill some of you guys because you all have royal blood, and now that you've got the uh, flame shield together, like all you got to do is kill someone with royal blood, and I can revive Vezalark, who will help me rule the world and Darius gets possessed ends up killing his dad this was an interesting scene he's like hey dad guess what i don't need to kill them you have royal blood stabs dad gets the royal blood revives Vezilark, Vezilark, um who you end up beating and whatever it, it beat the 
evil tribe. Hey, what are these other people doing here? I bet they'll join us along the way and help beat the evil king in the world that's trying to get too much power. And with love and friendship and the bonds that they have forged along the way. Oh, just stop it. Just stop it, okay? Just, just. I was waiting for you to break in. I was was trying to. Just, I can't do it anymore. Wait, I just can't. Wait, wait Matt. Can't. Were you trying to say that friendship and love were going to save the day? Of course they are. Okay. Hell, I, this is a JRPG. Come on. I wanted to make sure. I haven't heard that more than about 50 to 500,000 times. So I I just wanted to have it be on the books. You, you never know. It could have been hate and strife saved the world. Wait, that that doesn't well, happen very often, and I wish more games would do it because that would be interesting. <laughs> you know what's interesting? Because right now the only thing to save the world is to stay apart from people and not be with your friends. I Oh, I am telling you what, boys and girls. My hatred of humanity that has manifested itself as self-isolation since I was like, you know, seven years old. Uh, it has been the driving force to me becoming such a big time long term RP gamer. Uh, is really saving the world right now. It is the power of hatred and loneliness <laughs> that is saving the world. In spite, yeah. No, I can't do so, this anymore, Matt. No, this, no, no, stop it. No, this story. It was, it was a very interesting time in the world's history for me to play this game and realize that oh, friendship and togetherness. Darn it, that's what we're supposed to be doing here. You know, it, it is it is super awful. So so, so I don't so you're not saying that anybody should go play this right now or else they might feel horribly distraught at the underlying <laughs> message of the game being unachievable in the present circumstances. <sighs> Depending upon when you listen to this, of course. By if you listen to this far in the future, then the coronavirus will be long past and we can all look back and laugh. We can't uh, right well, now. <laughs> no. But don't worry, don't worry. People should go out and get this because, you know, we're going by IGN scores, of course. And we've taken that jump from a 6.2 with our first Dragon Quest Heroes to a 7.5. You know, IGN it gave this one an 8. So, you know, we're like another factor of 5 better Whoa. here. We're taking our uh, IGN Richter scale. Rick. Yep, yep. Of course, I haven't gone to the real earth-shaking ones, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. Does IGN ever give a really good score to a Musou game? I don't think I want to know the answer to that. They probably <laughs> gave Dynasty Warriors 9 somewhere like an 8.5. <laughs> oh, oh, wait till you hear what Hyrule Warriors is later. You'll love that one. Let's just say that this was IGN fully believed by far. This is the best game we're talking about tonight. Well, don't, Phil... Don't you, Phil? <laughs> Ouch. Phil does Phil does bow to the wisdom of IGN at every possible moment. So his stance has immediately changed upon hearing that news. Right, Phil? <laughs> so so wait wait let me go try the story the story. Okay, understand. So if you if you're familiar with 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 Dynasty Warriors, there's Dynasty Warriors and Samurai Warriors. And for those of you who don't know. Dynasty Warriors are is the Koei Tecmo's longest running franchise. It's up to nine, but we don't talk about nine, so it's really eight. Uh, there's eight games in the series uh, that's, that start with the PlayStation 1. It's been running all the way through the PlayStation 4 era, still coming out kind of to this day. And it tells it, it keeps telling stories from the Chinese era, the Three Kingdoms era, 
uh, of the romance of the three kingdoms book uh you know from 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 and pulling characters and stuff from there samurai warriors uh, pulls from later on in history from the japanese uh perspective there's japanese characters famous characters like nobunaga and stuff and that series is only four games deep because uh, that started off later on as kind of like an offshoot, uh, but gives you kind of a different flavor and a flair and a, and a different time period. Warriors Orochi is a series that they have where they bring characters from both universes together. And Koei Tecmo spares no expense in finding only the most creative staff to write the most engaging reasons and stories that these two different eras uh, from two different countries get brought together to stop Orochi or whatever big evil's threatening them at the time, right? In other words, that's my sarcasm. The, the, the story that they use to bring these characters together is really just a stupid excuse for you to play with all these different characters uh, that are pulled through time for stupid reasons. You just want to play. You if, you if you like Dynasty Warriors and you like Samurai Warriors, who cares? It's just an excuse for you to go and play them together. If you play Warriors All-Star, which bring characters from a lot of their other different franchises along together with Warrior uh, Dynasty Warriors and Samurai Warriors, the, the reasons they have to bring those characters together is even more stupid. It involves talking uh like animal people what are those called anamorphic whatever uh you know people that look like humans right right yeah whatever they're called it involves those guys and it's Uh, even a more cliche through the power positivity will save the world type of thing somehow somehow fire emblem warriors manages to lower that bar even further with a cringe-worthy story, the the good point, the only good point is, if you're a big fan of these characters, and, and they pull a lot from um, uh, Fire Emblem Fates and Awakening and the such. So if you're if you're more of the modern Fire Emblem fan, they're going to find a lot to like about these characters. The only good thing I can say is their voice acted well, but everything that comes out of their mouth, the, the voice actors really never get a chance to shine because the writing is so bad. It's horrible. I just I don't want to hear them. I just I don't want to hear the excuse of their power of friendship. And the way this works is every time there's a new character introduced, he's going to fight your team. Even though he's a good guy, too, he's about to join your team. He's got to fight you to test you first or there's a misunderstanding or whatever the deal may be. It's the same cliche bullshit excuse of why you got to fight him in this stage. And then afterwards, after you knock some sense to him, he's like, oh, I see the light. Okay, let me join you guys. It, yep. it's it sounds it, like fire emblem warriors too it, it is horrible you get through the story so you could do the character unlocks get your iana scrolls or whatever they're called because you need those scrolls to unlock uh certain things later on so you have to play them on harder difficulty uh you know and whatever so you do what you have to do but completely ignore the story here boys and girls just hit the star button pretend it never existed and you'll be better off for it ha huh, okay i feel better now that that is a that's a very good way to go about doing this. And if you do it, I think this game we both found a little bit more fun in it recently. Once you get going with that, um, right? You play Muso games for the gameplay. You don't really right. play them for the story, anyways. And Koei Tecmo knows this. So they don't really put a crap ton of money or thought into it. And it really shows. It really shows here. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would take the Dragon Quest Heroes two story any day over this one. Uh, but anywho, let's talk about the gameplay. So. The gameplay is, again, your typical thing where you go around, you're going to hit your combo buttons to clear out large amount of soldiers you know, at a time, working your way towards lieutenants and captains who can take more punishment. What's interesting here is you do have the weapons triangle from the mm-hmm. Fire Emblem games, 
where axes beat spears, spears beat swords, swords beat axes. That's, uh, you know, bows will take down Pegasus like nobody's business. Uh, you have Beastmaster quality weapons that are kind of weak to most things, uh, but they're really good against beast dragons, uh, the Minikin or whatever they're called. But the, you got these different, you got that tro weapon triangle thing going on. It's very important here. Remember, I talked about the beginning that the real challenge in Dynasty Warrior games, especially later on in the game where the battles get more difficult, is being in the right place at the right time. And when you're going from one captain to another, because this captain's attacking your base and this other captain's over here attacking your other base and, and you really need to take care of both these problems, you don't want to get stuck on any one particular captain for too, too long. But if you ain't got the right weapon, taking care of him can take a few minutes rather than just, you know, 15 to 20 seconds. And that could be huge for, for, for getting taking care of all the objectives uh, that you need to take care of. So how does that work? If you can only pick one character with one weapon type, how does this work? Well, Fire Emblem uh, Warriors uh, will let you take in, generally speaking, two to eight characters into any particular battle, depending on the map. So you're going to bring different characters with different weapons so you can take care of different enemies who have the different weaknesses. And it makes it very clear when you're looking at the strategic map and you're highlighting a character all the enemies who are weak to that particular weapon. So it's really easy to highlight the different characters you have and when you're looking at the strategy map and, and see maybe where to send them. And that's another key ingredient. In the mini-map, you can direct your other uh, warriors to different parts of the map. This is key. So one of, those, one of those cool things that it brings over from the Fire Emblem series when it comes to the combat is the weapon triangle system. Your axes beat spears, your spears beat swords, your swords beat, you know, the axes. Plus you have some other weaknesses such as, you know, bows being able to take down Pegasi rather quickly. Uh, weapons with the beast slayer quality can take down dragons pretty quickly, but they're weak to most other things. Uh, but you got all that in there. Now, in most Dynasty Warrior games, you play one character, and if you have these big weaknesses and stuff, that could be a big problem because half the map be be able to shrug off your blows. So how does Fire Emblem Warriors deal with that? It allows you to bring a full party in for most maps, two to eight uh, characters total. And and so you can you can uh, you can bring in a, an axe wielder and a spear and a swords person, and you can easily see when you are in the strategic map when you hit the the uh, menu button and you pull the strategic map and you highlight your characters, you can easily see what uh, enemy captains on the map uh, are weak uh, weak with the weapon that you're wielding. So you can start strategizing who's going to go where. Now the idea that you have multiple characters you can kind of direct at the same time is not super new to. Uh, Muso games. The Dynasty Warriors, you only play one character at a time, but in Samurai Warriors, you could actually play two characters. At least I started with Samurai Warriors 3, and I could do that in 3, I believe. And you could send them off to different parts of the map, and usually I'll be stuck with one captain that's going to take me a good minute or two to beat, and I'll send my second guy off to another part of the map, and when he gets, as soon as I'm done beating that captain, my second guy's already, because it takes time, he gets to the other part of the map, and I can quickly hop into his body and take care of business. What makes Fire Emblem so cool and so different is in those other games, when you send it, when you send one of your other captains off to another part of the map, the whole purpose is just to save you time in traveling over there while you're taking care of business over here, right? What's really cool, but but they don't actually do anything. Like they get over to the enemy captain and they just kind of wait there. I mean, theoretically, they're trading blows, and every once in a while, you know, they'll cry out for help. 
But but for the most part, it's just to save you time. It, it's, it doesn't serve any real strategic purpose outside of that. But in Fire Emblem, when you send your hero who's strong against another hero, either because he's way overleveled or because he has the, 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 the right weapon for the job, he'll actually take care of business. You would still do it a lot faster if you were in his body, so to speak. But even if you're not... He can take care of business. And in really tough maps where there's a lot of things going on at once and a lot on the line with three different objectives at the same time, it can totally make a difference. For example, I was playing one of the harder maps to unlock one of the hidden characters. And the the uh, there was an objective across the map to take care of this enemy captain because he was basically buffing all of the other captains. But he's way on the other side of the map. At the same time, I've got... 20 captains heading towards you know my part of the base and if i lose the base i lose the game so i really need to be controlling that character there because leaving you know the ai to deal with 20 captains at once is a recipe for disaster so i sent my ai one of my ai captains with the right weapon strength you know over to him and and i took care of the 20 people now the one thing in these muso games most of them is when you pull off a Muso attack, which are your most powerful attacks, the animation runs for 10 to 15 seconds. All the enemies around you are paralyzed during that time, which is really great when they're trying to take over your keep and beating up on, you know, the captain that can lose you the game if he falls, right? But, um, but everything else on the map is still happening all around in other different areas. So... It, it, it can, it can, it can, it can, that's what makes it so hard to complete some of the secondary uh, objectives in most of these other games because you can't be at two places at once. And when your Muso attacks are going off, sucking up time, but they're your most powerful attacks, it, it, it can really, you know, you can't, you can't do it. But with Fire Emblem, Hero, Warriors, whatever, you can do that. You can sit the other guy on him and he'll actually take care of business and you'll get a message that pops up, you know, successful and that enemy captain's gone. And you're like, yay, one less thing off my to do list. Kading. <laughs> And it's really great, and it really feels strategic because you'll oftentimes have more than just two things going on at a time. Uh, that's aside from the fact that these characters can pair up. So just like in Fire Emblem, Fates and Awakening and such, you can pair up uh, you know, characters together. They'll get relationship points together. They'll take blows for each other. Uh, you can use uh, uh, the, the attack from the other character to stun the captain that you're fighting. Uh, and if that that enemy you're fighting is weak to that second character's attack. He'll get a bigger stun gauge that that, that lets you tear through it faster. Uh, it is it is really cool how you know you'll start thinking about okay who am I going to pair up with who to cover each other's you know weaknesses and the such uh, you know and who am I going to put the healer with because you can also have you know heal some of the characters have healing staffs can I get them over there I can tell the AI get them over there to heal the captain or come over here to heal my character who's taking a lot of damage during this boss fight. There's a lot of strategy. And even though this is all happening in real time, you start thinking more and more like a re in the harder matches, like a real Fire Emblem game. I was really disappointed to see somebody complain that that they didn't like this game because they felt like it really didn't take advantage of the, the, the Fire Emblem strategy thing. Like, it's just, I don't know why it's all there. Yes, I can command my other people around and change out characters, but why would I do that when... When the battles are just, you know, so easy, I could just go through and blast everything with one character. Well, maybe that worked for the story mode on easy or normal. But if you play the story mode on the harder difficulties or you play some of the post-game content we're going to talk about, you really have to know how to take advantage of pairing people up and sending people to different parts of the map 
and using the strategies of the systems that the game provides, or you will fail. Much less you won't get the, the S ranking that you need to get some of the cooler unlockables. That strategy bit of the game was probably my favorite part of the game, was sitting there staring at the map being like, okay, I need a Pegasus Knight over here and some archers in over here, but oh, I better not put the Pegasus Knight over there because there's archers over there, and just, oh, it just got my little strategy loving brain just ticking. And actually, it actually made me feel like a general, especially since you're like down in the fields uh, taking care of the action while this is all happening to begin with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. And, and on one hand, I, I I will say, like, I have criticized games. I criticize Zelda Breath of the Wild for being a game that pulls me into menus too often. It takes me out of the action. But here in this game, it's an integral part of the experience. You will hit start, you know, a lot of times or whatever button it is and on the Switch to pull up that big mini map. You've always got a mini map on. And this, by the way, boys and girls, you want to play this on your TV. I swear, if you can stare at your Switch in handheld mode and see that mini map god bless your heart i i got old eyes so i'm looking at the big screen and but but you will want to hit start even if just to blow up the map a little bit more but more specifically to take a minute to take stock of who is where you know who is where so you can send them to the right places at the right time uh and, and think about that for a second and you got to do this like this fuzzy math in your head like it's gonna take you know uh this character you know, how long to get over there. Is that going to be enough time if I run over here and do this so we can get back and do that? And this is even needed on some of the early, the story modes because I played this game, and we haven't mentioned this, but this one does have couch co-op. It has split screen. You can both be controlling people. And like you said, there's like somewhere between two and eight people and you can team up with other ones. So you can both have a couple different characters. You, you can have your character and you can be switching to other ones. And this game is one that I played through completely co-op with my six-year-old. And we reached a point at about the eighth or ninth mission in, it was somewhere right before 10, that we lost on easy mode two, three, four times in a row. And my son's like, that's it, I'm done. We had played Hyrule Warriors, and I'll mention that when we get to that game. But I had told him, I said, listen, you know, he's been wanting to get Luigi's Mansion. And I said, if we play through this game and we finish it, then we'll move on to something else. And he was just like, Daddy, we can't beat it. It's it, We've tried this like three times. We're done. And that's where I really went in and showed him, because he was getting annoyed at me pausing it every so often. And I said, no, look at what we're doing. And I explained some of the strategy to him and how we could direct people to go here and why we could do that. And the next time, without him complaining so much about the pauses, it worked. The strategy worked. And from then on, we went through and in about a week finished off the game. From that point but like even six-year-old brain could see like oh that that's actually benefiting us we're actually able to not have this guy die on escort du duty while we have to maintain this fort here and go capture that one all at the same time he, he got him into strategy now give him a copy of uh game boy fire and we'll and see how he does <laughs> yeah, yeah. watch his tears flow <laughs> i'll give him the brave land trilogy i'm playing through <laughs> it, 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 very light yeah, so yeah, and that's that's it. I like it, like this is the exact opposite, I think, in a lot of ways from the original Dynasty Warriors, where you're just playing like one character and you're focused on this one character and just getting this one character from point A to point. You know, here you are dealing with multiple you know characters that you're keeping an eye on, uh, and usually four activers. Uh, 
uh, uh, but you do have some secondary characters you can pair up or move around if you need to. But uh, it, it is it is definitely going to get your strategy, you know, your strategy brain going. You don't have to have it all the time. There's definitely plenty of maps and plenty of opportunities where you can kind of focus on just one character and have the second, you know, a second one that you'll have paired up with you for dealing with weakness, uh, weapon triangle issues. And then maybe you have another character or two paired up together who are just keeping an eye on your base. And you just go forward with that one. Uh, maybe do a little body swapping here and there. But 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 the the cooler maps, the bigger maps will definitely, the more epic maps. Boy, this fight I just did to unlock one of the characters, man. So freaking epic. And especially if you want to get those S ranks, uh, which you need, again, for some of the unlockable things that you're going to want to get later on. Uh, you're gonna have to learn how to use the system, and it's very, very satisfying when the when the when when you start pulling off some of these really cool, you know, maps, these big strategies. So, uh, yeah, and now I've gotten more and more used to just sticking my my second or third pair people on some of the some of those other objectives that pop up that are across the map that are secondary, tertiary, you know, objectives. I'll send them and take care of business, and it's very it's very cool, just like real fire. I mean, it's and that's something that that's something that these two. It, this and Hyrule Warriors had that Dragon Quest Heroes didn't have so much as it breaks in and it'll be like, hey, help this guy over here. And it just really boldly announces across the screen, like secondary mission. Mm-hmm. Go yeah. after it. And doing those, I mean, they could get you extra NPCs to help you out. They can give you consumables on the map. Uh, they can uh, prevent a buff from happening to the enemy. Uh, like the, the the guy I mentioned before that was basically buffing mm-hmm. all the captains. So... Yeah, it's it's you know you definitely want to take care of some of those objectives when you can on the harder maps. Mm-hmm. So uh, along those lines, uh, we could talk a bit about the uh, well. Let's talk. Well, I won't list all the characters. There's over 20 characters, especially if you got the the, the DLC, which I'm gonna save for the end. Um, but there's um, you know there's there's mostly characters that are focusing on the more modern games. Uh, some of the DLC rectified some of that by giving you. Some of the characters from like Fire Emblem Echoes, I believe you get what's her name? Let's see. Oh crap, Celica. Celica. Yeah, I was so happy when I got her. Man, she was one tough nugget to unlock though, man. Woo! That 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 was a toughie. But uh but definitely fun. Uh and she's pretty cool to have on the team. Now, one of the things about this is you will get like twenty or so different characters, but there is a lot of there is some uh <laughs> speaking of echoes. There are some Echo characters here. There are some characters that basically maybe they, they might have some different Muso animation and they're pulling off their what they call special attack or whatever. Um, but they um, uh, but they, they otherwise their combos and everything pretty much play the same. So you're going to have some of that here, which makes it feel more like to me, the swords feel a little like they, they, they try to do a job since there's so many sword users in this game to make the sword users feel like they have different combos. Um, but when you're playing like the archers, I, I feel like three of the four archers are using the exact same move set. And then there's one <laughs> archer that feels a little bit different, the guy with the eye patch. Um, so kind of keep that in mind. You're not going to feel like you have a, a, a great variety. Now, coming off of like a Dragon Quest Heroes, you have like 12 playable characters, maybe 14, 16, if you count the ones that you can do in those dungeons. And each one of those has a, a different move set. So it feels a little bit of a, of a step down from that. But. You are getting a lot more skins and you know voices as well, so there's kind of a trade-off. There's kind of a trade-off there. I mean, you can't just keep adding characters and have a bunch of unique stuff. Yeah, because then the you 
because then you'd have to call it Hyrule Warriors. Let's be exactly. Honest. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Right, right. So uh, there's a you, hierarchy here, and this is not at the top. No, no. But 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 the, you know it is pretty uh, cool though how you can kind of swap them. I think that's where you get some 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 variety in the fact that you have different pairs that can swap off really quick. You know, in the battle as you swap between the other. Uh, so the post game. After you get through the story mode, you unlock history mode. And history mode brings up these tactical maps that look like they're ripped right from some of the maps you fought in Fire Emblem games from, from the past. And it's heavily, put... Go ahead. heavily inspired by the um, adventure mode in um, Hyrule Warriors, mm-hmm. from what I know. Yeah. And, and, and you'll see different enemy icons on that map. Uh, instead of taking care of them in turn-based combat, when you click on them, it'll tell you what level the uh, the 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 fights are going to be. Uh, what are the special conditions? What are the restrictions? Uh, so I mentioned there was twenty characters, and you might say, "Well, if there's twenty characters and you had a weapon trial thing going, then I'm going to be efficient. I'm only going to level up one swords person, one spear person, you know, one mage. Why would I want to level them up? Well, some of these maps have restrictions, and in fact. Um, I unlocked Anna, which is a really tough level 80 mission, but the restriction was I could only use characters from uh, one of the games, like Fire Emblem Fates or Awakening. And and so it was like, oh, well, shiz, out of the five or six characters that would include, I've only really leveled up two of those. Now, I don't need all six. I can only take four into battle, but it also means I have two strong and two weak characters. So I need mm-hmm. to maybe use some money and level some of those up and, and rethink, is this going to be able to pull this off with the two strong ones I have? So uh, you, you generally speaking, you're going to want to pay attention to just about all of them at some point. You can focus on some and probably still get through. But there's one mission where all uh, – there was one mission I fought on the way over to that one where you can only use all archers. So you need to use all three archers that you have unlocked at that point because I didn't have any. So uh, again, I finally have one archer leveled. The other two are going to suck pretty bad, and since this game puts an emphasis on being in multiple places at once, that becomes a little bit of a problem. I was able to kind of address that by giving one of them a Beastmaster bow and using him, even though he's a lower level, to go after the beast creatures because there was a lot on that map. So again, the strategy and thinking through where you're going to put who and where comes into play here. Uh, so, but the, the yeah, there's a there's a number of history maps that came with the base game. And then they released some more with the DLC that also had a couple of new characters and costumes you could unlock. Uh, as you're going through the history mode, there are awards you get. Usually there's an award you get for beating it. And sometimes there will be one a different reward that you'll also get for getting like an, an S rank. On top of that, uh, Anna is usually around. She's kind of uh, – she she will pop up when you meet certain conditions that are clearly – more or less clearly spelled out in the start menu. And, uh, and and once you've cleared those conditions, she'll pop up. She'll only be there for like 60 seconds or so, so you need to skedaddle to wherever she pops up on the map and go and buy uh, the little piece of map that she has to sell you. When you get uh, that unlocks a piece of an illustration, when you unlock the whole illustration by unlocking 20 or more of these things from different uh, maps, then you unlock a special mission. Uh, on the history map, which usually has some high tier weapon or something along those lines. And you're going to want some of those higher tier weapons with the higher numbers on them uh, in order to be able to take on some of the tougher things down the road. This is all just to add a lot of reasons for you to go back and play. There is some dialogue in there, nothing super deep, but it's rem- it'll help bring back some fuzzy memories if you if you played those older games. It's bringing back scenes from those older games and the such. But it's really just an excuse for you to go and kick a lot more ass with eaters. Did you play a lot of that? Any of y'all? I mostly played through the story mode. 
Um, by the time I got to some of the other modes, I was kind of ready to be like move on to another game because at that point it was going to involve a lot of grinding to be able to get through the history mode, and I just didn't have the time or the patience for that. How about you, Matt? And um, I think I've done maybe a dozen total. I haven't cleared any history mode map. Uh, kind of like what Kelly said, Th- this is the last of the four games that I've played, so I felt it. It's got a lot of cool stuff, but overall, I would say this is the weakest of the four. So I haven't really felt the need to just keep going back to this one. Yeah, I, I do like it. I do feel like, you know, kind of feel like the in-game here is more compelling than, let's say, Dragon Quest Heroes or even some of right. the... Yeah, even some of the Dynasty Warrior games I played, I think uh, that's what I've always wanted is to see more of a robust, uh, you know, in-game. It's certainly not the best. Uh, we'll be talking about that soon enough, but... It was, it was for me, it was pretty, it was pretty fun and kind of a good excuse to go in there and kind of do some more things. But to be fair, like if you hear somebody saying it's, uh, the game is repetitious, um, this is not going to help win those people over because basically these are the same, I don't know, 12 to 15 maps over and over again. Um, Mm -hmm. But with different conditions, you're starting at this keep instead of that keep, you've got you know, five enemy captains or 10 enemy captains, different weaknesses, different things going on at the same time. You will have to kind of figure out on the tougher maps, okay, what's going to go on in this map? How am I going to handle this? Or like, it'll keep you on your toes a bit, but, you know, ultimately it's the it's the same, you know, it's the same enemies and, and the same maps. All of the enemies kind of look same-ish. Coming off of Dragon Quest, you know, heroes where you had all those cute little Dragon Quest monsters and the such here pretty much all the enemy soldiers look kind of the same occasionally there'll be a monster thrown in there or whatever they're called archers or wizard or whatever but they they all pretty much look like faceless humanoids they're just there they did yeah yeah they they were there's just definitely the trash mob thing going on here and were they a little bit lower res too then it feels like it kind of feels like it but yeah kind of kind of just because they don't have details on them that they're yeah it feels yeah. like that, at least. But I will yeah, say... Like in the, oh, go ahead. The Dragon Quest monsters where y- you don't have any non-fully rendered, nicely looking monster. These no. are just, yeah, just yeah. random randos with swords and whatever. Yeah, nothing you're going to be writing home about. It does kind of make it up for it in, in qual. I mean, there are a bajillions of soldiers on there all at the same time, you know, uh, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it definitely it definitely is fun. I, I'm still having a, a you know good time with it. And if you want to get, uh, if you like unlocking characters, I always feel like unlocking characters is a big and costumes is a big motivation for me. Uh, they the the three I think there's three characters with the DLC, and they're not the easiest thing. Like you will have to engage somewhat with the grindy and leveling up mechanics and and stuff. Uh, like strategy alone won't be able to get you through some of the tougher fights. When you fight level A Adiana. Boy, if you don't have, I had to get Robin up to seventy-ish just to be able to, you know, compete reliably. Uh, you know, in in your fifties, you're just not making a dent, and your sixties, you're making damage, but it's just taking too long. So you need a couple of level seventy characters that complement each other that fit the requirements for that particular map. But there's flexibility in the fact that you know any weapons that you don't use in there drops a lot of weapons. Uh, you can either combine them to get better skills. But uh, that that'll take care of some of your weapons. But the rest of them you just sell for a crap ton of gold. 
and you'll end mm-hmm. up with millions of gold if you play a lot, and those can be used to level up. So I always keep a million or two million gold in the bank in case I get a map. I'm like, oh, oh, great, I got to level this character I never used before. And rather than stopping and go, going and playing a ton of maps, I'll just dump a bunch of gold in, into them. So That's nice that you can uh, build other people up that way. Yeah, you've also got a leveling up system with these characters where there's the the badge system where there's attack badges, defense badges, and and other special types of badges. And and the badges are created with materials that you get off the monsters. And the higher, the better the badges, the higher tier it is, the more rarish materials you're going to need. So for the, the upper ones that unlock your third Muso gauge, for example, that takes some pretty rare materials. There's also, just like in the original Fire Emblem games, you can class change your character to a higher tier class. For that, mm-hmm. you need a special you know item that's usually an S rank uh, type of unlock on certain maps. Thankfully, uh, one of the things I like about this game is there's not a whole lot of hidden stuff. It pretty clearly tells you which maps have those uh, those uh, those class unlock items behind them. You just got to yeah. go and get an S tier, and if you hit pause and you go into the map, it'll tell you how to get an S tier. It'll tell you how many kills you need, what time limit you have. Uh, and how much damage you can take in order to get the S tier. So it's pretty easy to focus and get that knocked out. Uh, unlike a little little game pro tip here, with most Fire Emblem games, when you're using a class change item to promote a class promotion item, you generally want to get them to like max level or level 10, depending on the game, and then use the item in order to maximize their stack gains. That's mm-hmm. not necessary here. Here, it's just a... It's just a flat boost to your stats and gives you some new clothes and gives you a new title. So it doesn't matter if you, you can you can originally use them at level fifteen, uh, but whether you use it at fifteen or use it at fifty, it doesn't matter. So feel free to use those as you get them on your favorite characters. Again, I like to save a few in reserve in case there's a really difficult map that I really want to clear now that has certain limitations. I might have to use it, you know, a class change to get that stat boost on the particular character that I need to get through that. Not very often, but it's always a good reason to keep a couple in my back pocket. Otherwise, I just use them on my favorite characters as I get them. So, yeah. Oh, one of the other things I really like about this game is when you do that Muso, when you do their, I, I know, they call them special attacks. I keep calling them Muso attacks. When you do a Muso attack, it's this, obviously the characters come from Fire Emblem, very JRPG looking. Not to say the ones that Dragon Quest weren't, but these are very typical JRPG looking characters. And they really capture that whole, I'm about to kick your ass animation. You know, as they spin around, the camera zooms in on their determined eyes and zooms back out as they open up a devastating whirlwind of death magic or whirlwind of spears or whatever it may be. It's it's very, very satisfying. I mean, the only problem is on tighter maps, I feel like it's a little... Some of those are more time-consuming than others, and you're like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, because stuff is still going around uh, around in other parts of the map while you're going through that. I really nations. Oh, I, I love those um, Coupe de Grasse attacks. Um, there's some of the most awesome things in these games, especially satisfying when you can just have them just plow into a whole mess of mobs. Yeah, show them who's boss. Mm-hmm. And and what you can do, we, we mentioned before, you can pair people up. Um, each your partner who's with you has a sep- has his own gauge, of course. And if they're active characters, your your first four characters, you can swap them out, save up their gauges to max. And then when you do a Muso special attack, coup de gras attack, whatever you want to call it, your partners will do it together. They'll both activate their Muso attack. They'll work together like tag team style, opening up a can of whoop ass at the same run, one right after the other. And this will do massive damage. I've done this many, many, many times. And the damage with the team, it does use up one chunk of Muso bar for each one. 
but it does more than the than the total like double the normal damage it hmm. probably does like i swear it's like two and a half to three times it's massive it's really great for bosses uh, and So we're good. Uh, just to let y'all know, uh, I in the middle of recording last night because uh, we were talking about Fire Emblem Fates. We only got about like halfway through. There was an earthquake in my house, and then somewhere in the recording, unbeknownst to me, my computer decided to start having bugs and viruses, and the recording only got about halfway through from what I found out after we talked about it for Fire Emblem for over an hour. So what we're going to do is I took some notes and we're going to continue, but I ask that you, the audience, bear with us if we repeat a couple of points along the way. Of course, if we miss something, you probably won't know. But if we, we, we repeat ourselves, please forgive us. That's our that's our disclaimer here. I feel like the universe doesn't want us to talk about Muso. It is quite the, uh, going on quite the episode here. Um, yeah, uh, I'm telling you, between plagues and viruses, earthquakes and... My family emergency that I had to duck out on... Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just been, it's been crazy. Koei Tecmo actually knows that we have a couple of, um, shall we say, points of constructive criticism that we're going to talk about here, and they're probably doing everything they can to prevent that from happening. It's a conspiracy. The shareholders of Koei Tecmo are, Tecmo Koei, whatever the hell it is, they are in dire straits right now due to COVID-19, and we might cost them a couple of dollars in sales and that's just unacceptable well they could just have one whale buy some of that dlc for doa6 and it'll be fine why have one whale when you can get more than one whale remember there are no there's no such thing as enough whales kelly true i would think the ocean has a uh Something to say about that, but you know, uh, no, Matt, no, Matt. Clearly, <laughs> if the ocean had enough whales, then we wouldn't be worried about too much whaling, now, would we? Mm, that, that's true. <laughs> if, had, if you had enough whales, you could just, you know, whatever. The Japanese could go and whale their hearts to their hearts' content, and no one would be overly distraught because there would be plenty of whales. But no there whale aren't. About it. It's a whale. <laughs> and you know if there were plenty of whales then mobile games would actually be fun and not have uh an intrusive um monetization well i can't say it monetization practices even the word is horrible yeah um uh, poor, poor mobile games you know, I yep. don't see us having a, a creative or useful episode of the backtrack on mobile games. It's, it would just be too depressing. 
<laughs> I mean, I bought Chaos Rings for the iPhone. I tr- I tried to like it, and, but at the time, I just didn't have a controller because that wasn't really a thing back then when iPhone games were first a thing. And now they're now they're a dime a dozen. But if you pay for them, then well, I mean, you don't really pay for them anymore. So they don't even really try. I think Plus for Star is a good go, but man. So even uh, getting through like <laughs> ten screens, I can't do it anymore. Back back on, back on track. Back on track uh, with with uh, with Fire of the Warriors. We had talked a bit about the the. the we talked quite a bit about the maps and, and the strategies uh, about pairing people up and all the different ways you can really um, use strategy. And one of the things that I noticed, I played some Hyrule Warriors today, and you know you keep getting fresh perspectives as you keep playing. The the Muso attacks in in Hyrule Warriors are much faster, uh, at least from the characters I was playing. But I, I, compared to Fire Emblem, the Muso attacks there just they're more animeish, they're more flourish, and they take longer to play out. That's only important in so far as again, I, and I don't remember if I know if I mentioned this before I got cut off. But when your Muso attacks are going off in any of these games, stuff is still happening around the map. The enemies around the Muso attack freeze, but everything else is going on outside of that zone of freezing. And that's important because enemies can be taking over your keeps. They could even be taking over your headquarters or killing your champion, which gives you a game over. Uh, and so that's a big thing. And so you might be saying, well, that kind of sucks if Fire Emblem Fates uh, Muso attacks take longer. Uh, that then that means you know it's probably not as fun of an experience because you're basically out of control uh, every time you pull off a super move. But what I yeah, you know what's cool about this is it, it it pushes you even further on those tough maps to make sure that you're utilizing your other characters, getting them someplace where they're helping the AI is controlling them to accomplish tasks for you, or at least getting to where you're going to take them over and take care of those tasks. You have to make use of your whole team. For the most part, because I remember cussing up a storm during Fire Emblem Warriors because Carmilla kept, like, wandering into the fire of the archers, which is an instant kill for her. And it's like, damn you, Carmilla, stay where I put you. Yeah, I'm not... Do not see the archers. Yeah, there's some general commands you can give them, but when the AI takes over, if you don't micromanage them, and I guess that's a little bit of a negative, is if you're not directly not directly control them i mean but if you're not giving them commands like go here take care of this and or you know go over here and avoid the archers yeah you can you can lose them really quick um or they just start wandering around and and I, you know i would tell them to go heal my hero who is fighting a big boss and i'm like yeah i got healed and then like a minute later i need healing again they've wandered all the way back to home base Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I needed you to stay close. What, what, what do you have to do at home base? There's no other enemies on this map but this BBEG. <laughs> Nothing else for you to do there but to pick your nose. So, yeah, you do have to babysit them sometimes. Uh, and those maps, it is it is pretty easy and can be a little bit frustrating when certain things uh, kill off your characters or kill your home base really quickly. That can be like the example you just gave uh, where one of your flying characters runs into an archer. Uh, that can be if you brought an underlevel character and he wanders into a high-level zone. Uh, or my favorite one is on the harder maps where you're out and you're, you know, the, the mission starts and you're like, okay, I'm going to go take care of a couple of enemy keeps. There's a whole bunch of techs flying up. Bam, game's over. Like, what, what happened? Oh, they took over my headquarters. 
Uh-huh. Number one, it happened super fast because they blissed your headquarters and you just didn't catch it because it was so quick. Number two, what you also normally when your headquarters is getting attacked, you get text warnings and they'll say something verbally. The problem is there's a bit of a delay when there's a lot of messages going at once. The game feels the need to play them all out and, you know, like the lady will sit there and say, you've just conquered an enemy while she's talking the sentence because there's so much going on so quickly. Your thing's under attack, but she's going to get the rest of that sentence out. And a few other sentences that happen right before that enemy attack, they're all queued up. It's like it goes into a queue. And by the time the queue gets to playing the warning that your base is down to half health, it's already dead. You're exactly right, Phil. There were plenty of times where, and even, I mean, I noticed it even more, not so much negatively. I, then again, I played it kind of on the easy mode for a lot, and you played a lot longer than me. But I noticed that a lot on completing tasks. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd have beaten somebody, and it's still queued up, like, Hurry up, defeat the archer. Hurry up, defeat the archer. I'm like, well, I did that 20 seconds ago. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm, and, already, I'm already moving on to the next task. Right, right. And then it finally says, you killed the enemy archer. You're like, I did that 20 minutes ago. I really love it yep, when it's like, yep. you just got 2,000 kills. And I'm like, I'm on 2,800 now. That was like, <laughs> that was yes. like so three minutes ago. And it's a problem in Hyrule Warriors, but it's, it's definitely more noticeable here because I swear the text moves a little bit slower. And and there's more going on at once because of the way the game is structured uh, to kind of give you some kind of clue. For most of the A rankings in Hyrule Warriors, I feel like you just need about 1,500 kills. In uh, in in Fire Emblem Warriors, it's usually 2,000, 2,500 kills. Uh, and that's just because you've just got more people out there who are doing the killing. Uh, you should be able to rack up more kills in the same amount of time. So uh, it, it's just... That's great, but the text messaging system that they have just doesn't keep up. I don't understand why they can't couldn't figure out a compromise to speed that up a little bit mm-hmm. or prioritize the messages. I mean, it's a nitpick. It doesn't really destroy the game, but there definitely is a few times where I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even realize my champion was under attack, and now I'm dead. Now he's dead. It, no, it, it's enough to be noticeable. Yeah. It is enough to be noticeable. Even my six-year-old son was like, Daddy, it just said something weird. He did that. You will play some of those harder missions several times before you start picking up, okay, it's definitely... You know, my base gets the what that keeps falling. So now I'm going to come up. Usually my strategy is to keep some AI guy around my main base just in case of something like that. So I can quickly flip back back to him mm-hmm. and defend my base if I need to. While I'm going to control, I'm basically going to play DPS. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to kick ass and take over bases as quickly as possible and objectives. Um, that works great if I know there's something going on at the, the home base. Then... Um, uh, and usually, even usually, yeah, usually they can be enough to, to hold the ground, but uh, not when there's like seven of them, seven enemies blitzkrieging your base at the same time. It will go through your stuff so fast. To tell you how intense some of those harder battles get, when they have like seven or eight champions storming your base at once, you need to take over that character and do Musu attacks almost nonstop because Musu will at least freeze all the action in that vicinity, stopping them from killing your champion. Uh, that that and and the way the 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 way the forts work in this game is the fort's health is the is the every fort has a has a has a, a keep leader a captain again very similar to most Musou games but in like Hyrule Warriors uh, and and some of the other ones I play you normally have to take a number of grunts out there's a bar or something you kill like a hundred grunts and that's when the captain shows up then you beat the captain then and when he dead when he's dead then you beat the keep. Uh, and when enemies are attacking your keep, 
it's usually they just get through so many of your grunts, the bar starts to go down, you get warnings, and then it flips over to the enemy, and if it's your headquarters, it's game over. Um, with 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 Fire Emblem Warriors, there is no number of grunts they got to go through. The captain's always there, always present, and when the captain's dead, the keep flips, whether you kill them mm-hmm. or they kill yours. So when it's your headquarters... And that poor pumpkin doesn't have a lot of hit points. And by the way, my favorite one is when you have like a flying captain and an archer wanders into your base. Oh, goodbye. And it's like, how is that even beginning to be fair? Again, you got to pay attention to the mini map. And while the audio warnings will sometimes give you a heads up of what's going on, hey, there's some more, you know, there's some archers headed to our base uh, or something along those lines. They're either too far behind or they're not informative enough to really keep you clued in 100% of the time and yeah if it happens in the first few minutes it's not a big deal you just start over and by the way when you lose one of the nice things is in Dragon Quest uh, Dragon Quest style when you lose a map you keep any experience you've earned up to that point mm-hmm. so, yeah you can still benefit from yeah I never feel super bad you don't when just I learn, lose just learn like oh whoops that's what I gotta do better next time you learn and you might have a level or two gained yeah, yeah. It, 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 normally, it's one of my pet peeves where I feel like uh, this is one of my pet peeves with Valkyria Chronicles is is you have to play a map a couple of times to figure out what, what AI scripts are going to play on that one because your strategy isn't going to be good enough just to get through it. I, I'm not a big fan of that, but here it doesn't sting so bad because in, in Valkyria Chronicles, you know, when you got 20, 30, 40 minutes into a map and you lost because some... For story reasons, a tank popped up and shot your group from behind. Ha ha ha! You'll learn better to watch out for that tank on turn five next time. Uh, uh, in this in this game, when that kind of crapola happens, at the very least, you get to keep your experience and stuff. So it's not a complete waste of time. Um, I, mean, but, I know people that kind of love that kind of stuff because they think of the maps as puzzles to solve. But me personally, it's like I don't like surprises like that. No, I like it, being in control. Yeah, I just I just want to be able to make informed decisions. And when things happen so quick on there, uh, and the audible warnings that are designed to kind of give you a heads up, and, and you're trying to pay. T- that's the thing. It's a Muso game, so you'd be really into the action. And and my normal pacing is I want to kill an enemy captain, and then I'll check the mini map for any new updates and give new orders to my commanders. Go kill another enemy captain, then check again. And that works for ninety five percent of the maps. But is that 5% where something funky goes on, like the archer's going to wander into your flying captain base, or you're going to get blitzkrieged and you didn't catch it, and it happened so bloody quick that the 30 seconds or so you spent beating up the enemy captain, uh, it was enough for them to take over. So when you're playing those really difficult maps, you learn to check the minimap more than every 30 seconds. <laughs> unless you unless you know your base is free and clear of any red dots anywhere in the, in the vicinity, then, then you can might- relax a little. My general strategy was to try and send my other people off to bases off to the side and me try to like go up the middle in most maps or try to um, clear a lot of the spawners that were around mm-hmm. to, to help um, take some of the heat off of the um, bases so that they, uh, my people wouldn't get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I, and I really but, like that you can do that in this game. Like, you can legitimately yeah. send your lieutenants or your other characters, and the AI, especially when they have weapon strength, uh, the, the AI will, will, will go ahead and do a decent job, and I can go in and check in the minimap, and I'll see the enemy going from full to three-quarters to half to dead, you know, and, and you'll see a progression there. Whereas in other 
you know, other Musou games that you send you send a lieutenant off to take care of something. It doesn't doesn't do anything. You have to jump into that body and take care of that business yourself. So, uh, if we haven't said this enough, this is one of the uh, I would say it's the only one that we've talked about that you can really have control over what's going on somewhere else without taking direct control. Yeah, yeah, and you really feel like you're more of a tactician in this one mm-hmm. than any other game. I mean, Musou games by their structure play around with the idea of tactics because you have to be at the right place at the right time, but it really is just your main hero that has to be at the right place at the right time. Or you might send a second hero and just jump into his body. So there's a little bit going on there, but, but this is a full realization of, of moving a Muso game, making it feel a little bit more like a real time strategy game. So, and again, it's, it's them knowing their IP. That's fire. Yeah. Up. Yeah. That's fire. Up. Did a really great job with that. So we talked about the end game, uh, and I don't believe we get to talk about exactly what they put into this game for the end game. So a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the Muso so, uh, games have some sort of post game content, and this one has uh, not all of them do. Some of the the old ones is really just go back and play the story missions on harder difficulty levels, and you'll get some more rare drops and get more weapons, so you can play the same story missions on insane difficulty levels. Uh, and this, heroes, cough, cough. What's that? I said Dragon Quest Heroes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Woo. Uh, Never been a big fan of that. But uh, and here, that's still an option that that you can always go back and play the maps on harder modes. And you'll need to do that in order to get some of Anna's uh, scrolls that she uh, that that she sells because she only pops up when you meet certain mission conditions. The first scroll you can get on normal difficulty, usually by killing a thousand enemies. The second scroll has to be, you have to fulfill special conditions that are usually in the start menu, and you have to have 1,200 or more kills uh, on top of that. So you have to look into your start menu to see what those conditions are. But uh, but the, the real post game here is what's called history mode, where there are a number of maps inspired by memorable uh, scenarios from Fire Emblem's Deep and Rich History. Uh, you know, it might be a map from Fire Emblem Shadows or, or, or Fire Emblem Awakening. And it'll play some snippets of discussion between some of the characters that were involved in, in that scenario to kind of invoke some good old warm feely-feelies. And then, you know, you look, you're staring at a Fire Emblem map with some enemy characters on it with an icon representing whatever your current character is. And you can go and move the cursor around to that enemy you're not going to attack him turn-based style, don't worry. But when you cl- when you move your cursor to him, you'll see at the bottom what that battle is involved. Is it a timed onslaught? Is it a uh, is it a uh, uh, an arena match? Uh, what is the level? What are the potential uh, rewards? Uh, and 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 you go and you you go in there. So each one of these enemy icons actually represent an entire Fire Emblem Dynasty Warriors fight scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of them are much easier than others. Some of them have restrictions, such as you can only bring in bow users, or you can only bring in characters from Fire Emblem Awakening. Uh, there's all kinds of interesting restrictions that pop up, which encourages you and pushes you to level your character somewhat evenly, or keep a whole bunch of gold on the back burner to level one <laughs> up when you realize the conditions only allows for that character, and you've never leveled him up before, but. That's why there's a mechanic to let you just pay to level them up, pay mm-hmm. training, uh, yeah. And there's and then once you clear all of the all of the the enemies on a particular map, then some dark. I, there's probably an official game term for them, but these black holes kind of show up. These are basically big boss encounters. 
Uh, they're very difficult and should probably be saved for after you've done other history maps up through it. Uh, and they're going to require level up characters and leveled up weapons. And then when you beat all of those and you've got all of Anna's memento scrolls, uh, then there's usually one big final battle, which has some really rare material associated with it. Uh, so, and, and to get, the, yeah, a lot of S ranks required to get some of the cooler things. One of the nice things about this game, so it does rank you on, you know, a letter grade A, B, C, S, and uh, it shows you when you're pausing, you're looking at the map, it'll show you what the requirements are to hit those ranks. So everything's pretty clearly spelled out as far as if you're trying to get that S rank or you're trying to get Anna's mementos um, or you're just trying to figure out what the win-loss conditions are. It's all right there. Nice. I, I have to admit that the history mode kind of made my OCD go, go crazy a little bit because I'm the type of person that I have to clear every spot in the map. And, you know, seeing a couple like level 20 spots, you know, that's about what level I was when I finished the story mode. And then having like level 60 spots spawn <laughs> as a boss fight. I was like, oh, no, I want to clear the map before going on. And I found that grinding in this game was a bit of a choice. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I I personally like to focus and clear one map out at a time. And yeah, I'm trying to avoid too many sit there and compare with Hyrule Warriors type of thing. Hyrule Warriors has a, a map mode that we'll talk about. But, but for points of this discussion, they're clearly labeled easy, medium, hard. Kind of lends itself more to that idea that you can clear off those easies before you move on to mediums and hards. Here, it definitely feels like you do have to bounce around. One of the reasons for that, aside from the fact that there'll be a level 80 mission on the very first map once you clear all the level 20 missions, is the in order to get, and you see this with high rewards as well, in order to get the better weapons, you have to, so there's different weapon, uh, there's different weapons and weapon tiers. We talked about swords and spears and bows and whatever, uh, but there's their C rank, B rank, A rank, whatever. And then within those tiers, their star ratings, one, two, three, four, five stars, which reflect uh, how much attack power they have. And then their slots, which have to do with their special extra abilities or extra damaging or whatever. So uh, the thing is, until you've discovered the uh, granite spear, for example, which I think is a B spear, it might be an A spear, but the whole point is until you've discovered the first one, which is usually like an S rank reward for, let's say, a medium difficulty map, until you discover it the first time, it will never appear as a random drop. Once you've discovered it the first time, you will start finding B rank spears on any sort of moderately difficult map that you play. Okay, but you can play uh, you can play super hard maps, but if you've never discovered a B rank spear before or higher, you're not going to get a B rank spear from those. So another part of popping around, whether it's this game or Hyrule Warriors, is you will want to take a look around in history mode to say, oh, well, I really love playing, let's say, you know, um, Krom. Krom uses a sword. I'm really getting tired of the fact that he has only a B rank sword uh, with 30 power. Oh, well, there's an A-Ring sword. Those are 80 power. But so you can look for a history uh, map that has like a silver sword. I think that's the A-Rank. Uh, and then you play that and you get your, your you know, your, you unlock that sword either by beating it or getting an S-Rank in it. And now you'll start finding silver swords all over God's creation. Uh, <laughs> you know. I didn't realize that it worked like that because this was my very first Muso game. It's not, I don't even know if that's the way it works with other Muso games because I've not gotten into end games with those other ones like I have with these. Not to mention, like, when you get to, like, like even Dynasty Warrior 7, 
the end game thing in that uh, it's not as good. It's it's very if you think this is convoluted, ho 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 ho. Tecmo goes out of their way to not only make DLC convoluted. <laughs> That's coming up soon, boys and girls. Just wait. But uh, yeah, the 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 yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, no. And and when you talk about Hyrule Warriors, don't let us forget that that's also the way fairy food works. Because it would drive me crazy that I was trying to find some fairy food, and it turns out it doesn't drop until you've unlocked it in certain missions in the adventure mode. And I'm just like, I knew it dropped. I had heard that from people before. But it turns out that until you unlock it with certain maps, that it doesn't pop up as random drops. So... Yeah, the history modes are, are are the history mode here will help you to unlock those drops. So it, it makes sense to go into history mode before you go back and play, let's say, lunatic mode, uh, lunatic difficulty in the story mode, because you'll get better drops once you've unlocked those better weapons in the history mode. Because it's not just good enough just to unlock an A rank weapon that will get you, let's say, an eighty attack sword with one or zero slots on it, which is probably better than the B rank sword you had with like three slots, and it might have been a high C rank sword. Uh, but it, but the attack power will be better. But you really want like a five star A rig sword that'll be 112 attack and and pro- preferably with like five or six slots that you can put skills into to make a really badass A rig sword. So for that, you're gonna want to farm up A rig swords. You don't really unlock the ability to farm them though until you get your very first one, which is in a history mode mission somewhere. There's a test in all this tomorrow, by the way. Oh my gosh, back and forth, back and forth through the different modes. It, it does, and, and I, I and there's a little bit of story in them too, and I think that's what's also a little frustrating because then I'll forget what story I was in. It's the same with the Hyrule Warriors. There's no story in those adventure mode maps, but they each have different rules, and I forget the different rules in the different maps when I'm flipping back and forth because, yeah, there's different meta rules, and we'll talk about that more in that one. But yeah, it definitely can be a little frustrating, confusing, especially if you're just using this as your once-in-a-while game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but with that being said, if you're, yeah, if you, if you like to plow through it and you like, you know, you want to just, you know, spend hundreds of hours like some people do, it, it gives you variety. So it's like, I just want to go in and cut things with my sword. Yeah. Many times. <laughs> and there's plenty of that. The, 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 uh, any other thoughts about history mode maps before we move on to the next topic? Oh, I, I did not get nearly as deep in, as you did into that. I went through it. I saw the mechanics and. Yeah, I, I did not get into the hundreds of hours of this one. I did the hundreds of hours with Dragon Quests. These uh, next two were a little bit less. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did story mode before I did history mode, and while I was having a little bit of fun with history mode, I didn't like the prospect of having to grind out so many characters. Yeah, the 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 twenty, the most of the roster is in the story mode, but uh, just play through the story, and you'll get the vast majority of characters. But there are a number of characters that are in the history mode, especially when you you are getting the DLC, which we'll save that discussion for the end. Uh, there's like nine characters in the DLC that, uh, for the most part, I believe you get them by playing the history. You at least get three of them because I unlocked three of them over the last week that were a little bit harder. Um, the other ones, I don't know if you just get them from just buying it or if you had to play through some history mode to get to it to be honest but uh but we'll talk about that in a minute uh anyways uh and we'll talk about the characters uh the character variety but 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 i want to talk a little bit i got the these notes here and totally in no particular order it was just the order we talked about it when it got screwed up music what did y'all think about the music uh, not having played any other or not many other fire emblem games it was fine it, it fit the mood um 
maybe not quite as quick paced as you know the action might have been, but I, I mean it, it didn't detract for me. To be honest, I was so sucked into trying to kill things that I barely even noticed the music. <laughs> you're like you're like music? What music? Yeah. yeah. Which is sad because the game came with the, uh, or I got the special edition of the game that came with the soundtrack, but I don't think I ever popped it in, and I need to. You, you know, it it, it 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 takes a lot of those Fire Emblem sweeping tunes, uh, kind of to your point there, Matt. I, I think they could have done more to jazz up and make it a bit more exciting and thrilling for some of these fights, because it's more of a real-time game than a turn-based, ponder, you know, while you got sweeping music type of stuff going on, but it was fine. The, um... The voice acting was really good if the writing was sucked. And that might be a point we said earlier, and I totally forgot. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say it I mean, again. I, re- I like the voice I, acting. Yeah, the voice acting was great. I really wanted to believe in the power of friendship. They, they sold me Stop on Stop it. Stop it. No, I'm not <laughs> talking about the power of friendship. I'm talking about what they say in combat and during like some of their exchanges, which that's that's one of those things. They, they can, you can build up relationship mechanics uh with the characters by putting them in battle together and certain characters can go up to an a plus rank or certain pairings of characters can go up to an a plus rank and when they hit a plus uh they'll unlock a special conversation between the two sometimes the writing does it no favors because it's some of that believe in the power of your ulcer bullshit but that, some of it is pretty funny and slice of life stuff that's uh, I, I don't really play most these musa games for the plot nah no not really I mean- to be fair, I think Dragon Quest had a much better plot than um, these games that we're talking about. But, yeah, these games just kind of come off like, yeah, let's just throw a bunch of Fire Emblem characters in. Yeah. Call it no, there. you're right. It, yep, you're 100% right on that. It, it the, This one was definitely more of, and there's not a lot to the story mode here. I would say the story mode here was shorter than the Dragon Quest games. And what you get the trade-off is what Phil said. There's a ton of post-game here. Whereas with the Dragon Quest games, it was pretty much all just the story. There was not another mode. Sure, there was some post-game stuff, but it wasn't like there were other modes and lots of other things to do. Right. Which, to be fair, like most of the older Musou games that, that, that came before... Dragon Quest Heroes, from my experience anyways, they didn't have like a really great post-game. Or they came out with like an ultimate edition that would tack on, you know, some sort of post-game or meta-game of some sort. Mm. Uh, and I love them. A lot of them don't work very well, but they just get, they're really just there to kind of give you an excuse to get into some new battles with some different rules or limitations and such. But... Uh, I think this one was. I think this one was pretty well done. Aside from its convoluted, you know, stuff that we talked about, uh, that can definitely be a, a negative for for a number of people. Uh, understand if you want to get into this, you're going to have to read up a little bit or watch some YouTube videos because it doesn't do a great job explaining these nuances. It's kind of like Monster Hunter in that regard. But like Monster Hunter, if you if you enjoy the gameplay, like some people sit there and say it's repetitive. Well, okay, the gameplay is repetitive, but it's so much damn fun. And there's variety in the different characters and the different weapons and the different combos you can do. Uh, Echo characters aside, which I'll talk about, but um, it, it's it's there's a lot of variety there. It's a lot of fun. It, 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 you know, it, it's very carth- what is that word? Cathartic. Uh, cathartic. Thank you. Uh, so um, I just want to talk about real briefly about there. You know, there are. Oh gosh, there's a number of characters here. We're not going to kind of go through them all. I, I, what I did want to do is kind of do a little bit of a of a roundtable and talk about 
a couple of your favorite characters and, and why you really like them. So, uh, Matt, who who's uh, two or three of your favorite characters and what did you like about him? Of course, Rowan. I mean, he's the hero of the game. He's awesome. Okay, you know what? You can't, you you have just lost your podcasting privileges. Okay, that's the spiky hair kid. It is the spiky hair kid. Isn't it, it is the spiky. Hair. Yeah, no, and you're what, just what? no, you're horrible. No, no, ah, uh-uh, uh, no, we're going to go on the couch. No, funny. no, no, that What's is not funny, funny. For those people that are not RP gamer staff. You know that the screenshot of him and his level up—that is the default image every time we go to make a new review or a post on our website. Uh. Tim from that. No, that's the first time hearing of that. Is <laughs> is that our hazing for new people? I, I guess. I mean, it's just yeah. When we go in on our back end on RP Gamer, when we're writing articles or whatever, there's always a screenshot stuck in our template, and the screenshot is of Rowan and his level up. You know, as a hazing ritual, I approve that. that that's that's fine. <laughs> that that's acceptable. Okay, well, you may continue. Little characters. I really like. Uh, he's got the big old red spiked armor, Ryoma. Mm-hmm. I think he's really cool um, from a character design. And, you know, I mean, I can't not say enough about Camilla because, I mean, she's got really big attack power. They did such a great job with her in this game. Uh, She is, she is, uh, she, 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 she has that whole sexy act thing going on without being too much, you know, like. It always comes off as a little bit funny. And a little bit condescending, like, hey, mm-hmm. we got to, you know, like, she's attacking someone. She's like, oh, I guess it's time for your punishment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's very slightly innuendo, but not, like, I played with my son this game, my six-year-old, and it wasn't enough over the top that it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm embarrassed to be playing this with my kid. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it it certainly not Idea Factory levels of innuendo. No, no, no like, like, they did, it, like, like, she, she is kind of like that whole sexy act but she it's classy at the same time just mm-hmm. I, it walks that line i thought it was just really really you know well done that's aside for the fact that hey there's not a lot of axe characters in the game and she uses mm-hmm. an axe and she totally kicks ass with it i mean she reminded me my favorite character from dragon quest heroes 2 was desdemona the girl with the gigantic axe so i was like ooh, look a desdemona type character here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. any others so, Nah, that's pretty much mine. Everybody else, I mean, because I did mostly the uh, story mode. I, I did dip into history mode, trying to get the first map at least cleared. Um, but yeah, everybody else kind of just rotates quite a bit. Um, you know, Tiki, I, I remember seeing her in, uh, well, I've, I've been playing a lot around with her in Tokyo Mirage sessions recently. So it, seeing her in two games simultaneously kind of was like, oh, look at that. <laughs> How about that, you, that's Miss? That's about it for me. All right. How about you, Miss Riley? Um, well, Krom is, is obviously my favorite because Krom was my favorite in Awakening and is one of my favorites in Smash Brothers now that he's a character. And Krom is my husbando or my Fire Emblem husbando, and I love him and the fact that he's <laughs> Matt Mercer. So I, I leveled him up quite a bit. And I mean, not only is he awesome, but he can uh, he can dish out some punishment um, being one of the best sword users. And yet he, he has the same moveset as Lucina. Lucina but I just like him better. And then um, Takumi ended up being my favorite archer just because he was so quick and could just dish out the punishment with the bow. Um, 
he was pretty cool. And then I also really enjoyed Tiki because of her ultimate, which turns her into a dragon. And she could just go around dragoning things to death and breathing fire. And if you're really good with um, her mechanic, you can pretty much have infinite dragon mode with her, um, which I really liked. And who else did I like? I wanna, yeah, I I liked Camilla because she rides around on the Wyvern and is the one of the better axe users. And yeah, those those ended up being my favorites. Hmm. And, and, and you, did you say? Did you? Who, who did you just say the axe user? I, oh, I, Camilla. Camilla. Oh, oh my gosh, she's okay, so good. Just Joe. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Those are good choices. Those oh, are and really good. Cordelia, I like too when she's not suiciding herself into Archer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. At least I will say, at least the UI does a good job when you pick when you're playing your characters. It'll show you on the mini map up arrows, down arrows, and then the exclamation marks for. Uh, and if it's red, uh, you know, red background exclamation mark, you know that's running into your death. If it's white background uh then that's somebody who's going to die the minute you sneeze at them so uh they do a pretty good job of making that very very clear it's just uh sometimes you may not be looking at the minimap because you're having so much fun killing the shit out of people and sending your characters and you're like what the hell just happened oh archer so yeah you'd have to watch that with the with the uh with the flying characters now with that being said i believe that there is a skill later on that you can unlock that negates that critical weakness uh so it doesn't negate the normal weapon weaknesses, I believe, but it negates those what I would call critical weaknesses, those ones with the exclamation mark, or at least brings them down the notch so they don't kill you instantly. Yeah, that's uh, a big part of the defensive skill tree that you have in a lot of these is, you know, mm-hmm. the items that are dropped by archers. You use enough of them and you can reduce the archer damage to your player. And Right. I don't even know if we got to talk about no. that badge system before before the, the recording crashed. So again, please forgive us for repeating this, but there is a, a badge system. That's one of the reasons I like to play the in-game is as you play through the story mode, you'll get materials that drop off the enemies, mostly common materials because you're playing story mode on normal. Mm-hmm. And those can be used to unlock uh, extra attacks. Like normally you can do a four-hit combo. We'll unlock your five mm-hmm. and six-hit combos. It'll give you an extra Muso bar. There's a skill to give you an extra Muso bar. So you can accrue two of those at the same time instead of just one. Uh, there's defense skills, like you just said, that will help your resistance against piercing weapons or swords or whatever, or archery. Uh, and then, and then you got the, the other page that has, uh, miscellaneous skills, uh, like being able to be healed when you're in a partnership. And that's where you can also class up your character. There are great seals. There are so many of them a game, and there's basically one for each character, but they're usually hidden as S rank, not really hidden because it's right there on the reward screen, but they're usually like S rank rewards for certain maps. So you know how to get to them, you know how to aim for them. And here's a quick gaming tip. If uh, once you get those things, you can go ahead and use them. In most Fire Emblem games, you don't want to use uh, Seal to promote your character until you've already got them up to a certain point, uh, usually max level, because you're going to you know, keep earning uh, skill points, attribute points. But in this game, it just gives you a new outfit and a flat bonus to all of your attributes. So it doesn't matter if you use it earlier or later, might as well use it earlier and start getting the benefit of extra kick-assery. Oh, and uh, it, it's a huge thing. Like some some of your stats will go up fifty percent or more. Yeah, I want I want to say like my attack stat when I used it on one went from like thirty thirty one to like forty eight. So and, and you're gaining like one or two per level, and then all of a sudden you're getting eighteen by using the masters. Yeah, 
and 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 uh and they get a new outfit which you can switch back and forth between the old outfit pretty easy mm-hmm. so yeah After fun with those oh it's 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 a ton of fun uh, okay so i guess it's my turn and i'm just trying to find the so I, you know, my favorite was Corin because she's such a deep character. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Oh, uh, no, it really wasn't. Uh, I did play Corin a, a lot, and I don't know why. Uh, but uh, as far as like favorite characters go, uh, I give an honorable mention to I uh, Lisa, Lisa with two S's, because another Axe character. Uh, again, not too many of those. But what I, number one, she can heal, which is a oh, great yeah, utility to have. What's that? I was going to say, yeah, she's she's like designated as a healer, and almost every time that she's in your party, that's her default. You have to mm-hmm. set her away. You have to go tell her to attack things. Otherwise, yeah. like she just stays as that healer. Uh, and 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 number two, her. I want to say it's her C three combo. Um, what she does is so hilarious. When she you do this three hit combo. And you hit that the hard attack button. She'll hit the enemy. Oh, oh, do an overhead smash onto the enemy with her axe. He gets caught on her axe, and then she just rolls <laughs> forward like a car wheel that's running over a bunny rabbit that's stuck to it, and just go thump thump thump. And she just beats that poor guy into ground. It does massive damage. Damages everything that's around it uh, as it's happening. It's just awesome. It's, she it's is, she is tiny but mighty. Mighty mm-hmm. indeed. Uh, I, I like, uh, I, I like Lynn, um, and I don't remember why, uh, Fire Emblem, the Binding Blade. What the hell was that game? That's the Game Boy one or the Game Boy Advance one. The first one we got here, we just didn't have that a was, subtitle. Oh, we have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like her. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I played her on there and she does like these quick movements like a ninja, uh, she's not really dressed like a ninja, but she's very quick. And they did a real, you know, when you when you play, I don't think you got to play her very much in the game. But when you got to play her, I, I just remember her, she'd do these quick strikes and would do a lot of damage. Um, in this one, they capture that really well. Her Muso attack, she just splits up into copies of herself, does these ninjutsu moves, and just very fast and attacks enemies. And it was just a really great recapturing of what I remember from the game. Uh, Azura... Uh, she comes from Fire Emblem Fates, of course. She does the singing thing, and and her her attacks are water. You know, she'll do these water based combo attacks. She also uses a spear, which is useful because of that variety of the weapon triangle thing. So she's really good with going against sword people, and the, the water combos that she does, the water damage are very huge. I mean, just can the the C four combo will just take out a whole keep on its own. It, it's great. But one of the way I really like is when she does her Muso attacks, she'll do her song from Birthright. She'll like sing me a song, Birthright, da 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 da. But but once in a while she'll flip into conquest mode. Like even though you're wearing the white outfit from uh, Fire Emblem Birthright, she'll turn into conquest dress and she'll start singing and she'll do a totally different dance. It's a more active dance let's say and she'll say sing me a song of conquest and vengeance and oh yeah she'll just <laughs> she becomes dark azura there for all of like 10 seconds as she kills everybody it does pretty much the same damage and everything but i just think it's pretty cool that you have a character that mixes it up with different muso attacks from you know the other version of that game and i also like tharja she was from the second dlc pack 
coming from Shadow Dragon. She's uh, she's kind of uh, the dark, creepy, stalkery type, and it's just some of the things that come out of her mouth are just funny. And some of her A plus interactions, I think it was with Crom or one of the. It might have been with Corin, you know, uh, or uh, what's his name, Robin, where I got an A plus, and they're like, he and he's like, so what are you doing? She's like, I'm following to protect you, to make sure you stay safe. Are you? Are you always? Are you? Are you stalking me? No, I'm protecting you. You're going to always be doing this, aren't you? Maybe. We're going to have to have a talk about this at some point. Like, it's that. It's just It's just funny. I just, she likes to make big people uncomfortable. And I, I just find that hilarious. So, anywho, uh, yeah, lots of fun characters to play in this game. So, so you are in favor of stalker behavior, right, Phil? Uh, yeah, absolutely. When it makes me okay. laugh, it's totally okay and justified. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's not happening to you, it's totally okay. As yeah. Mel, Bro- Mel Brooks said, tragedy is when I get a paper cut. Comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So the last thing I want to talk about was the DLC, because Koei Tecmo has a little bit of a reputation when it comes to DLC. Now, to be fair... Uh, they've done a decent job with these uh, with these spinoffs, and and this is Fire Emblem is is just kind of uh, one of those steps in the wrong direction. But for the most part, they they were like with with Dragon Quest Heroes. I don't even think there was DLC. Was there? I do not believe. That. I don't believe so. So they 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 behaved. They behaved themselves. Um, and and Hyrule Warriors on the DS and the the Wii U that came out before this did 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 pretty well and we'll talk about that when we get there but fire emblem took some steps in the wrong direction as this was around the time when koei tecmo was was diving a little bit into some dark directions eh, mike well phil i decided i took it upon myself to do a little research on a more recent koei tecmo product dead or alive six and i I know Mr. Apps has just joined us and is still in in awe over the the avarice of Koei Tecmo's DLC practices here. As an example, you can either get the DOA6 maid costume set for 19.99 or you can get each individual character's doa made costume and there are 17 of them so 17 times $1.99 each you know i think that costs more than 19.99 i could be wrong but i think that might be a bad value if you just hit the add all dlc to cart function but for those of you who do not feel like individually sifting through the 460 added content items for Dead or Alive 6 and just want to add all DLC to cart, you are looking at a price tag as of today, April 15th, 2020. This could change within hours. $2,173.40. Oh, God. <laughs> Good lord, that's expensive. That's like two of my mortgage payments right there. That's like three of my mortgage payments. I mean, oh, yeah. Do I get a free house with every purchase? I mean, is that that how it works? Uh, No. Phil, what you get to know is that you, you and others like you are directly responsible for helping Koei Tecmo's poor, poor shareholders get a good return. 
Uh, Doesn't that bring you joy? That's, no, then, it just makes me sad. I was going to say, it brings me something. Because Dead or Alive 6 is a fighting game, maybe fighting games are just more prone to DLC. Let's look at something a little more comparable, like... Dynasty Warriors 9. Everyone knows Dynasty Warriors 9 is a great deal by itself. But let's look at all 171 pieces of extra extra content you can buy for the game. While, oh my goodness, if you go for all of them, add all DLC to cart, you are only looking at $678.30 in DLC costs. for a for for a core game that costs uh, oh 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 my goodness it's a it's a positive ripoff to poor Koei Tecmo right now only forty four ninety nine why wow, that's a steal the really sad thing is that there wouldn't be like just nasty DLC like this if people wouldn't buy that stuff don't be that guy you, you know that it wouldn't be there if people actually didn't spend any so money on. so for eight hundred dollars boys and girls. You could probably buy every Dynasty Warriors game, every Samurai Warriors game, every Pirate Warriors game, Attack on Titan 1 and 2, uh, and probably every other Koei Tecmo spinoff I can't think of, and have a hell of a much better time than playing Dynasty Warriors 9. Wait a minute, you're telling me I can't look like a maid, though. Well, this is probably true, but I would imagine so your, your argument no, is no, invalid. No, what's the, what's the point if we can't look like a maid? No, exactly. no, Matt, Matt, remember, if you are getting some of those older games before this stuff was broken out for DLC, you will probably be able to unlock it simply by playing the game instead of buying Ooh. the DLC. Okay, well, you've sold me. Matt, for that kind of money, you could hire a maid for a year. <laughs> so, uh, not, not in the United States. So, this, but eh, maybe. in other countries, yes. So this, this, so understand that in its place in history, I don't have like a chronological calendar up in front of me, but when Fire Emblem uh, Warriors was coming out or came out and they were thinking about the DLC strategy, it's during these dark days where they're moving in this direction. And a little bit of that seeps into this. So there's three different pieces of DLC you could buy. I want to say they were nine or ten bucks. I got the season pass. I normally don't do that, uh, you know. But it was twenty bucks, and I really like Muso games. And it was okay. It's not at least it's not two thousand. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always that <laughs> argument. You got all the DLC for twenty dollars. That's amazing. I got That's it amazing. all. So we have just, we, just think it would take you and somebody else's stimulus payment to buy all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, just one household like my household. <laughs> yeah. And, and you will be helping the poor Koei Tecmo bottom line, which has been so, so ravaged of late. Well, won't I, you think will, of the poor Koei Tecmo shareholders? And I will be kicked out of the house for spending two grand on, DL, on DLC. <laughs> but the Koei Tecmo shareholders... <laughs> Who's going to re- to report to them and say we couldn't convince poor Kelly to to willfully give up twenty one hundred dollars for our DLC? We, our profit margin is point zero two percent below what it should have been. We didn't meet our prognosis. It's like I don't ever want to hear people complaining about Squeenix's DLC ever again after this. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so the first, the first cut, the first, uh, the first paid DLC. There was some free. There was some free uh, DL DLC, like uh, Japanese voice pack and the such. And I will say, by the way, um, they have they they patched this for quite a bit and added some stuff um, for free, like the some history mode uh, stuff. Uh, they added. Destructible clothing, so your clothing looked more damaged as you went through the fight or whatever. Uh, and there, they added like new levels and a couple of other tweaks. So they they did they did do a good job of supporting the game after release. Um, the first paid DLC pack was Fire Emblem Fates. Now this caused a collective groan in the community because one of the criticisms about the original roster was that it was really heavy on the newer popular 3DS games. Kind of makes sense from a marketing standpoint, but for, you know, longtime fans, there's like a wealth of characters they could have picked from, and it, it, it felt like they went with the easy, well, the easy picks. To be fair, a lot of those games didn't come out in the U.S., so I can kind of understand why they would shy away from releasing those characters. Yeah, yeah, that's most fair, people, too. Even most Roy, know everybody knows Roy from Smash Brothers, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, but m- most people only even know those characters from uh, Fire Emblem Heroes, the mobile game. Right. I forgot that existed. And Roy. I don't That's think true. Roy's game ever came out. So Not in English, no. So you got uh, Asura, which which I like a lot. Uh, Oburo, which has a pretty good, unique... Uh, both of those are spear fighters, and they both have unique fighting sets. And Niles, who I'm not super familiar with, so I don't have a lot of comments on Niles. Isn't he? Wait, is he the archer with the patch, the eye patch? Anybody oh, know? Razor's brother. Oh come on! One of you guys <laughs> should know this. Now I'm going to Google. It. it is. You know what? It is. I was right. Okay, Niles is an archer. He is an archer, and he has. He also has. I mentioned. I don't know if it got killed in the bad recording, but I mentioned earlier that. Uh, oh no, I didn't mention. Haha, because we haven't talked about Echo characters yet. So one of the. <laughs> One of the Debbie Downers about this is you do have 20-some different characters, but a lot of them have the exact same movesets as others, uh, especially when you get into, like, the, the horse riders or the or the archers. There's three freaking archers in this game that look a little different, have different Muso attacks, but their combos and stuff that you're really tapping into, um, they're, they're, they're pretty much the same. And uh, but Niles had a completely different archer archery move set, so that's pretty cool. So that was a really good, you know, relatively speaking, kind of a good um, uh, DLC thing. There was also uh, some new weapons and char- weapon characteristics, such as sword breaker, axe breaker, lance breaker, uh, you know, and the such. So uh, pretty neat. Plus, you could get the bond charm, which would allow you to build up relationships faster. So there's a little quality of life in there. So that for eight bucks, that's a pretty good deal. Then with uh, then we got Shadow Dragon, which gives you uh, Minerva, Lind, and uh, Naver. Um, and I think I liked uh, Lind. I think she had an original move set. Uh, you got another history mode. You got some costumes. Uh, they added some more destructible clothing for some of the characters that were already there. Uh, so, but kind of this one felt a little bit not as good because you only had one or two original movesets instead of three original characters with their original with their own movesets. There was basically one or two echoes, um, you know, whatever you want to call that. And what's really funny with these echoes, it's like, why would I level them up? They have the exact same moveset, the exact same weapons. They have 
you know, unless you really love that character and the way it looks. Eh. So it kind of looked like they were starting to get a little greedy. And then you have uh, the pack number three, Fire Emblem Awakening, which has uh, Owen, which granted, he's pretty fun. Uh, he's just funny. Olivia and Tharja, um, which, again, I like Tharja's lines, but she's kind of an echo of Robin. So same exact attack moves and the same attack, hard attack, everything else. It just felt more and more like a, a bit of a, of a ripoff. Uh, a couple of history mode scenarios, a couple of new costumes, and um, a couple of new weapon characteristics, but that was about it. So it, it just felt like they were just kind of going down this this road of just like, okay, we got we did sell season pass. We got to pump something out. We don't really want to put a whole lot of time and make some original characters with movesets. Let's just throw out some skins and call it a day. So there was some criticism and some flack for that. Personally, I think what you want to do with this, it's still it's not nearly as bad as two thousand dollars for made outfits. Um, <laughs> it's nowhere still, in that vicinity. You're not just getting made outfits; you're getting Santa outfits too, oh, and schoolgirl outfits, and wedding outfits. <laughs> Stop it. That's um, just not okay. I didn't get any of this DLC. I take it that most of the destructible clothing is on the female characters. I'm just going to take a wild guess. Let me take a look at the list of names here. So, destroy clothes for Krom. Oh, there you go. You can oh, see your boy okay. get there beat up. Uh, Lucina, Robin, who can be a boy or a girl. Uh, Lisa, Federic, uh, Cordelia, Owen, Tharja, Olivia. Uh, and that's another cool thing we didn't really mention. If you're playing Corin or Robin, who were the protagonist of the last couple of 3DS games, you get to, you basically pick their gender by going into the costumes and choosing it, the male or the female costume. So I think that's really hilarious too. One day I'm... I always, I always play female Robin and Corin. I like their designs better. Oh yeah. I play, I play male Robin, but female Corin Cause I do like her design better. I, I think I just picked male to begin with and i just kind of stuck with me for robin now, but i think you're right i think the design's probably a little better did they ever put byleth into this game and put what oh, this was out this was a long time ago okay i well i wasn't sure if they had just gone ahead and stuck her in there as a final update or not mm-hmm. and maybe i'm i'm probably confusing it with smash don't think so but uh but you can oh hell i didn't know i didn't know crom had a pretty boy outfit I knew Lucy. Uh, what's her name? Lucina. She has yeah. in uh, the D- DLC. The, uh, one of the clothing they gave her was a pretty dress outfit. But I think the Krom here's got a pretty boy outfit. I'll paste it into the chat for you guys, which I'm totally doing on my laptop so it doesn't crash the recording. Uh, but that's pretty cool. Can I do that? So Phil, we're talking about disruptive clothing and made outfits and uh, some some little innuendo dialogues and you know does that mean we're going to get into the uh what is it the senrin kagura kagura wait wait how did you how did you know i'm into that look i play it for the gameplay okay it's got an excellent (laughs) combat system uh with a lot of action it's kind of like a muso game you know i love muso games okay and that's all it is that's all it is i mean kelly only plays the game for the gameplay you only play the game for the gameplay it feels like we're defending our reading of Playboy magazine here at this point. No, no, we're talking about this is clearly a much Matt, classier don't subject. Don't you remember people read Playboy for the articles? Articles, Always. yeah. It's uh, this is for all the gameplay reasons, not the clothes ripping DLC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> nothing to do with clothes. 
Oh, hell, they even got a really cool outfit for Lynn. How come I don't remember seeing this? I bought the DLC. Oh, now I have to go find out whether I have to unlock it or not. It might be unlockable. So that's pretty cool. Uh, anywho, uh, generally speaking, what I would suggest is you play the game, play through the story mode, spend some time in the history mode that's there with the base game. Make sure you update it to the latest patch, by the way, uh, because there's, there's free DLC within those patches. And then if you're really enjoying yourself like like we have, uh, like I have, then you can you can you can pay for the DLC uh, bundle and just get it all at once at a bit of a discount. So that's that's I, even though those later ones are a bit on the little bit of a lackluster side, we're we're talking relative relatively speaking with the discount, it kind of all washes out. And I I don't regret uh, buying the DLC here. I don't suggest you pay two thousand dollars though for certain other. <laughs> when you look at the price of this game, and I'm sure you'll do your price roundup soon. Uh, the price of the game. Is real. I got it for about the price of the DLC, so. Yeah. Actually, I did have that pulled up, and then my thingy closed, so I have to open it back up again. But uh, eShop, Fire Emblem. So you can get you can get the, 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 the game on a cartridge for 20 to 30-ish dollars, depending on if you want to mm-hmm. do used or where you look. And that's a, pretty, that's a pretty darn good deal, especially for the hours of, of fun. Even if you just do the story mode, it's worth it. But if you get into any of the post game, you like the gameplay that much like we have. I've definitely got my money many times over on this one. Uh, so that's pretty cool. The if you buy it off the eShop, uh the 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 base game's like sixty. So you would want to add it to your wish list and wait for a sale, maybe. Um I, I think it's where I paid sixty bucks and I don't regret it, but uh, you know, now that's been out for a few years, you could probably just wait for it to get thirty. I like these are the type of games I uh, when I bought Hyrule Warriors, I, I bought the eShop version of it because these are the type of games I like to go to over and over again. So, but I did get this one on cartridge. Uh, but you can get the they do have a season pass bundle that includes the game for eighty because usually the 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 season pass doohickey is twenty. Uh, yeah, the Fire Emblem Wars season pass is nineteen ninety nine. So if you just get the cartridge for $20, 25 30 tops off of eBay um, or Amazon if they're selling it there, then you can just pay the extra 20 bucks and get the season pass later on if you like it. Oh, out of curiosity, has anybody even tried to play the 3DS version? Yes, I have. How what? does that play? It's okay. I mean, if you don't have a Switch yet, it's passable? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. It's not, it's not the best, but it's not horrible. Because yeah. I remember I almost bit on the um, 3DS version of Hyrule Warriors and then thought, no, no, I, I just don't think that's going to play very well. Re- remind me to talk about that version when we talk about okay. Hyrule Warriors because I have played plenty of hours into 3DS Hyrule Warriors. I might pick up the 3DS version for my collection just if I see it cheap. We have spent over an hour talking about Fire Emblem Warriors <laughs> And this is really funny because when we did the first take of this podcast that my computer ate, uh, I think we only spent like 20 minutes on it. But since it's taken me over a month to get back to this uh, point, I had a month to spend a lot more time in Fire Emblem. And my personal appreciation for the game has deepened. Kelly's always had an appreciation for the game. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I've beaten it in the past month too. So, I mean, my appreciation has grown since we last did this too. Your opinion doesn't count. I knew you guys would come around. Yeah, your opinion doesn't count, buddy. Mr. I like to play her, her, she whose name shall not be spoken. Um, yeah, well, I'll Voldemort your ass. <laughs> I like, Avada I, Kedavra. 
I just like female characters with very large axes. You, no, you, no, we're oh, we're talking about no, no. Yeah. She's fine. She's perfect. I'm talking oh. about that other female character you like, the blonde-haired really? one that we give to all the, the movies. Rowan. Rowan. Oh, he's even worse. <laughs> so no, your opinion's invalid because it's wrong. It's totally wrong. And, and with that, we're gonna go ahead and take a break. Uh, we're gonna be back, boy. If we spent this much time talking about Fire Emblem, how much time will we spend talking about Fire Emblem or Fire Emblem Hyrule Warriors? <laughs> Find out. Yeah, we got fire on them on the brain. What can I tell you? Uh, well, uh, hold on tight and you're going to find out. talk about Hyrule Warriors. We're going to be talking about the Definitive Edition on the Switch. But first, just to give you a little bit of a foundation here, Hyrule Warriors was originally developed by Omega First and Team Ninja on the Wii U uh, back on September 26, 2014. Uh, and I believe we got a DS. I think that it was, out It was a little bit a little after bit. because um, the March 3DS version's the the 3DS version's big feature was that it had all the DLC. Uh, March 25th, 2016, yeah. And uh, and then the Switch later on. Nintendo Switch Worldwide, May 18th, 2018. This is a single-player, multiplayer hack and slash. One thing we did forget to talk about real quick, uh, go back to Fire Emblem, is you can play <laughs> a crap ton of the map. I know we just can't stop talking about it, But you can play a crap ton of the maps multiplayer. Yes, yes that, that was actually a big... That's big, a big selling factor for it, me. It is <laughs> a big, big point because I get asked all the time... Why can't I play Musou game XYZ a multiplayer? And to be honest, they're not generally... The way their structures where you go out and you're going to beat a crap ton of weak soldiers, it, it doesn't lend itself well. When you take a game, look at a, a horde mode game like Earth Defense Force or a Monster Hunter game like Monster Hunter, those, those are centered around really, really tough enemies. Uh, even when you're fighting lots of them, they can all absorb a lot of hits. And it just they just lend themselves more to team-based tactics. Whereas in Musou games, it's really just being at the right place at the right time, carving through millions of soldiers. And since most of those Musou games only really focus on one, you know, basically you're playing one big soldier who's, you know, to have two or three or four that could each go to different objectives at the same time would completely break the game. But since Fire Emblem is based on the idea of having through two or three or four captains all going to different places at the same time for the heart of maps. It works out really well. Uh, so, and plus our hardware can handle it these days. Hyrule Warriors does allow on the Switch anyways, does allow some co-op in a limited number of situations. Um, it is it is not across the board, that is for sure, uh, which is a bit disappointing for people who want to sit around and play it with their kids. Don't know anybody like that. But, uh, but... It is still a super fun game that we are going 
going to uh, to talk about. All right. So the story. Uh, so and, and yeah. So yes, there is some link and some Ganon. Uh, I, I, I've never claimed that this, you know, that the, that the story here is super great, but I, I'm really surprised, you know, really for an original story, how well this is written, uh, or, and what they put into it. So yes, it starts off with Link, uh, being told by his little fairy. He's kind of like a new warrior. It almost seems like you're playing him in like his original, original, like soldier armor. And, uh, and, and Hyrule Castle's under attack. So you join in the fray and, you know, before long, you're meeting up with Zelda and in true Musou fashion, uh, there are portals from other worlds that are kind of opening up. So characters from other Zelda games this is your excuse as to why they're all uh, starting to pop in and the such. And it's kind of, you'll get those typical fights that you get that we talked about earlier where, oh, there's a misunderstanding. So he's fighting to you to test you out. Uh, yeah, it's you know that part is kind of the cliche, you know, boring, whatever um, and whatnot. But then at some point during the story, and, and I, I'm not going to go over a single detail here, but but at some point during the story, uh, the the you you uh, you are I, the, the, I think it was Sia is is the one who's opening these portals, trying to bring back like some sort of great darkness or whatever have you, and 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 she uh, she gets she pulls it off and brings back Ganondorf's you know spirit. Uh, and for a while, you get to play Ganondorf, and that's really cool. And as he's taking over Hyrule and doing his thing, and he's got his minions, and I thought, well, this is pretty damn cool. And and we're going to talk about the characters later on, but playing Ganon, he's a badass. He just, you play Ganon, you just destroy. And it's just so empowering, and it's so much fun. Of course, eventually you got to get back to the goody two-shoes, and they got to you know, save, you know, save the world and do their thing and whatever have you. Now you think that that would be your typical story mode and that would already be better than most Musou game stories and that would be, oh, that would be all she wrote and you move on. But then you also have two side stories that, that run parallel to this. One is you got the story of Linkle. If you haven't heard of Linkle before, Linkle kind of looks like a slightly younger female version of Link. We'll be honest, she even wears the cloak and everything. But she is a totally different character. She is funny as hell. She she has been told by her parents or her grandparents that she was going to be the hero that saves Hyrule. She's got the hero's cloak. She's got a compass, the ones you find in the dungeon. She's been called. <laughs> And and monsters start attacking the town, and these you know town doofuses are like, "Hey, Linkle, it's your time to shine." She's like, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah," and she starts you know putting on her crossbows, and she gets out there, and she starts, and she goes out there and fights. Um, and it, and they're like, "It looks like you know after she saves her town, they're like, you really are the hero, but it look you know it looks like there's something bigger going on. Maybe you should head to Hyrule Castle." And she's like, "You're right." And I have the map, da, 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 da. you know, I have the map. So I'm going to, I'll get there right away. She pulls out the map and she clearly doesn't know which side is up. So she starts <laughs> running and, and this is with a cutscene that you see every time you win a battle with her, but, but mm -hmm. it fits into the story. As she's running, she passes right by a sign that says Hyrule Castles to the left and she's going to the right. You know, <laughs> so she's kind of the, you know, she does eventually find her place in the world, so to speak. It's a really cute story. And it convinced me that Linkle just wasn't some sort of fanboy version, you know, made up of Link. 
that they really put some time into fleshing her out and make it feel like a completely different character. Instead of using a sword, she uses twin crossbows. And we'll talk about more of that when we talk about the characters, but she's a lot of fun. Then, now that would be, and then she circles around. She eventually joins the rest of the heroes later on in their story. And that brings it back to the main timeline that we were dealing with. But wait, there's more. You also get to play Sia. So Lana and Sina are original characters made for this. Now, in the other Musou games, whether it's Dragon Quest Heroes or it's Fire Emblem Heroes or uh, some of the other ones I could mention, you, you, the, 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 the new characters added to the game a lot of times are just these generic Japanese tropey characters that are supposed to make you feel like, okay, this is your character, right? And, and we're going we're gonna to pull these JRPG tropey heroic, I'm here to save the world type of bullshit garbage and and you'll want to play them right you get that in all three of the games we previously mentioned but here the original characters are not they they, they are not the snappy hey i'm out just to save the world i'm a goody two-shoes uh you know they, they they are actually an integral part of the plot and one is mostly good and one is mostly evil but it's not as black and white as that. There are actually some, some pretty deep plot character development thingies kind of going on there. And it's very interesting. And I won't say more than that because while we normally spoil stuff here, I just want you to go in and play it. It actually is a pretty cool as far as story modes go. The disappointing thing here is that there's not a whole lot, if there is any at all, I don't remember. There's not a lot of real voice acting. You get a lot of the go blah, 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 blah. Uh, whereas with Fire Emblem, we got really good voice acting. It would have been nice to see some of that here to really bring that story home. There is a narrator that reads between the scenes who does a good enough job in, in taking you from point A to point B in between. Uh, and and your sprite will speak up. Hey, listen! Da, 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 da. But for, for the most part, there's not nearly enough, I don't think, voice acting uh, going on in this. During the cutscenes, too, some of those are just the characters standing around. No dynamic poses, no nothing. Kind of takes away a bit. And you kind of get that with later Musou games. They've really gotten Dynasty Warriors 9. <clears throat> just really horrible presentation on these stories. But, uh, uh, yeah, Hyrule Warriors wasn't all the way down in that, that end of the spectrum. But it could have used some better storytelling techniques. But with that being said, you uh, we're, again, we'll talk about more when we get to the characters. But, man, you really feel the love here. You really feel like the people who made this game really, really like The Legend of Zelda and tried their darndest to take this idea of a Musou game uh, and the whole normal excuse that Musou games use for pulling different universes. you got to have a good excuse why Cartoon Link, you know, and Tetra <laughs> is fighting side by side with Ganondorf and, 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 and regular Link and uh, Sheik. You, you, you got to have some good excuse for that. So it has to be portals from other worlds and there has to be misunderstandings. But they also went the extra mile in making... Uh, at, at least three original characters uh, the, 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 with, with uh, Linkle and and those other two and, and blending them into an overall plot and narrative that they actually kind of want to see what's going to happen next and and you know they're going to end up saving the world at the end because it's Zelda but but being able to play as Ganondorf in the middle of all of that and believe it or not he's not the main instigator again you have to play it to find out more but it, it's, it's just I thought despite what Matt whose opinion doesn't count thinks I thought the story was pretty cool <laughs> No, it, it, you're right. It is a good story. There's more than just beat Ganon. And there's, I think it's really cool here that you're playing those parallel storylines. You're playing, you know, Link going to defeat Ganon, but you're also playing Ganon going back through the areas and taking them over. And then Linkle is like a complete end around. It's really funny how it's set out linear, linearly 
and you've got the parallel, but then Linkle's story is like way back to Act One, complete end around the way that her story goes, and it's at the same time with Link and Linkle. What have we had so far with this episode? We had the uh, twins in the Fire Emblem game that were made for that. Uh, we had Dragon Quest Heroes Two uh-huh. had the male and female twins uh, that thought they were cousins but were really twins. And you go back to the first one, and you had the brother and sister in the Dragon Quest Heroes. So you've got this parallel in all of these games. They really, really wanted to give you a male and female unique hero class. I mean, I know Link's not unique, but I mean, how are you going to have a Hyrule game without Link being the main character? But they introduced the female, basically, Link. So, yeah, they did a they did a really good job. And we've said it on every one of these. You just mentioned how well they did knowing their source material. Again, they did a really, really good job with the IP they were given and just ran with it. Yeah, just just really, really did. I'm pretty good with this. You're still going to have, yeah, you're still going to have some of that same story. Devour friendship, man, just to creep in there. I'm sorry. It makes me cringe every time I say it, but there, it, at least it isn't every single other freaking scenario like it is in Fire Emblems. It is just, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get. I'm not telling you you're gonna go home and just, you know, you know, this isn't no Game of Thrones stuff or anything along those lines. But, but it is at least compelling enough for me to want to see what's gonna happen next and with every single scene. So that's the story. Uh, let's talk about the 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 gameplay and what makes the Hyrule Warriors different first off the the combat scenarios how are the combat scenarios and the action there in the combat scenarios different from the previous two games made it to me it plays just like a legend of zelda game but with a billion mobs on the screen well please explain that comment i mean the whole environment and stuff looks like it's like right out of um twilight princess or uh skyward sword with the graphics but then because like you've got the um link's castle or the hyrule castle and then there's just um moblins and stuff everywhere and there you and even even there's some of the um gorons there in in the levels too oh yeah and just mowing down all of those gorons and uh, moblins and other things it's just so satisfying and you have all of link's tools too so Mm -hmm. boomerangs bombs uh what what else Um, arrows and they were really they were really important to do like the arrows had to take down those like piranha type plants and yeah they had to use boomerangs at certain times and bombs at certain times they uh so so talk about the monsters for a minute uh i will tell like we talked earlier i think it's really funny we could like do these side by side and who gets the better letter grade uh the monster variety and the such isn't as good as dragon quest heroes uh, and they're not nearly as threatening, but they are heads and shoulders more fun to look at than the ones in Fire Emblem Heroes, which just oh, very basically much so. face because they have so much personality, so much color, so much contrast. Like you said, it's like you're playing a Legend of Zelda games, which for the most part are pretty bright and colorful and vibrant uh, games. And you totally get that impression here. And especially when you go from you'll be fighting the normal Moblins in the first few levels to later on when you're in like Tetra's world, you'll be fighting those cartoony looking moblins that are just look literally like wicked little imps you know there's definitely some good and to the to the rock creatures you're talking about like there's definitely some good uh contrast uh with those so so you mentioned the items and those items can help you navigate around the map right there yeah <laughs> or, or get through get up to certain places get around yeah. to warp zones 
you have to unlock the owl statue each map before you can use the ocarina to instant warp to them. And I was like a couple of maps in before I realized that you could do that because I was like tearing my hair out. Like, there's no way I can get to that keep in time. And then I'm like, what do these owl statues do? Oh, okay. Very important on certain maps because we talked before about the necessity to almost be in two places at the same time. And in some of these maps, you will have the ability to control more than one hero. And, and so you can send one hero to the other side of the map while you focus on defending this keep. And then once you're done defending the keep, immediately, you know, press the down button on your digital controller to hop over to that other body or up button or whatever it is left, right. And you, you hop over to his body. Um, so that's pretty cool. But there are some maps where you're the only character. And so how do you, and these, some of these maps are really big. How do you get from point A? Oh, you warp. So that, that, that can be helpful on those maps. It isn't on every map, but on the maps it's there. It's very handy for zipping around quick. Or if you're just trying to get your S rank, it'll help shave off some seconds. And yeah, as Phil, you were mentioning, I think you were alluding to it and Kelly took it towards that. But yeah, like you use the grapple hook to get through certain environmental stuff. And there are places you need to go where there's a big plant blocking your way and you use the arrow or there's a pile of rocks blocking the, um, the canyon through the valley and you pull out your bombs. So it was important to use those. Yeah, but you also have boss uh bosses uh monster boss monster bosses that yeah. have mechanics similar to the zelda games now mm-hmm. to be fair you know mo- boss monsters are nothing new you got them in both fire emblem and in dragon quest heroes but here you have those mechanics where uh where well why don't you all talk about a little about some of those monsters and how some of those mechanics um i Bear in mind, I'm only like a third of the way through the story mode in this game, so I haven't seen all of it. But I know that one of the boss monsters had like a giant eyeball and that you needed to hit with the arrows, just like one of the um, Zelda bosses. It's a big spider, like an Octorok or something. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you, that thing drove me insane crazy. When I first fought him, I died like twice. I couldn't figure out the timing. Like you really need to dodge through his laser or if he's going to do the straight laser. And there's tells... It's not nearly as bad as Monster Hunter. They give you lots of warning, but when you don't know what those tells are, you get your butt kicked. But once you mm-hmm. get it down and you dodge the laser beam and you shoot him with the arrow, it's very satisfying. Yeah, and there's the one monster you got away from to open the mouth, toss the bomb in. Yeah, Dodongo, the dra- mm-hmm. the, the big Triceratops creature. And, and yep. A few times in the different maps. So mm-hmm. you, even later in the game, you're like, oh, wait a minute, I know the mechanic behind this one. Right. So. You're right. If you know your mechanics, you learn, from, you learn the patterns. Yep. Yep. If you know your mechanics from the previous, from the real Zelda games, it can kind of give you a little bit of a leg up on these guys. It can. Yeah, they could definitely come in uh, to handy. I will say, having not played every Zelda game, some of them were a bit harder than others, like Shadow Ganon, where you get to play the I forget exactly what it's called, where you bounce the bullet back and forth. <laughs> The dead oh, man, yeah. the uh, dead man's game, or something like that. Volley. Uh, I always called it Fireball Volleyball. Yeah, yeah. So you have to do that to get him to, to get his stun gauge to show. So we forgot to mention, like, when you're fighting these bosses, the whole point is to get their stun gauge. They take very little, minimal, minimal damage when when they're not stunned. So you're going to wait for that opening, hit him with the bomb in the mouth, whatever. That'll bring up the stun gauge, wail on him. You might take a couple of these rinse and repeats before you deplete the stun gauge. Once you deplete it, they'll do a really killer massive move attack that does mega damage and depending on your attack rating that could be enough to finish off the monster right there or you might have to rinse and repeat a couple of times mm. so uh but like with with shadow ganon the ganon fights can definitely be more difficult because shadow ganon 
you also at some point he starts laughing he's the one from the cartoon zelda i just never fought him before he starts laughing i'm like do i hit him with the boomerang do i hit him with the bop no no can't figure this out and then he i lose the battle because i took too long uh found out that what you gotta do is when he laughing you gotta run behind him and attack him from behind it's even better if you do a muso attack uh but that'll bring up the stun gauge almost instant so who knew get him from behind uh so and then there's uh and this is this is definitely spoiler territory so feel free to plug yours if you don't want to hear this you want to figure out for yourself but at the end of the main story mission and some of the um the adventure modes you'll fight i i I call him mega ganon you know but it's basically ganon in his monster form he's huge he takes up the screen and he has powers of just about all of the big bosses combined Okay, so he can shoot the seeds from like the man, the man handler, or he can he can fire the fire breathing thing of the the Dodongo. Uh, He's got the laser beam of the spider, you know, whatever. And the thing is, after he does each one of those, you're going to want to hit that part of his body with that weapon, uh, with that item that it's weak against. Uh, And uh, and then once you've done that to every one of his offensive extra monster parts, they'll break off. Uh, they'll do the shattering effect. And once you get through all of them, then he just goes, kind of comes after you. He'll jump and come after you. And you'll get this brief moment where the gem on his head will shine. And you're going to, and the game kind of tells you it's part of the story, but when you play it through the first time, but you're going to shoot him with an arrow. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that'll bring up the stun gauge. The first few times, man, it just took me so long to just get the timing, the patterns down, figure out what was weak to what. Uh, it, you know, it, it just dawned on me that, oh, wait, he's shaking a tail just like the flying dragon. I need to pull it down with the grappling hook. Uh, and, uh, and then, but once you get him down, you get him down real quick. But it was definitely a more fun fight, figuring all those different mechanics out. So a worthy final, very massive. So let's see here. <laughs> and as we mentioned, the Fire Emblem game, sometimes you will have maps where you have multiple characters. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, the only strategy there is you can go into start menu, give them commands, but it's really just a have an extra body that you can jump into that's already in point B while you were fighting in point A. They don't really do anything. Like if you send them to a keep to try to take over a keep, the keep will never get taken over, I swear. It happens once in a blue moon, but otherwise I swear they're just over there playing their Nintendo Switches. They're playing Animal <laughs> Crossing. That's yes, what they're do. doing, right? When you're in an I Nintendo mean, Animal keep. Crossing is addictive. It is, and that's what they're over there doing. I swear, I'm going to catch them one time. I'm going to run up and catch them. Animal Crossing is not addictive. I can stop anytime I want. <laughs> we also uh, we also didn't mention sometimes there's fairy there's keeps that are uh, that are elementally protected and you need a certain fairy to remove that elemental barrier. Otherwise, you'll take consistent damage while you're in that keep. So that's kind of another mechanic, you know, that's in the battle itself. Mm-hmm. So, but to help you with that, you've got you know a ton of different warriors and and you've also got your fairy friends because there's fairies in this game. That was kind of one of the additions, I think, with like the, the 3DS version that came later on. I don't care, remember if there was fairy in the original game, but my fairy, the my fairy system. Uh, but the my fairy system, you find them first in adventure mode and and you can feed them to basically level them up. And the more you level them up, you feel certain requirements. You can give them skills. Uh, I like shadow fairies because when you're fi- when your magic meter's full, uh, normally you can do like a fairy attack or a magic attack and that does some damage. 
Um, you can activate it like the warrior mode in Fire Emblem, where you just are going to do mega damage and then do a big attack at the end, which is fun to watch. Or my favorite thing to do is just click on the fairy, activate your fairy's powers. She does some AOE damage and puts an effect on the enemies. The shadow fairies weakens their defenses, which allows you to get through bosses much faster. Shadow fairies. Don't leave him without shadow fairies. <laughs> when you were talking about the fairies, I thought you was talking about the great fairies that pop up that uh, teach you powers and stuff. Yeah, some of the maps definitely have those mechanics. Yeah, I kind of went off the track a little bit because, yeah, that, that's closer to the whole combat mechanics where some of the maps will definitely – stories will definitely have, like, certain objectives, take over certain games. You get there, there's a fairy, and she'll give you a certain power to help debuff the enemies or open up some doors that were closed your way or whatever it may be. Those story battles are massive, too. Like, I've had some of those going for 40 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And you had them going for 40 minutes, and I played the whole game co-op with the six-year-old. Mine went on for a long time. There were times we'd have to pause and be like, oh, my gosh. And it really hurt if you lost. I mean, you got to keep the XP, but... Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, was there... There was checkpoints, wasn't there? There were checkpoints. Yes, there were. Oh, okay. Phew. Yep. All right. I used a lot of checkpoints a lot of times going back. Um, I think the first time you had to battle Ganon... My gosh, we must have done it seven, eight times. Just keep going back to checkpoints because it was one of those things where you had to be all over the map. Yeah. And Ganon's attacking here, but you need to go get this checkpoint there. And oh my gosh, all of a sudden he's beating up this person there. And it was like, ah, oh, I, I can't be like, in four places at once. I, like, I remember with some of the older Dynasty Warriors games, those games were just slower paced and the maps were big and it would take you a long time to get from point A to point B. And so it wasn't unusual to have 40 minute maps. And I don't remember what game it was they added saving. So you could literally save anywhere on that map. You could save your progress. It was such a godsend because, yeah, nothing's mm -hmm. worse than spending 40 minutes. I mean, granted, again, with, with Hyrule Wars, you get to keep the experience even if you, ex if you accept the defeat. Um, so you haven't lost all progress. But, man, some of those maps. You already have to do some of them multiple times to get all the Skulltella. You, you literally don't want to play them over and over again because you oh, couldn't Oh, God, those Skulltella. Trying to find some of those jerks. Oh, yeah, and they're usually the ones hidden. There are a lot of the ones that involved a lot of the mechanics of using the bombs to destroy yeah. the box and grappling hook to go up here. Because they kind of, on the mini-map, it kind of shows you where the Skulltella is, Skulltella mm -hmm. is but it's not exactly. Whole, I mean, It's a whole corner of the freaking map! Yeah, I was going to say, the area it highlights is still something that you could walk around for five minutes and not exactly And it's it. only there for like 90 seconds tops. Mm -hmm. And so you're running around God's creation looking for it. And this is the one time, like normally I have podcasts on the background, people are talking to me. And I'm like, wait, everyone, shut up. What is it? No, shut up! <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm almost there. I'm looking for a spider. What spider? What are you talking about? Okay, boo, got it. All right, sorry. That was a Skulltella. I really had to get it because if you don't get it, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can go back to a checkpoint. Like you gotta do the whole damn game over. Like you don't want to miss yeah, the Skulltella. I, I'm pretty sure you're right that you have to do that whole board over again. If you yeah. So skull, Skulltella is for the the few people who didn't play like Ocarina Tame or whatever have you. You might remember in Ocarina Time they were hidden all over and you collect them for who knows what purpose. I don't remember. But in Hyrule Warriors, it, each Skulltella represents the piece of a, an illustration. Once you unlock the entire illustration, it unlocks a special adventure mode map, which which I haven't gotten far into. My, I've unlocked my first illustration and half my second one, but I haven't had... I, I, I looked at the, the map it opened up, but it 
didn't look like I said, uh, you know, to Kelly's point, I want to go finish easy maps first. So I didn't want to jump into it just yet <laughs> to see what's there. But yeah, if that opens up. I'm sure it opens up more powerful items and the such. But uh, but yeah, the, the mechanics in these battles are are pretty fun. And I will say the different things about the enemies buffs, DBF, the, the mechanics that are going on, the Skultella, uh, the way you can kind of jump up on the different ledges. Uh, you know, I would have liked to see the items used more. I, I, you know, in battle to be more useful in battle because if you throw a bomb against anything but the Dodongo, um, or the laser beam cannon that's weak to it, or one or two other things that are weak to bombs, it, they don't really do much of anything. You, the boomerang at least will stun the regular mobs a little bit, which can be useful in certain situations. The items can also be used in in those maps and adventure mode maps where the enemies have like one life point, literally one hit kills, and if you want to stay at a distance, the bow and arrow might be a better option depending on the character you're playing. But for the most more time, it's really just for enemy weaknesses. Now, this is where I have a little bit of gripe with the combat system compared to other Musou games. I personally am not a fan of patience because I have none. So when I'm... <laughs> <laughs> so the idea that built into the game is this idea that I got to stand around and be patient until the monster provides an opening for me to shove a bomb down its throat is not super fun. Uh, and, and it really got frustrating on some of the tougher monsters like the Manhandler, uh, which which I don't know whatever, I don't know what crawled up its flowery ass, but it didn't want to do its attack that leaves its piranha plant heads open to the boomerang. And it's nigh invulnerable until it does that. So I'm standing around taking C chip damage for what felt like three minutes on a map that has a 10 minute time limit because sunshine wouldn't open up. And yeah, it Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, it had 3D platforming kind of put in there a little bit too much, learning the boss patterns and everything. And, yeah. you know, in general, you're just going to blast things away, hit the buttons as fast as you can, get those weaknesses down, get their stuff down. But then, yes, like, yo, gosh, the spider waiting for him to shoot that stupid laser like once every 30 seconds. And that yeah. being the only time you could actually shoot the eyeball after that was... There, there was... You're right, patience. With the spider with the eyeball, you, you eventually find out from playing the game for hours that there are certain sweet spots you can be in front of it that that, that encourage it to attack more often. Mm. So, you, I mean, this is how... And I shouldn't have to do that. Um, with I, I say this is where Fire Emblem uh, Heroes gets an extra point over uh, Hyrule. Because with Fire Emblem Heroes, when that stun gauge... You can force the stun gauge to come up by being mm. aggressive. When mm -hmm. you have weapon strength... That, wet, that gauge will pretty much come right up. You don't have to wait. You can wait for him to take an attack and miss, and that'll also bring the stun gauge up, but you don't have to, especially, again, if you have weapon strength. Or you just enter into, uh, for, like, bosses and stuff, you want to do it quickly, you know the clock is ticking, you just enter into awakening mode, right? And you immediately get weapon weakness or weapon strength to that creature, uh, that boss, in Fire Emblem. But in Hyrule Warriors, you're waiting, you can activate your fairy power, whatever, your magic, you're waiting. You can do a Musou attack, but since his, his guard wasn't down, it doesn't do much damage. Even a Musou attack doesn't do much damage. So you have no choice on those bosses, by the way. And for the most part, once you get into a pattern, it moves a bit smoother. But I just, I, that's my problem with Zelda games, period, is on the older Zelda games, uh, especially like Skyward Store or whatever, where, where they got more and more into those mechanics of, you can't attack until he turns his back. And that's why I don't play stealth games. But I don't want to rant too long because otherwise the combat's very satisfying. And when you're fighting like 
most of the creatures, you're not really too worried about that. Um, and, and usually if you've got enough weapon power when it comes to fighting other heroes, because you will fight a lot of Links and Linkles and Ganondorfs and Zants, uh, you know, and the such. For the most part, you can be pretty offensive with them. They don't have these insane defense values like the monsters do that are waiting for you to hit with a weapon. Uh, that might have been why it's so noticeable for those monsters, because there's mm -hmm. not many. But the no. ones that there are, it's like, oh my gosh, you're waiting, waiting, waiting. Yeah, especially when you're not used to it and you don't know where those sweet spots are at. So, oh, Dodongo, freaking, I'm waiting for him to breathe so I can stick a bomb up his ass. I mean, in his mouth. And yeah, <laughs> he just, he's just sitting there. He does the stomp. He does the roll. He does the roar. None of these are going to hit me. I fought him enough times I could do this blindfold. It just opened up your gut freaking mouth so I could shove up the kid. But, you know, I'm cool now. I'm cool. Got it off my chest. But <laughs> overall, overall, it's still that Muso formula. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and thankfully, I think to your to your point, thankfully, the monsters are peppered in. I would say they're almost too much peppered in, but not quite. They're, they're just enough to be showing up on my irritation bar, but not enough to where I just don't want to play it. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's even yeah. one per map. You know. No, not usually. No, no. If you're like playing, I know because mm -hmm. I spend a lot more time in adventure mode than story mode. I can tell you, like, yeah, an adventure mode it averages out to less than one per map. There will be some mm -hmm. where there'll be two or three or four. It might be even the point of the map. Right. Um, but and and there's there's like uh, there's a couple of them like uh, the oh the accursed I forget its name the big huge black thing with a big mouth at the top with toes. Uh, the accused. Uh, the he has a weird name, but anyways. His one, his you can be offensive on. It's just a matter of killing off his toes. And then his his stun gauge shows up. So some of them, and Shadow Gan, as I mentioned earlier, you can be pretty offensive with, um, once you get him past the first phase. But anywho, moving on. But Valsons is pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Now, what makes it more cool, what, you know, with these pluses and minuses, I think, it, in my opinion, it'd be good, but not great. But what elevates it to great are the characters. We ready to do this? Ready to dive into characters? There's a metric ton of them i know so what uh, we're uh, you we're going to talk about we're, so we're going to talk about the characters but but i do want to give i'm gonna go through them one at a time because i want to give everyone enough opportunity to at least talk about the ones you love if you if i say one you don't love and you don't care about it then don't say anything it's fine and i'll just tell you what i remember about them because i played all of them um <laughs> because i have played but anyways we'll start off of course with link now, what's interesting... Now, let me point out something here. When you compare Fire Emblem, which came out before a Fire Emblem... I'm sorry. When you play, when you compare Hyrule Wars, which originally came out before Fire Emblem, right? That mm. It came out with, like, 20 characters, give or take. But, but what... But, but, and so did Fire Emblem. Uh, they both had DLC, and they both got up to around the 30 range, right? But what's really cool about Hyrule Warriors... It's each and every character plays completely differently. There's no echoes here. There's nothing even close to echoes. And to make this even a more insane value than having 30-some different unique ways to, to beat the crap out of Moblins is the fact that some of these characters have multiple weapons with their distinct styles, each one with a distinct style. Let's take Link, for example, because you have the, the, the Hyrule Sword and the Master Sword, which pretty much use the same set let's be honest but the hyrule sword moves faster um and it's just broken but then you've also got the rod you've got epona the or whatever what is is it epona yeah the horse? the horse yeah thank you the horse is a weapon in the game it's a weapon you can <laughs> equip and level up it's a weapon it's insane you got the spinning top i don't know what game that's from 
but it must be from a um, game somewhere. Twilight Princess. Thank you. Uh, and 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 you get to play. Uh, oh, the gauntlet. The gauntlet, which is so insane because he, he can lift up anything. It's a gauntlet of strength. But when he body slams people, he body slams the entire world. He takes it, it gets caught in the ground, and he flips the entire world over, unless you're playing the 3DS. Uh, and it's insane. It is crazy. And then you've got fairy. The fairy isn't the weapon. No, 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 no. The gigantic fairy you were talking about earlier uses Link as a weapon. She's captured him in a jar, and she walks around whacking people with the jar. <laughs> with him inside of it. That's pretty crazy. It is insane. So what did you all think about playing Link? Because he's one of the first characters you play, so I know you have experience. I'm, I mean, he's kind of the Mario of this game, kind of the jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, well-rounded character, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that's intentional. Yeah. It, like I said, I played the whole thing two-player, and my son wanted to be nobody but Link. So, honestly, I didn't get to play Link very much. <laughs> he always wanted Link, and he always wanted that Master Sword. That is pretty much all he did with that. So I, I ended up being all the secondary characters um, playing around, which is pretty cool because in co-op, you can pretty much take anybody into any map. Yep. Like, a as a second player, like, I was I was Ganon, beating up Ganon. So why the hell not? Because why the hell not? Like, there were missions where you had to fight. Link got captured and turned into Dark Link. So my son had to be somebody else, and I'm like, ha-ha, I'm player two. I'm going to be Link anyway. So that, that's when I got to play Link. Right. Normally wouldn't have Link there, but um, no, he played great. I, I think he's your basic character, but he's also one hell of a basic character. We have uh, we have Impa, uh, who has shown up in one form or another in a number of games, including the, an older, I don't know if it's the exact same Impa, because there's a number of characters. Uh, in the 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 tribe uh, with that name, but uh, in Breath of, the but anywho, uh, she's got I believe a couple weapons: the big spear and this I forget what it's called the jackets or whatever. Um, didn't y'all play Impa? Yeah, she was all right. She played more like a heavy character to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of a heavier, slower. The I like the fire thing on combo four with the spear that that kind of sucks enemies in, and these blades come fire blades come from different directions and just crash in on the middle of these guys that's pretty cool but being a heavy heavier feeling character she's also a bit slower which i don't usually enjoy a whole lot she tries to be mobile but she tries to be slow at the same time and i don't know it just didn't really blend super well so she's not one of my favorite characters chic totally not zelda by the way totally my god that one blew my son's mind when it re was shown to be zelda because oh we've never mind. played any of the zelda's games the no, zelda I games and he plays chic on a Super Smash Brothers, so it was like, what? What? Oh. <laughs> got got a harp. So did anybody play Sheik and the harp? I played Sheik a little bit, and I like her quick, quickness. But what I was reading, just watching the reading through a tier list, that Sheik is broken as hell if you know how to play her. She oh. she she is. So every so you, you you know you have C one C two combo one combo two, which is basically combo two is light light hard combo light hard. Um, but I think it's like her C three or C four combo that brings up like a lightning wind shield and and uh, oh 
Oh, let me start over. Whenever you do a combo, she gets an elemental symbol at the top, which, by the way, we haven't even t- we won't go through. But each one of these weapons also have different mechanics. Aside from all their different combos, some of them have extra powers that have to do with the hard button. You, you got this in Fire Emblem. We didn't go into a lot of detail with that in Fire Emblem, but it's really robust system here. So with her, her special thing is whenever you do a, 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 a combo, C1, C2, C3, whatever, you get a different element. When you hit the hard button, it discharges that element. So, you know, if you do, uh, and I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but if you do lightning, you'll get like this lightning element and then you hit the hard button, you'll get a lightning shield that goes around you. You do fire and it spits out a firewall in front of you that can burn enemies. So yeah, one of them, I think it's fire or the air that is just insane. You just run around and just do damage while you're already doing damage and it's just damage all around. It's damage for everybody. It's painful. Uh, then there's like the prelude light, which I never really got into deep into this, but to your point, uh, I know it's a common tactic because it creates a field of light that regenerates her, her muso, her muso gauge, uh, which is just free. just, uh, that just makes her even more insane and crazy because she can muso left and right. It's, it's just, yeah, no, she's a super overpowered character. Um, a lot of fun to play and very quick. Uh, we have Lana, one of the original characters for this game. Did anybody put a lot of time into Lana? I did. I really liked Lana. That was one that I did a lot with. She fights with the, uh, and I just used her tone, the magic book. The magic book, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the ma- magic. Just, what did you like about the magic book? Yeah. yeah what you like something about different. You weren't, uh, you weren't going up and just whacking people. You were casting spells. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you could stay a couple steps distant and use that. So yeah. All these combo one and combo twos are a lot better than mine, but it, I, I never had a hard time. Did you do her combo four where she jumps on a block? Yes, I love that. And then she just like rolls on the block. Yeah, isn't it great? She just runs over enemies. Yep. It's great for just plowing yeah. through bosses and stuff too. She made like a magical corridor, and then the blocks just smash everything in the corridor. Mm-hmm. Or her Muso attack where she'll make like a corridor of force fields and then just hop between them, kicking everything along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very energetic, very spunky, very uh, spontaneous in how she uses her magic. Uh, she gets, she also gets like a, a rod that does a lot of nature-ish spells that I don't really use too much. I don't like it a whole lot. But then her third weapon uh, that you really want to get, boys and girls, you want to get this. Stop what you're doing right now and just Google this up on YouTube. It's Lana's Summoning Circle and you want to see specifically the Muso attack with it. So she has a weapon that's a summoning gate. I'm sorry, summoning gate. And as you do C1, C2, C3, she'll summon up, she'll basically summon up creatures. It's a little on the slow side. That's the only problem. You have to kind of plan your moves a second or two ahead because it takes time to summon really cool stuff. Um, she doesn't have too many quick moves, but... It is just so much fun to watch her summon up miniature version of bosses that go off on enemies. And then at what I think it's one of the C1 or C2, she summons up one of those piranha plant stalks and she'll go, she'll, because she's so spontaneous and all moving all the time, she'll go, dun, 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 dun while she's doing a dance and the stalk dances with her as it's killing enemies. <laughs> That's cool. It is hilarious. I didn't think I got that. Yep. That's cool. Then, but, I I think I saw it, but I um I didn't really like using her that much because her attacks just seemed well I they seemed very random to me because I didn't realize that you had to be you know hit certain buttons at certain times. If yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, getting the combos yeah, Kelly, down. Kelly, me too. 
Okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's the it's Musou fun. game. You just press X to win. You just well, press well, X. Yeah. It, Unless you're Phil. Unless you're Phil. <laughs> Who's put 100 hours into this and knows. Yeah, it, uh, it's the whole trying to hit. Uh, what, what am I trying to say? Like, trying to count out light, 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 heavy, light, light, heavy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I struggled uh, with that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes those things happen because that's what I did. Sometimes they didn't because. Oh. And there's so many times where I'm like. Heavy. I'm trying to pull a C3 to summon or a C4 to get her cube attack going and I don't time it just right. I end up with a C3 or a C5. Hmm. So yeah, that can totally happen. Um, but I, I don't want to stop without mentioning one more thing. Her, 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 um, her Muso attack with the summoning gate. She goes, ha ha, cha cha. She does all these arcade really quick movies that look super cute. And then this big summoning gate appears on the ground and what comes out of it but a gigantic cuckoo or chuka, what are they called? What are those chickens called? Cuckoo. Cuckoo. A big cuckoo head. Yeah. And it looks left and it looks <laughs> right and all the monsters are looking at it and then it comes up out of the ground doing damage to everything that's close of its big ass and then it goes running away. It is hilarious. It is it is just oh my gosh, that never gets old. So it's not a weapon that I'll use on a really tight, tough map, but when I just want to laugh and it's, you know, an easier, more laid back map, I'll definitely pull up her summoning gate. It is just so much fun. But her her magic book that you're referring to is good in just about any situation. I really mm-hmm. like that. She's a really strong character. Uh you have uh Princess Zelda, which I want to make a comment here. One of the other things you can do in this game is you can unlock a lot of different outfits, more than Fire Emblem. There's a lot. Uh, there's just a lot of in this Ultimate Edition, Definitive Edition, especially. There's just a ton of outfits that you unlock mostly through the story mode and later on in the in the, in the adventure map mode. Uh, I really like the way Zelda looks in her Breath of the Wild outfit because they got her Breath of the Wild. I mean, it looks like it's made for battle, whereas normally she's wearing a dress. I can never understand wearing a dress in a fight, but the the Breath of the Wild thought. Anywho, uh, Zelda. Anybody play Zelda? No, not really. I didn't get that far. She has uh, she has a cool mechanic. So she has a sword made completely of light, and uh, and and she can power it up uh, by hitting the hard attack button, and it basically makes her gives her a different move set with her combos, which is pretty pretty neat. She can do a lot of uh, area effect damage with the sword of light. Do one point drawing a, a tri force on the ground with it that damages all the enemies in a circle. So it's 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 a little tough to master, but it's really. Uh, Cool. It's a really cool concept because she'll oftentimes transform it from a sword of light into a bow and back again because it's just made of light, so it can be whatever. But it's usually a bow or sword. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, she's also got a dominion rod, which she uses to control a gigantic statue that beats the crap out of everything. It's awesome. I just I, I haven't spent a lot of time with it. That's one weapon I, I just got. I haven't spent, a, but I love it. Because it just, as you're hitting the light, light out, this big, huge statue just comes up and whacks all the enemies for you. So you're beating them up through proxy. So <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. Uh, probably for move on. Uh, my characters is sad. Uh, oh, I was gonna say you're looking at the same page I am. Ganondorf up next. Ganondorf. All right, Ganondorf. Woo! All right, who played Ganon? No one uh, played Ganondorf. Yeah. Okay. Not really. No, I probably did that on one or two maps. Just to. I, I will tell you. Ganon is a freaking bad ass. When you get to him in the story mode or whatever, you just you're just like, oh, it's Ganon. He's gonna be this slow character. He is he is kind of slowish and bulkish, but man, he's got the power to compensate for it. He does he, he so every one of his combo attacks fills up a dark gauge. When that dark gauge is mostly full, or better yet, all the way full, you can hit the hard attack button just once. 
and it'll basically do the almost the equivalent of Muso attack. He just creates this area of darkness all around him as he floats up into the air, then just Superman punches the ground and everything dies. It's it's <laughs> it is does massive damage. But that's aside from the fact that his combos themselves are pretty punishing. He just feels more powerful uh than the vast majority of characters it is it is just it really does a really great job he's also got like um a spear a trident uh which is okay but the 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 original weapon the twin swords to me it's is the way to play the guy and he's just fun he's got a couple of cool different outfits including his breath of the wild and twilight princess outfit and such so uh definitely recommend who's the next character still haven't looked at what page we go we got darunia uh, oh the big rock guy hey. Big belly guy, yep. Okay, did you play? Never did. He he rolls around. He's big, heavy, slow. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan myself. Uh, just one of those big, heavy, slow characters. He has a big hammer. He is mm. pretty funny. Uh, he laughs a lot, and he's always smiling. But yeah, just not crap. Uh, and, mid, do we have Midna next? Rudo. Rudo. Rudo is uh, the water princess. Yeah, spirit. Mm-hmm. Spe- yeah, spirit yeah, princess. Very flowy, like her movements. Uh, so she's always got a pool of water wherever she's going, and she's diving and she's jumping out of it. And 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 when she does attacks, she'll make a bubble of water. You'll actually see fish swimming in them as the enemies are <laughs> drowning and floating around as she's zipping around and doing these these harsh attacks. Um, and she has one of the longer range attacks because when every one of those attacks she does fills up a water gauge, and when that's full, you can uh, hit the hard button, and she'll send. She'll go into this aiming mode, aim or hit the hard button again to fire a wave of water that's very long range, pretty damaging, but pretty cool in the fact that it's it's long range and get enemies far away. There's some enemies you just try not to get close to if you can help it. So pretty fun. What else? Agatha. <laughs> this Agatha really shows how much these people love this game. Because I've played hours of Zelda games. I don't know who that. Beep. Agatha. I had to Google this shiz up. Do, do you know, Kelly? <laughs> I know. Um, she's from Twilight Princess. She's the bug collector. Mm-hmm. And and she's not like a real prominent character, or is she front and center? I mean, if you don't give a crap out of the, out of the bug lesson, you're probably never going to see But in Twilight Princess, she was basically how you upgraded your wallet, I think. Yeah. And, while. and that's why Phil doesn't read. But this, this is, this, that shows you the love that they have in this game, that they, 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 they got her in there. Her, her, she is not one of my favorite characters to play, unfortunately. Um, her attacks are a bit slow. They, they, they tend to summon stuff. You, you can have some fun. It, her C2 attack summons a huge-ass beetle that pops about the ground, and it takes up a lot of space on the ground. And it happens, but it takes a solid two seconds to show up. So you got to predict where your enemy's going to be at. But if you do it right while they're being juggled up by this bug, you've already got your next combo going and you can kind of get into this juggling rhythm. Um, but it's kind of hard to kind of keep going, especially if your enemies zip around a lot. So I, I think it's really cool that they added her in. It's just not somebody I want to... Onward then to Midna. Yeah. Twilight Prin- Princess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, did you say Midna or, Twi- or, wait, there's two Midnas, right? Yeah, there's two Midnas. There's Imp Midna and Twilight Princess Midna. Right, Sorry, so, I, Imp Midna. Imp Midna. Okay. Yeah. So she, she mostly, Imp Midna is kind of small, but mostly, uh, will, a lot of her combos involve summoning, uh, Wolf Link and riding him around and running over people. And that, that is something that's a bit of a learning curve because, 
there's so much forward momentum going on. It's like fighting with the horses in Fire Emblem, the horse characters. You got to get used to that forward momentum to be effective with that character. She also has a mechanic where with the heart attack, she'll grab enemies with her hand and empower her shadow element so that she can do shadow elemental effects to others. So that's kind of a cool mechanic. Um, she's pretty fun to play once you get used to her. But I can see a lot of people being turned off if they're just casual players and playing her once. You I think I did her. It. I think I did her quite a bit comparatively, you know, throughout the story because I know my youngest son, my uh, three-year-old, would he remembers seeing her a lot uh, as an assist on Smash Brothers again. So he's like, "Daddy, pick her, pick the little girl." Yeah. And yes, yeah. I do remember like that hand coming and grabbing the monsters. Oh, that hand's cool. I mean, it doesn't grab bosses too well, but uh, it's fun watching <laughs> squish little guys. What else? Uh, Zant. Uh, Zant, uh, Zant. Zant has interesting... He's really wacky. He's kind of all over the place, and he has moves that have to be timed, but they can clear out a lot of space. Um, he, he does a lot of shadow constructs. He's a bad guy, uh, so you kind of expect that from him. Um, he's giggling all the time as he's torturing the whole type of uh, thing. Uh, I, I had a hard time getting into him. I know a lot of people time getting his attacks down. And I never really played around with mainly the uh, the enemy characters as much. All right, Next. onward to Fee. Fee, so Fee is the spirit of the sword from which game, Kelly? Um, Skyward Sword. Thanks. From Skyward Sword. And she's another one of those characters that moves a lot when she attacks, but she she's almost like she's ice skating all the time. It's that much forward momentum, and it's that kind of slowdown, which is to say hardly none at all. She's all the time going around, which can kind of be kind of cool when you just want to kill things and zip along at the same time, but sucks when you're dealing with bosses that are aggressive, that are spamming you with the attacks that you would rather be kind of dodging, but you're trying to get the attacks in at the right moment. And there's one mission in adventure mode, the easy adventure mode, mind you, where they trap her in with a couple of those big creatures. I think they're called in prison, whatever they're called, but the big, huge creatures with the toes um, that you got to beat up. And on one hand, her sweeping AOE kind of attacks are kind of good for taking out toes, but they're the toes that they're giving off vibrations and you have to hit them at the right intervals. And that's really hard to time with the fact she won't stay still. And, and I could not get an A ranking on that to save my freaking life. I had to come back much later when I had a ton of coins to spin on and basically overpower her. For, and I still barely got by because I really needed an A rank to get whatever it was, the heart container or whatever. <gasps> not definitely not my, my fave. And we're on to gear him, gear him. Mm, gear him, gear him, gear him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bad guy. Cape. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, didn't uh, no. He he's a kind of a faster rapier type of attacker, but I feel like other characters kind of do it better. He's he. The really funny thing about him is at the end when he's doing his little victory dance thing, his long tongue will come out and like lick his chops at be Don't play that in front of your kids; they'll have nightmares for life. But yeah, I, for me, not a ton of fun to play. What else? Uh, speaking of not playing in front of your kids, you know, every time Sia appeared, that was always interesting. You know what, Sia? You know what? She just she has natural beauty and she likes to flaunt it. You thought that they couldn't get any fan service in the game, but hell, if they can get, um, what's her name? What was her name again in Fire Emblem? The one we were talking about? Oh, Camilla. Uh, If they can get Camilla into Fire Emblem, man, they're going to get some Sia into Hyrule Warriors. Hey, those uh, great fairies, man, they leave nothing to the imagination. Oh, this is true. This is true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because the last time we saw great fairies, they were like pointy and kind of ugly and ocarina of time so seeing them in full polygons kind of nice 
See ya. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sia, Sia is another original character in this. I won't say more because I really want you guys to play a story and it's one of the, the joys of playing story mode is, is, is learning more about Sia and her story and what role she plays in here as mostly a bad guy, whatever. But, um, yeah, her, her skill set, she'll, some, she has, she has, uh, let's say a bit of a love for Link or jealousy or something. So she summons up like Shadows of Link in one of her combos and uh, a number of her combos. Uh, that dude, the fighting for her. She also uses sweeping attacks with her whip because, of course, she would use a whip as a weapon. Of Why the hell she would? Wouldn't? Why not? Why not? Um, You're spilling out of your outfit. You know, you might as yeah. well. <laughs> might as well go for the whole dominatrix act. Uh, yeah, but she, she wears high heels too. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, she's okay. She's all right. Not a ton of character I spend a ton of time with because I don't want to explain to my wife when she's walking through. <laughs> Yeah, that was one oh. I just definitely with my son. I was like, you know, the the less I play with her, the better. Oh, every every time I run into one of those characters like that, I show my husband my switch, and he's like, boobs. She'll definitely make you go boobs. <laughs> then we've got the person I feel that showed up the most in the game as an enemy, Volga. Volga was everywhere. Yeah, yeah, Volga is extremely ag- aggressive as an enemy. Nothing is the only thing worse than fighting Volga is fighting Volga when he has other people around to distract you. Because the minute you turn your back on him, he's opening up a can of whoop-ass on you. He's mm-hmm. he's very powerful, very aggressive. Uh, he can be fun to play because of that. And he turns into a gigantic dragon. I'm sure he's from a game I don't remember. Do you do you know, Kelly? Do you know? Have you ever heard of Volga before? Oh, the name sounds so familiar, but I'm blanking on it. Um, I can yeah, probably but... click on him. Oh, wait. Darn it. Where do you go from? Hi, he's an antagonist. Is it right? He might no, be original. He had to be from something. Maybe he's original. Yes, yeah, he. I think he is. Something. He's a general in Sia's army. He's, he's a general. He's definitely original. He's original. Okay. All four original characters. Woo! We're learning something new. There's four original characters now. Yeah, yeah. Very vicious. Very aggressive. Uh, be careful when you see him in combat, but especially if he's surrounded by other generals, because holy cow, that's some of the toughest fights in the game. Because he just he doesn't stop. And a lot of times you'll fight him and he'll retreat, and then you gotta fight him again. There's a lot of missions in the story mode where you had to fight him multiple times per mission. Yeah, but he is kind of cool once you get him and you start doing all that shit yourself. So mm-hmm. it, it pays off. All right, then we got Wiz, Wiz, Wizro. Wizro, like, you, you know, you remember the ghost from the original, you know, Legend of Zelda games that could fire off waves. He's like their commander and oh, stuff like mean, that. You mean those things that made me want to throw my controller across the room when I was a little kid? <laughs> Bingo! And guess what Wizzaro makes you want to do? Those little jerks who fire a shot at you and then vanish and then fire a shot at you from the other side mm-hmm. of the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wizzaro makes me want to throw my controller. So his attack, you know, he throws a lot of, of, of balls of negative energy out in different waves. It might be a, a straight light in front of him or it might be a cone or he'll spin around and do a 360. And that seems cool in principle. And Lord knows it's painful when you're fighting him and he's doing that shit. But when you're playing him, he's just so gosh darn slow and actually executing it off. You can't help thinking, boy, I wish I was playing a faster character here. And pull, when you do pull off those moves, they don't seem to do enough damage to justify the windup. It's not like Ganon, who truly makes you feel powerful. So, yeah, not a big fan. Then we've got the Twilight Mid... Twilight Twi- Mid... Yeah, absolutely a big su- su- surprise. Like, I, I don't know why I didn't... I, I think you unlock her later on or something, but when she popped up... And I started DLC oh, from the original. That may be why. Ah, so whenever she She's popped up, I remember. Later, it was, yeah. yeah, she was later, and it and that was a cool surprise. 
Uh, I thought that was pretty awesome, just in concept. But when you play her, holy shiz pickles. She's, she is powerful. She is very diverse. Her combos are quick. Uh, they, they, they just take up a lot of area. Her three combo, her three hit combo, three hit combos aren't too hard to pull off. Her three hit combo will generally pull up a gigantic cannon. This thing is huge. It's a shadow cannon that or light cannon because it fires light, but it's huge. And it fires the longest attack in the game. You fire it down the hallway. All those enemies are dead. And it does really great damage to bosses as well. It's not like it's she's only good against mobs and not against monsters. Uh, she'll whack him with the chair. She doesn't care. Uh, and, and she, uh, as if all that wasn't cool enough as it is, she's kind of like Ganon in that she's got an extra bar that charges up. And when you, when it's full, you get to do this extra Muso-like attack that wipes out the entire screen. And, and then her Muso attack wipes out the entire, like, there, there's no stopping her. She is just, she is just awesome and powerful. One of the really cool things I like about her combos too, she's a very classy lady. When, uh, she uses, she uses, uh, shadow or light constructs, you know, with magic to beat up her enemies. And when you're doing like her light combos, she'll, 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 this big hand will just sweep away enemies. It's great for clearing out rooms real quick. But when you do the heart attack at the end, she'll ball up in a big fist and hit him. At the same time, she's balling up her own fist and she's rolled up her dress, uh, her dress sleeve. <laughs> like, I'm going to really give it to you. And it just looks cute because she's wearing these, like this, this gown and she's going to punch you with her small little womanly arm. But in front of that little arm is a big, huge social or a social construct. It's a big, huge shadow construct <laughs> arm that's going to beat the crap out of you. It's cute. Very Green Lantern. Very great. Mm. Thank you. Yes, that's a great reference. That that encapsulates that mm -hmm. idea perfectly. Good, good, good call. She's your <laughs> Green Lantern of the team. Black Lantern. Yeah, Black Lantern. All about death. Speaking of the uh, Green Lanterns here, our next couple players... Uh, if you want to keep going on these one and one we can keep going, but we've got Young Link and Tingle are our next two. Yeah, Young Link jumps around a lot. He's a lot faster than... He feels a little bit more jumpy and faster than regular Link, uh, but a lot of... But he his, his Muso and Harder attacks, he'll put on the mask and turn into uh, Ferocious Link and go go to town. He's pretty cool and he's very effective. Tingle... Kitty Link? No, yeah. Tingle, not... Tinkle. No, it's Tinkle. His name is Tinkle. <laughs> oh, it is? I, no, I'm just messing no. with you. Uh, he's horrible. Just, no. He's horrible. I'm I want to like at the image of him, and I don't even remember. I might not have unlocked him yet. <laughs> I, I, I want to like him. I, he's a cute, funny guy, but in Why combat, do you want to like him? What? What? He's <laughs> missed a golden opportunity. Sorry, my cat's knocking stuff off my desk. They missed a golden opportunity to make the arguably the worst character in Zelda history OP. But surprise, surprise, Tingle sucks. He sucks. <laughs> or they could have given you the opportunity to murder him or something. That would have been Yeah, fun. that too. He the only thing it could have been a, a twist like with Scooby Doo, Scrappy Doo was actually the villain all along. Tingle was the villain all along, and you have to kill him. But no, he looks he, like the character in an animated TV show on at Christmas that even Santa would be annoyed with by the end. He's like a, one of those characters from the eighties, like Snarf, that nobody likes. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> horrible. So, 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 really, the only thing worse than Wizaro is playing a map where you have to play Tingle. Oh, God. 
Yeah, and there are some adventure maps where you don't have a choice, and it's oh, sad. Geez. I do the same combo. I think it's a C2 over and over and over again, because nothing else really. All right, what else? <laughs> uh, we're on the Ganon. Yeah, we, we've been there. Yeah, uh, we talked about him. It's the monster Ganon. Oh, like yeah, you can beast play. Mode Ganon. Yeah, you can play beast mode in certain maps or certain things, which is kind of cool, but it's novel and it wears off quickly. All right, so I don't know if these others are just people that follow you around, because we got the Kuko, Linkle. Let's see. Uh, real quick, we also have King uh, King Daphne's who mm-hmm. uh, runs around in a big boat. Um, so he's pretty funny, but kind of slow. Uh, we uh, 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 Medi, the girl with the duck bill. Yeah, yeah I didn't, didn't play yeah. her a whole lot. I tried to avoid her. She looks. Um, Ravio, the shopkeeper, which pulls stuff out of bags and whacks you with it. That's pretty funny. <laughs> you got you got Toon Zelda, who's inside of a big night outfit and she's kind of slow and it, and at first i'm like okay this is a cute idea because for her muso attack her spirit will come out hit everything with light zelda magic then go back into the suit of armor which is kind of slow and powerful um so it's a really cute concept but in playing it it just feels kind of slow and then you learn that she rolls around a lot and uh like she turns into a ball like kind of like sonic and it's actually pretty <laughs> fun once you get rolling and you figure out how that works. Oh, uh, but I'm bum. Yeah, exactly. Once you get it rolling. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yoga, which is uh, from some of the DLC, but he's the guy who does the painting frames. Didn't play him a whole lot, so I'll have more of an opinion on him later. He looks cool enough. But what uh, the last, uh, or, oh, no, next to last, Marin. Marin, what what game is that from, uh, Kelly? Do you know Marin? Link. Link. Link's says she's just a reoccurring character, so she might be in a couple she, different ones. Um, her. Yeah. Awakening. That's right. That's up. right. Yeah. No, made. you're right. I remember her. Yeah, yeah, because she talks to you a lot. Stuff. I, so, I, get, I got her confused because sometimes her name is Malin. Ah. Uh, Malin and Talon. I I was surprised at how much fun she is. Because, I mean, yeah, she's in Link's Awakening. She's just kind of a, a lady wearing a cute little dress, kind of your typical JRPG, kind of, you know, innocent girl look. And not, you know, didn't, didn't think that was a super exciting concept. But, but and she uses a bell for a weapon. But apparently the bell can summon gigantic whales. Whales of death <laughs> and destruction that will flop down on your enemies. Um, just, uh, or in her Muso attack, will just come across the land and run smack into them like a bus. And it's very painful. And but but her combos are surprisingly screen clearingly effective. And it she ended up being one of my favorites, even though I didn't think she was that awesome of a concept. And then and then oh, uh, uh, also there's a Skull Kid mm-hmm. from Majora's Mask, and he does a lot of screen clearing stuff. He's very mischievous and laughs the whole time. A little hard to get used to, but once I got used to him, it was it's just a ton of fun and really fun character just to watch watch him kill everything. And then last but not least, Linkle. Linkle has a couple of weapons. She has these boots. I think there's a weapon I haven't unlocked yet. Go figure. But the boots, the boots aren't that fun. She jumps around a lot. She kicks a lot. It just doesn't feel in combo that great. But her crossbows, oh, the main the weapon. Uh, oh. Linkle's crossbows are easily some of my favorite weapons in the game because of how fun they are. Just See, why? Why is it fun, Kelly? Tell us why it's just, fun. Just hit, hitting things from afar and that satisfaction of being a. It, it makes you feel like a ninja. Actually, to put it more succinctly, um, my my favorite class in Diablo three is Demon Hunter for the same reason, and she reminds mm-hmm. me of that. Mm-hmm. How about you, Matt? 
And I loved it. I mentioned that Bianca with the arrow was my favorite from Dragon Quest Heroes 1. And this, it, it played like that. I love the distance. And I, I talked about it earlier um, with using Lana, just having that magic where you didn't have to be right up in their face. Um, you'd be a step or two away. And Linkle could be even farther away than that. I mean, she had stuff that you, you would just go into machine gun mode with those things. Um, yeah, that that's one of those hard mechanics we're talking about, like that differ from some of the characters. Yeah, her mechanic is she has a bar that fills up when it's full, hit the hard button, and she goes into machine gun Kelly mode and just can line them up and just do massive damage, which, by the way, fills up your Muso bar. And when you use your Muso, it fills up your machine gun bar. <laughs> so you're not yeah, You can keep going back and forth with those. Yeah, not all the way. You do got to mix in a few regular yeah. attacks here and there, but they feed off of each other pretty well, making her a pretty badass character. And again, like I said, I played most of this as player two, so I could pick whoever I wanted anytime, pretty much. And I played Linkle a whole lot. So much. She is my highest level character. Uh, Link I... is 70 and she's 70. <laughs> Sorry, Link. Sorry, Link. She doing it right. So You're doing it right. So much fun to play. We we have got, that is 34 characters, some with multiple weapons, over 40 different ways to play this game. And while some of them certainly aren't home runs, uh, there was a lot of thought and care, uh, you know, put into all of them. I mean, they're very, very diverse. Uh, Dynasty Warrior games, some of them have different weapons for each of the characters, uh, but but the but the variations still make some of them feel very same-ish. Here, just everything feels so diverse. That's kind of why I want to go over with them. I know we took up a lot of time try to speed up there at the end, but I just want y'all to understand, like, there's so many cool characters, and that's probably one of the biggest reasons I love this game, because there's so many different ways to play it. It's one of the reasons why uh, I like uh, Monster Hunter. You get bored of one weapon, there's 13 other weapons with very deep combos and, and ways to play the game that make it feel different. No different here. Uh, it is really awesome in all the variety you get to play. Uh, even if you avoid some of the C minus characters we talk about. You still got well over two dozen really good styles that feel great. Definitely. Uh, la I, the music. What'd you think of the music? It was present. Oh, you're horrible. <laughs> very, very Legend of Zelda. Yes, it, it seemed very much inspired by Legend of Zelda games. Do 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 do. Okay, you hear that quite are, a bit. Okay, yeah. stop it. You both are horrible. Okay, didn't get old. So. So you can, you can, in the legendary edition, at least you can pick the background music, at least in adventure mode. And, and there are, I don't know, there are easily 50 tracks there. Some of them are doot doot, do, but the, most of them, a lot of them actually are very action oriented, really can get your blood pumping. Now uh, there are a number of riffs off the typical, uh, Lynx theme, right? Dun, 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 dun. And there's some rock and roll versions of that. And there's some remixes of that. So those are all there. And you're going to get that until you're blue in the face. But there's also some other themes based on some of the other games. And some of them are really, really. Very much so. Uh, graphics. Oh, it was awesome. beautiful. Yeah. Now, I only played the Switch version, so I won't talk about whatever else. But it was, it's beautiful. Uh, why is it awesome? Head wheels. Uh, wheels. It, it looks awesome. <laughs> Oh, I, it's Phil. It's not what Fire Emblem Warriors is. It's not those faceless guys. It, it's that. It's that really well done background, and then the monsters and the enemies. I mean, there's not the diversity and the iconicness, maybe, of the Dragon Quest monsters that you're fighting. Um, talking about those games, but it, it's close. I mean, if you're a, if you're a Legend of Zelda, big Legend of Zelda fan, then it is as iconic as those things. It's more iconic. Sorry. <laughs> 
Depending the, on your fandom, it, it, then it's just as iconic as the Dragon Quest for Dragon Quest fans. Um, they're the people that you fought from the 2D game on your NES through, uh, what is it, Breath of the Wild. So, Yeah, you're seeing a Dodongo for the first time rendered in 3D uh, that's attacking you, you know, straight up, uh, you know, coming right at your screen. It's pretty cool. The, the, the background graphics, Musou games we talked before, really aren't the highlight, and there's really not usually a crap ton of thought put into them. But this is one of the better job done, uh, jobs, I think. There's definitely areas where you're like, okay, that's a boring cave wall or whatever. That's a boring mm-hmm. fort. But there's also plenty of times where you're like, holy cow, this is a total reimagining of like uh, one of that whatever game that is, Skyward Sword or whatever. And it looks just like a little town from that. And it's just really cute. And, and so I, I feel like the, the, the backgrounds are, for a Musou game are pretty decent. Um, but then, of course, the character designs and the monster design, just really, really well done here. Um, I mean, yeah, a lot, they, a lot of different bosses. Yeah, I mean, they took what they again. I think we said this so many times on this episode, and, and over the course of so many nights. Um, but they they took their source material and just did an excellent job with it. Right. Uh, then, so time graphics thing do this. So I wanted to 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 talk about uh, the 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 end game. Talk yeah, about your talk about you your. Know, Mode you know, there. I love that in-game. Oh, you got... You got mm-hmm. I, I th- so, here's my argument. My argument is this. Hyrule Warriors is not just the best Musou spin-off game, but it is quite possibly the best Musou game. And and the reason for that, aside from the variety of characters, and we just gave you that huge argument of why, you know, how cool and diverse the cast is. Um, it's not the biggest cast. Obviously, the the... The Dicey Wars games have 80, 90 characters, or our Warriors Orochi game can literally have 150 characters. But we explained what? why this, yeah, oh yeah, it's insane, dude. Play oh my Warriors Orochi. Go play Warriors Orochi 4. You will never play the same character twice oh my God. in a month. Like, you just can't. <laughs> They're just, it's insane. And trying to level them all up, forget about it. Forget about it. Wow. But, but here, and, and, and I love those games. Don't get me wrong. I love Warriors Orochi. It's a fun and compelling fighting experience. Warriors Orochi 4 is really well done. I highly recommend it. But, but Hyrule Warriors for me is the better game. Even though it doesn't have 150 characters. It doesn't you need it. It doesn't no, it need doesn't. It characters. It it's just that good. The graphics may not be as good or smooth as, let's say, my PlayStation 4 Pro graphics with, with high, with, but it doesn't. Because, number one, the, the roster is so diverse and it's so much fun. Different ways to play the game like Monster Hunter. And number two, the end game. So you have adventure mode. In adventure mode, there's, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 different maps. Each of these maps are coming right from the game. Like the first map you play is from the original Legend of Zelda. And you're going to see like, uh, you know, the, the first square where there's a couple of little monsters there. And it'll tell you what the battle condition is. And you go and you fight those monsters. And as a, as a prize, you might win a bomb. Go to another square, and that'll open up the squares next to you. So you move on to another square, and there's another, you know, there's another um, uh, battle for you to do. And there might be a wall for you to bomb, which will open up more rewards or monsters or whatever. Uh, so there's secrets on the map, just like The Legend of Zelda. That's kind of the overlayer meta thing about it. But there's also costumes, higher-end weapons. As I mentioned with Fire Emblem, you have to unlock the, the stronger weapons for them to start dropping. So if you've only gotten two links, wooden sword, all you're going to see drop are wooden swords. But if you've pressed on to a harder map and you've unlocked the silver sword, you'll start getting silver swords on the harder maps showing up or the harder difficulty levels. 
Um, so you will look over those maps and you will start strategizing because as you uncover the squares, it's pretty easy to see what the rewards are. But some of the objectives to earn those rewards, like getting an A rank in some of those tough maps, can be really difficult. So you're going to start strategizing. How can I get that character up to enough level to take that on? Or do I need to go and get them some other weapon from somewhere else first? You know, you're going to start working through this. And it's it's pretty addictive as you're progressing and unlocking different chunks of the map. And then you need this item in order to be able to unlock this square over here to get across the river to get to that island. You're going to need a raft. You need to get a raft by getting it over here. Uh, in this edition, they add some quality of love, life stuff so that as you run out of bombs, you can buy more bombs. You couldn't do that in the original one. You had to go and fight for more bombs. Uh, but they, they they made some things easier on here. You'll also get material drops that we mentioned before at Fire Emblem. You use it to upgrade your characters to be able to get them more muso bars, more skills, more defense, whatever it may be. And you'll be balancing that across all your characters. Some of them share rare items. Some of them, some of those upgrades use unique items. Uh, some of the maps will have a unique item that you need to upgrade to the highest tier of something. So, um, but but you're always leveling something in these maps. And each of these maps, while you're pretty much essentially just fighting over and over and over again, there's different objectives for some of the maps. One of them might be just kill 700 enemies. Another one will see, say, how many enemies you can kill in seven minutes. Kill more enemies than the than the opposing team that will be fighting enemies at the same time. Uh, of course, you got big maps. You have small maps. You have maps with multiple characters. You got maps with war points. Uh, you got maps with giant bosses. You got maps with just enemy characters. Uh, there's a lot of different permutations, and they really, really do milk this for all... Oh, one-hit deaths. Let's not forget about those, uh, which will make you think differently about fighting. But they really do milk this for all it's worth. And and it took me... Because what the original Legend of Zelda was, I think, something like 16 squares by 12 squares or something like that. It's like... Uh, 150 squares who knows so that's 150 different battles many of which you have to do multiple times just to get good enough or to get all the skulltella or to get your a rank on or whatever it may be so i must have fought hundreds of battles to 100 percent that map and that's just one map oh jeez and there's 10 of those things it just the 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 it just it doesn't it doesn't really end but you are unlocking i think what's really neat is you do unlock some cool things now there are some of these characters are unlocked in adventure mode only. And if you look up an FAQ, you'll find out that as long as you've gone through story mode, which you're going to want to do anyways if you're into unlocking characters, because a lot of characters are unlocked through story mode, um, you'll want to do that first and get your levels in. You'll find out that getting the ones in adventure mode aren't that difficult. There are some that are in the hard level maps, but they're only a few squares away. Take your strongest character and hold on tight and you can get through it. <laughs> you don't usually need an A ranking. You just need to be able to get through the damn thing. Um, and I was able to unlock all of the characters. To me, that's like, I got to unlock all the characters first. I was able to unlock them pretty early on. Then then you can start looking at looking at the other maps for unlocking special weapons, outfits. There's different costumes. And there's some different weapons that you don't get through the story mode for like Link and Linkle and stuff like that. I'm sure there's still a couple of weapons I haven't picked up yet for the first time. Not to mention the numerous upgrades for the weapons I already got. Like with Link, I've already unlocked his highest, and Linkle, I've unlocked her luminous bows. That I had to get an A ranking in a very hard map, and boy was I cheesing it for all I was worth. I had to play that map 15 times to get an A rank. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, but it was it was so worth it, because now I've got the golden glowing crossbows of kick-ass. <laughs> I was so excited. I even posted on Twitter. They're just, they're just really powerful and really cool to look at. Um, 
So that's that's pretty neat. And I can take those and kick ass in other maps and make those maps easy. Uh, but yeah, to get to get some of the uh, uh, but like with Mirren, the bell the bell lady whatever, I've never gotten past her like second tier weapon yet. So her weapon's only one twenty power, whereas Linkles is five hundred. There's a huge difference there. So I need to find Mirren's at least second, third tier, fourth tier bell. So there's always something new to to uncover and discover and and new outfits. I was watching somebody play, and he just had outfits I'd never seen before. So I'm sure he's much further along than I am. They did a really good job of spreading these out, pacing this well. There is some difficulty bumps that I don't care for, some spikes, where on the easy map, you'll run into a mission, especially if you're trying to get the A rank or whatever the skull tells, that are incredibly difficult for my characters, which are pretty high level for that map. Um, You really have to apply your knowledge of the mechanics and how they work to get past those. I'm certainly not looking forward to some of the insane maps. (laughs) But... uh, but regardless, I'm having a ton of fun with it. I'm sure at some point I'll burn out or I'll get tired of beating my head up against the wall if it's too hard. So I think, Phil, you have just done an excellent job of extolling the virtues of Hyrule Warriors to the audience. <laughs> it is just another is, game. Yeah, it's just another game. It is. It is. It's just right. another game that you feel compelled to beat your head against the wall repeatedly over. You do that all the time. I. I remember you. You love getting frustrated and having to replay things. That's one of your oh, favorite. Yeah. You no, you, just tell me, Phil. You, every game you love having to redo things. That's one of your favorite parts of life. <laughs> oh, I do, I do. But this, you know, this game, I, I just like it so much. I keep doing it. it. It's great. Now, what's really cool is you buy this on your Switch, and you get all of that DLC that was released separately for the older editions. It's all included with further tweaks, further upgrades. It's definitely the way to play this game. If you got a Switch, you don't need to waste your time with the others. I mentioned before there was a 3DS version. If you only had a 3DS, you only had a 3DS, then fine, do it. You are taking a big bump down in graphic fidelity. Uh, some of the content is DLC and you'll have to buy it uh, separately. And and some of the special moves and stuff, they've taken out animations. Uh, in order to make it to work on the 3DS. And whatever, for the love of all that's holy, whatever you do, do not turn 3D on. It will go to three frames a second. Yeah. So you can recreate your own Steam Bargain Basement game experience by that. (laughs) Yes, very easily. The Wii U version, if you just had a Wii U, uh, all three of you, uh, if if you don't have a Switch, you have a Wii U, get it, play it. Uh, You'll have to buy some DLC if you want the what is the Wii U full edition, but the Wii U did not get all the stuff that the later editions got. Anything with the the DLC. So what the Wii U is lacking in something? Don't Phil leave you. Yeah, you can you can buy you can buy this game for forty five. I want to say on Amazon. Uh, You might be able to get a little bit cheaper on eBay for used, but I will tell you personally. Uh, I know money's tight for some people, but I would plunk down the $60 and get the digital edition because you'll be able to have it on your device so you can pop in like when you're playing a long RPG, you knock out a couple of battles and you you know, you don't have to go find another tiny little cartridge. Like it's one of those games I with Monster Hunter that I keep on my Switch. So play it, do it. What do you think, Matt? I loved it. I really enjoyed it. This was a game I bought my son for Christmas when I decided that... Um, you know, enough of having him just play on the tablet like mom plays on the tablet. I was like, no, we're going to, you know, other than Mario Party and Mario Kart, those are all fine for like family games. But I wanted to get him into we're going to play a game and play through the story and get to completion um, in a story mode of something. 
and looking at co-op games, this was always at the top of list for like couch co-op. And I mean, as you said for the past two hours, that it's a very good one-player game. Um, but I've enjoyed it a whole lot as a two-player game. And then, you know, sometimes at night I'll just sit and plop down and do a few missions myself just to bolster stuff behind the scenes for stuff, knowing that, you know, my son will say, oh, I want to use this character. And I'm like, oh, God, they suck right now. So uh, we'll use that person tomorrow. And then tomorrow he's like, wow, they're really good. And I was like, I got you. Because <laughs> I've done a couple missions and made some money and beefed them up and made sure to put stuff into that. Um, it, it blew Fire Emblem Warriors away for me. Um, I played those two back to back. Fire Emblem Warriors is very good. I've liked a lot of the stuff in it. Um, but if that's like an 8 out of 10, Hyrule Warriors is like the 9.5. That is definitely, it, it's a step above the Fire Emblem Warriors. Um, well, if we're, if we're using the IGN scale, then we can just say 9.8 or 9.9 out of 10. You know what? I, you know, we've been talking about IGN scales for these games um, on this episode. This one was rated well below um, the Fire Emblem Warriors. Get out. Get no, out. Are it, you serious? I got it pulled up right here. IGN, 7 out of 10. What? Which puts this in third place. This was They rated this lower than one of the Dragon Quest heroes and lower than Fire Emblem Warriors. Okay, you know what? Their opinion is now invalid. That's categorically wrong. You, you say now, but I think we've meant always. Okay, Phil, we're on the record. You you do not trust IGN reviews anymore. <laughs> no, how could you sit there and give it a 7 out of 10? It's like the best game of all time. Yeah, to be fair, I wonder if that was like the, uh, like the, the Wii, Wii U version. version or oh, oh, the 3DS version. That might be it. It very well could be. Yeah, the 3DS version I could understand because that boy, those graphics, it is rough. I mean, it's understand. It's not. It's not like a you know a five out of ten bad. It's a seven out of ten. It's just you, you, the trade off is understandable, but it still hurts is, in places. This is definitely a Wii U. I think the other thing that's interesting, and I could be wrong about this. I can't prove this, but I feel like the 3DS version there was less mobs at the screen at once, and that would make it hard to meet certain objectives. Uh, you know, because some of those objectives, like the A-rank objectives, have to do with killing 15,000 mobs before you finish off the board. That's great if they're respawning. Uh, that's actually, I will say... You know what, I, I had that problem in um, Fire Emblem Warriors sometimes. When I wanted yeah. to get up to 1,000 kills to get the shop to appear, there were some times it was like, come on, come on, come on. Uh, yeah, I'll say, like, that is... I will say that is a pet peeve of mine for both games, where you know there's such an emphasis on getting an A rank or an S rank to get certain really cool items, and in those requirements to get an A or S rank, it'll say you have to kill fifteen thousand or two thousand, or to get the Skull Teller to show up, you got to kill twelve thousand, and or the Animal Mento, and it's really frustrating when they don't spawn, and it actually punishes you because mobs tend to spawn up around captains, so what it's forcing you to do is focus on the mobs first before you kill the captains. Don't kill them too quickly. And heaven forbid you're overlevel and overpowered. Now, considering that the other criteria is time, mm. so the time requirement is pushing you to be overpowered and to level up your characters, but the mob is the opposite because if you kill everything too fast, there's not enough mobs popping back for you to kill. Mm. So it, it's at odds with itself. It's a poor gameplay choice. Or it's, it's a poor design choice. Uh, don't let it be said that I don't talk about the bad things about the games I really love. Because at the end of the day, Hyrule Wars is still one of my favorite games of all time. But it does have a couple of game design flaws that I, you know, are at least questionable. 
And that is one of them. With that being said, when you play enough of it, you kind of get used to it and you learn that if you're going for that S ranking or that Skulltella to make sure that you spend plenty of time killing the mobs in the respawning areas as quickly as possible because you're also against the clock. Mm. So, yeah. You just make sure you, you know, it's kind of like smell the roses along the way. Kill the monsters on the way to the keep. They're like, get to the keep right now. You got to save it. Okay, but I'm taking a few sword swipes and getting my KO count up to 150 before I get into that keep. And then in the keep, when the when the bar empties and the captain pops up, I'm going to kill off his minions on a few ways before I kill him. Because as long as the captain's alive, the minions in the keep will keep respawning for the most part. I'll say, yeah, the keeps were a part that I would use to grind. Or playing with my son, I would send him to do the objectives. And I would do, I would just mob kill. Or I would tell him, yeah. I'm like, hey, do you want to just, uh, you just want to do mob kills for a while? And he'd be like, oh yeah, sure. So, yeah. I mean, we would split it up that way. Some of them you just kind of had to. You had to make those choices. Fun, fun game. Uh, it, it does also uh, it rec- for some of the harder mecha- or some of the meta mechanics like leveling up your fairies uh, the most efficient way. What are the best elemental type of fairies? What do they do? Uh, things like that. The game doesn't always do a great job. Kind of like Monster Hunter, it doesn't do a great job explaining all of this. Uh, like one of the things that bugged me was I want to see 100% completion on the map. Well, around uh, at one point when I was playing the Windwalker map, it came up complete. I did this big jazzy dance and in-game credits and all this. And I'm like, complete? I thought I was only at 95%. So I loaded it back up. I guess that final fight had got me to 97%, but I wasn't 100%. So how am I complete? Well, it considers it complete because I think I had won every battle on the map. That it considers complete. That's aside from the fact that there's also a complete ranking for swords or weapons um skulltella and heart containers that's aside from the fact that the 100 percent reading that you're seeing on the front though has nothing to do with either of those things it has to do with how many gold medals you've got and which is a ranks mm-hmm. and so i had to go back I, I had completed every battle but there were still some silvers i had i had to go back and get a ranks and then i got 100 percent complete on my front page it's just little things like that like what i just when we when, you know kelly and i were talking about how you unlock the better weapons and get them to drop because you have to unlock them at least once or they're fairy food. Mm. Things like that are never clearly explained. You're going to need to spend a little time watching some YouTube videos or some FAQs if you get high into the end game. For just getting through the story mode, you're fine just farting around and playing the game and you'll have a good time and you'll figure out the, the puzzles. They're, none of them are brain busters. They're Sounds the big good. Rock. Alrighty. Well, uh, let's see. That is actually a podcast all in and of itself because that was an hour and a half. So... <laughs> We're going to actually split this up into five different podcasts so we don't break any <laughs> records. Uh, and while I do that, you better magic... make sure that your computer didn't decide to have a problem oh my with God. Ah, I should have stopped like a few times in there. Great. Now we're going to be really screwed. Uh, well, I go assess the carnage of my computer, that my computer wrecked on this recording and try to figure out how to split this into five different podcasts. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with the final lap.
this is uh, the final lap where we read your comments and we tell you what we're working on and we do kitchen sink stuff and the whole nine yards. Our last show, Mother of Inventions, just went up uh, due to computer issues. I was very late and another thing that I'll talk about during my term, but I was very late in getting this edited and, and uh, getting that up for Mr. Minky. Phil, I think we know that what really happened is you said something cross about Windows. That's oh, all it takes. That's all it takes, yeah. That's it. Uh, boy, uh, boy, Windows man shows you no mercy when you piss it off. Not forgive. It it really it really does it. And I'm telling you, there's Come just on. so many problems with Windows 10, and I don't know why. And we had already read the comments on the, the Chrono Cross one, right, Mike, on the last episode? Yes, we did. Okay, cool. I can't remember how many there were, but there were a couple. There were a couple. Alrighty. The very passionate game to a lot of people, and it just celebrated its 20th anniversary. Hmm. So topical. No, was it 20? 25. Yeah, that's right. My bad. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, so, uh, yeah, make sure you leave your comments. Like I said, we had a whole bunch on the Chrome Cross one, and we'll make sure to read them on the air. And so with that being said, we're just going to go right into our roundtable. Uh, Mr. Matt, what's new with you? What are you playing? What are you working on for the site? What's new and exciting? Uh, well, new and exciting. Since last we chatted um, on our Earthbound episode, the Dragon Quest Your Story movie came out. And that was uh, pretty exciting. I mean, who would have ever thought Dragon Quest would have a movie that would come out and be dubbed in English? So I was up at like 4.30 in the morning that morning when it dropped on Netflix because, of course, I was like, when is this going to start? And I was on there watching within a half an hour of it dropping and wrote a review on the website. So uh, that popped up in the last week or so. Uh, it was neat. I wrote it with uh, Elman, one of the other staff members, and we both have kids um, six years and younger. So we kind of even when we broke down the the movie into different parts and talked about the plot and talked about the um, graphics and sound and all the different things that it did. We also had a part in there about kids and how our different kids reacted to different parts of the movie. So lots of stuff with that. And uh, gotta gotta get married sometime here soon because uh, I've been playing a game. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. You know, it's, it's about time. Oh yeah, I wanted to have been married for like twenty, twenty some years. It's it's wonderful. You're gonna have a great time. I, I know. I mean, I've been I've been with this girl for at least seventy hours, and <laughs> I, I can't seal the deal. I, I don't know. Well, Are you waiting for a random a, event. A random event. You know what? It might be seventy. It might be seventy-two, seventy-four, seventy-six hours. I, I can't tell when the big day is gonna come. You haven't decided in advance the exact number of hours that are required? Oh, you don't get to decide the exact number of hours. What? And this, uh, this sounds way too random for me. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. If you're talking about random, then we must be talking about the Rune Factory series. And, uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely a lot of the events in Rune Factory 4. Um, I got this game for review, gosh, I think at the beginning of February, and here we are. What ten days into March or so, or we're we're not quite yet halfway through March, but I think I've been playing it five weeks. I've got close to seventy hours in it. I did roll 
Like, gosh, there's so many credits. You don't even know what to roll credits on. You roll credits, I think, three different times in the game. Mm-hmm. Technically, I'm in the post game. And I know this was an issue with 3DS users. I didn't have it when I played this game. I must have put 120 hours or so into this five, six, seven years ago. And I never had a problem triggering the third story arc because there are three different story arcs in this game. But I know Anna Marie said that she never could get this to trigger. And I was reading an FAQ a couple of weeks ago and the guy in the FAQ said he played it through twice to write the FAQ. And once it took him about 30 game days in the game to uh, get the third story arc to trigger. And the other time it took him an entire 120 game days, which is a game year, to get the story to trigger. And he was trying all the different tricks there were. So it see, I got it to trigger the second day after I rolled credits. I kind of went to sleep, woke up, did some stuff, went to sleep, and walked outside, and boom, the random town event triggered. But um, if you're not familiar with how Rune Factory 4 works, it, you're doing farming. Like if you were in a Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons, you're making friends with the town folk like that in Stardew Valley. You're doing a lot of action RPG stuff. Um, you're going in delving into dungeons and walking through fields. Uh, it's all pretty light. You can pick from... Uh, I say it's light because, I mean, it's a lot of button mashing, kind of like the other games that we've been describing today. But when you get down to it, it kind of gets... It, it's nowhere near as deep as Hyrule Warriors, but there's suddenly seven different types of weapons you can bring. You can train any monster in the game. You can pretty much befriend and bring any... Uh, the town folk with you, and then you can equip them with any sorts of armor or stuff. The crafting is incredible. There's so many things to craft. You can craft a green pepper onto your sword to make your vitality go up or something. So it, there's so much little minutia in the game that you can control. But man, events that happen in the town are not one of those things. You'll just randomly be walking through parts of the town, or you'll see on your mini-map that a bunch of townsfolk are gathering in one area. You go over there to start talking to them, and a town event may take start. And these town events can take like three, four, five days, and you have to make sure you go to the right place to trigger it. So walking around the town once per day, talking to everybody's a good idea. And they just... They seemingly come from a random pull of different town events that could happen at any point in the game. Uh, and the third story arc does this. Marriage events do this. And yeah, I've got the heart level of one of the characters that I've been taking into the dungeons with me. Well, well, well beyond what it takes to get married. And I've done all the dating events. And it's just, I wake up, I farm my stuff, I go talk to her. She, she's... Go back to sleep. Wake up. Farm my stuff. Go talk to her. It's not working. I tried giving her a diamond ring. I tried doing a couple little other things. Apparently it should happen sooner or later. I'm well past the level it should happen, but this is uh, the last thing I want to do to write the review, because being in the post-game, I've, I've rolled credits. I could write a very good review. Um, spoiler alert, I will say the... Uh, or I guess I shouldn't say spoiler alert, but hint, hint. It will be a good review. It'll mainly say, it's the 3DS game on your Switch. But they did add two things to the game to make it Rune Factory 4 special. Um, the first thing was they add these little vignettes that you can watch about all 12, 14 of the marriage candidates. But they're all like a minute or two long. They're not. It's just a little something to see them and a little video about them. But the other thing they added is this newlywed mode. And once you marry someone, um, you can, there's some 
and I don't know how really how deep it is, but there's a gameplay option that you can go to from the main menu, and if you've married someone, it'll open that character's newlywed mode, and you can go in and do some stuff, um, story stuff with them that relates to being married. So I would like to add that into my review, but my golly, I got to get this event to trigger, so... <laughs> Okay. Hold off on the wedding so, bells for a while. So, so <laughs> you need to, you need, to, you should have called me up. Somebody who has a lot of advice, uh, a lot of experience mm. in dealing with relationships. You can't force love, okay, dude? That's the problem. You're trying too hard. All right, you're just, you're just expecting too be. much. You're, you might be a little clingy right now. Maybe she's feeling that. Wait, you know, you're pressuring her just a little too much. I'm making her an omelet every single morning. She might feel it's a little too and much, man. You're, you're, you need to take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit, I right? Know. You're trying to force it, and yeah. she's not ready. You got to give her some space, man. Got to give her some space, bro. Just, just back up a little bit. Focus on other uh, things, like your, like your garden. You know, focus on your garden. Garden. I need to make it. I need to make a level ten, really gigantic, right? Strawberry or something. <laughs> Maybe that'll take my mind off things. So Dude, you said newlywed. Uh, I, I all I can think of was just like what fighting over the sheets and the toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if I remember correctly, I think this kind of goes um, like a lot of Harvest Moon games and everything. Once you get married, there's just like a person that stays in your house all the time. There's really not much more to their story, mm-hmm. other than they become your person. You have a kid, maybe depending on the game and. Other than that, you just keep continuing doing whatever. But um, from what I understand, the newlywed mode is actually supposed to add some story about being married to that person. But how the heck would I know? (laughs) But for the sake of the review, for the sake of everybody else out there, I will persevere. I I will get going. I'll probably end up beating the post game in the uh, meantime because I got I got to do something. And, you know, growing that level 10 strawberry takes a while. So I keep going through the uh, post-game dungeon a little bit more at a time. I think I've got one or two more bosses to clear out, too. So, at the end of the day, I'll probably have this game pretty much done. I'm not going... I, there's a second bonus dungeon where I think it said all the monsters are, like, level 300. Ouch. And, uh, yeah. Looking... I, I'd kind of forgotten, because I got to level 99, I think, right around the time I was getting ready to beat the uh, main story boss... And I was like, oh, man, I maxed out my level. <laughs> Not even close. Little did I know, like, pretty much levels are unlimited in this game. Mm. You can get your levels into the thousands, the ten thousands, or whatever. It It's apparently completely unnecessary, because at level 99, I pretty easily took down the guy. Um, crafting becomes a lot more important than gaining levels. Once you uh, move far enough in, you can get some better ore diamonds and platinum and stuff and really just make some really high level gear and take things on that's kind of what propelled me when i got close to the end i was like oh man leveling up is not nearly as important you know leveling up might get you a 510 higher attack or strength or something but i can craft a sword that has like a 700 attack level and my last one was at like 300 so what's the use of five or ten here and there when i can double the attack power of my weapon but it, it, it is really fun i mean i joke about here at the end and we're, we're talking pretty niche game kind of stuff and but it, it's a good game um once i finish it i'm gonna move back to my what i said i would uh, what is it our gaming goals of the year since i completely failed at my last year's gaming goal i'm gonna gonna press forward with the trails in the sky and all the trails of games so We'll see how far I can get in that this year. 
I, I paused at Trails in the Sky 2 to jump into Rune Factory for about six weeks. So time to swing back to that soon. Pretty much all I've been doing recently. How about you, Miss Relly? Um, I too have been playing Rune Factory 4, though not nearly as much as uh, Matt apparently has. I am just about to roll the first set of credits because I need to get. Um, I finished the lava dungeon, and now I need to go talk to everybody and beat that one giant gate, and then do that set of events. And um, I don't know what happens after that set of events, other than the first credits roll. Um. <clears throat> It's funny that you mentioned the stuff about the romance because I've been trying to quote unquote date Dylas, the uh, horse guy. Oh, what a jackass! Yeah. Well, no, he, well, no he's a horse. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. I know. No, I was trying to make a joke thing. I know. <laughs> but um, no, I, I don't know why I ended up liking him the best. I think it was because in the beginning you could really woo him with giving him sashimi. And I made a lot of sashimi because just because it was easy to level my cooking just with all the fish that I'd caught. And then um, eventually I got the mixer, uh, or not the mixer, the pot, which um, lets you make milk porridge. So just, you know, get some get some milk from the cows every day, make him some milk porridge, give it to him. He's all happy and stuff like that. And then I noticed that he starts um, he's starting to show up in my house just randomly. But yeah, I keep... <laughs> I keep telling him that I love him and he just like freaks out over it. So I don't know you saying that you have to trigger love events makes so much more sense now. No, you don't have to trigger love events. There's a certain level that they'll start saying they love you back. Okay. Um, It's a certain heart level that you need to get above. I can't remember if he's one of one of maybe Doug. I think Doug's the one that's kind of locked out until you beat, like, one set of credits or something. I don't think mm-hmm. Dylas is. But, you know, I, I know your feeling. I'm dating Forte, the uh, the warrior woman, because that's the person that I would always take in a dungeons and outfit. She seems like the natural choice to be your uh, fighting companion. Mm-hmm. And she likes omelets that you make with milk and eggs. And I caught, you know, the moo and the chicken, like, day one, so... I've had an easy supply of omelets to feed her for over a year now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it makes sense that Doug would be locked given the story. Hmm. Um, But but yeah, I'm I'm having a lot of fun with that game, though. I will say going from Stardew Valley back to a Harvest Moon game feels very jarring. And I don't know if you'd felt that way, too. Uh, To me, I, I really loved Stardew Valley, but the combat part of it was meh whatever oh it, oh the, the combat in stardew valley was terrible oh um, yeah i mean it's an afterthought it's there just to be there mm-hmm. and you know it, so i i i played all four rune factories i beat them all um getting back to this and actually i wrote something two years ago as part of i wrote it for alex as one of the things to apply to being a writer on the site here and i one of the things i wrote was five things that i wish rune factory would do that Stardew Valley did. But I'll tell you what, the battles was not one of them. Yeah. It, it makes no. me sad. That, I, mean, I love Stardew Valley. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a Rune Factory person just because it's got that more action RPG elements to it. Yeah, I mean, I mean they, they both have their place. I, and I love them yeah. both for different reasons. It's just Stardew Valley just nailed some of that crafting and uh, um, f- farming stuff and automation and all of that. And mm-hmm. g- going back to Rune Factory was just a little bit jarring. Um, not a, not a game breaker, though. Just it, it felt weird. <laughs> I mean, 
what what about the crafting is a little jarring to you? Um, having having to go eat breads to learn recipes instead of just mm. learning them naturally. Mm-hmm. That kind of tripped me up. <laughs> Um, what else? Um, I mean, you have the story stuff in in that, but I I like the uh, seasonal goals of Stardew Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it kind of gave you a, per- a reason to try and do everything. Um, and and kind of this game kind of has that too, but they're not very well paced to me. Um, like right now, I'm I'm well for the longest time I got stuck on trying to grow a level five crop because um. Typhoons kept destroying my crops that I was trying to level because I would forget to do the um, typhoon stuff. Oh, and then, typhoon. Oh, uh, I, that, that kills me in this game. <laughs> and then now I'm stuck trying to uh, do more flowers, trying to go f- uh, four-leaf clover because, once mm. again, a typhoon wrecked that. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how to put it. I, I'm enjoying the game. I, I, I'm loving it very much. Some of the progression I just find irritating. And having to scour the whole planet to find material stone. Because I can find enough wood pretty easily, but the material stone... Yeah, it. I, I got into a habit of, um, like, one day a week, like, every Monday, I would go to the autumn field or the winter field or the whatever, which you haven't opened all of them yet, but you can I've pretty easily autumn. fast travel. The autumn. Yeah. yeah, and eventually you'll have an autumn, spring, winter, and summer field. And I'll be honest, I I, I didn't need that much farming that I had to use those fields. Mm-hmm. I, I would I, I made plenty enough money, and I would buy the formula A, B, and C to speed up stuff. If there was something, like a four-leaf clover takes, what, like 30, 40 days to grow? Mm-hmm. $1,000 and throw it on a group of those four four-leaf clover, so... Hopefully they grow in twelve days instead of yeah you know, twenty money, or something. Money hasn't been yeah. that much of an issue though. I did just drop the like fifty grand on the uh, the telecommunicator, which I, at the time I didn't know what that was. I was like, oh, it just lets you do the fast travel from your house instead of having to run north. So that's is that it. what it does? Yeah. Oh, I I haven't spent money on that. It, it puts the it, you can have a little airship wheel that you can just put wherever. So I just keep it in my house. That way I can. Oh teleport back to the house and then teleport back out. That would be convenient. Yeah. Well, I know what I'm spending $50,000 on tonight. Yeah. I, for, I forgot <laughs> what materials it required, too, but I know that it was a, quite expensive as far as gold. But gold really hasn't been a problem in this game thus far after getting a whole bunch of uh, bell peppers and strawberries. Oh, the strawberries have been my biggest thing, yeah. that that I, I would say probably about in autumn, I think I was pretty much done about penny pinching and oh i can't spend a thousand on this can't mm-hmm. spend a thousand on that that might have been the time i went and actually bought from i think it was his name bado bado the blacksmith I actually bought a weapon that i couldn't craft yet i'm like oh <laughs> that doesn't happen often usually my crafting stays well ahead of what i can buy yeah but yeah but I- i'm loving this game thus far though i don't know if i'm gonna end up d- dumping it for animal crossing oh or- no the world of passive aggressive characters. Uh, oh, let me tell you. It's a game that I start out in debt. I don't know who thought that was a brilliant idea, but it hits a little too close to home. No, what hit me close to home was playing Animal Crossing and buying furniture and realizing that I worked for a furniture company. And I was like <laughs> identifying like furniture styles. Like, okay, this is getting a little too real. 
I need to stop. But I, I that being said, I can't wait for the new Animal Crossing just because it's going to have more of a Minecrafty aesthetic with being able to craft and um, alter the landscape how you see fit. Okay, so this will be a good time for you get you to try to sell this out of me. I've never played an Animal Crossing game. I don't even think I've like watched. Okay, I'm gonna like, sell you on this. Once once you start, okay, you're gonna get to know people, virtual little animal characters. They're really cute and they're very um, adorable, and and they have personalities, different personalities that they're really fun to get to know as you're doing your daily chores and you're kind of becoming a leadership figure usually. But it's a really cute story and 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 super super relatable. But the minute you, you like walk away from the game like you need a break for a few days or heaven forbid a week or something, and you come back, oh <laughs> man, you're gonna piss these guys off. It's like real life, man. It's like the cold shoulder. Cause they'll they'll leave you a little loose, like, oh, you didn't talk to me for a long time. I think you don't like me, so I moved out of your town. Oh, here's a present. I love some cockroaches in your house. <laughs> little little cockroach like you look up the word passive aggressive in the dictionary and, and it's got a picture of Animal Crossing in it. <laughs> so Maybe I'll just stick with Rune Factory Four. If you think trying to appease that randomized wife, uh, wife to be of yours is difficult, wait till you're trying to meet you know the happiness of like ten different NPCs at once <laughs> that are keeping track of you in real time. Oh wow. yeah! Wow, it's totally fine. And don't forget, you need to do your daily chores because you start the game off with a mortgage. So you're gonna have to do these daily chores to eventually pay it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's totally a thing. Interesting, it's, interesting. It's a fun game to play with your friends, and I'm I'm sure like the majority of the RP gamer staff is going to end up with it. Yeah, Shirley and I would visit each other's town with our 3DS, so you could connect it and visit the other person's town and do some things together, and that's pretty cute. Uh, it actually, it actually is a very cute game. You got to decide whether or not you think that stuff is really cute when they do some of that passive aggressive stuff for you or if it hits too close to home or whatever it's obviously a popular series for a reason it it is really cool like when you're like decorating your house and you're collecting things to make that your home and have you guys seen the memes with isabel and doom guy no so animal crossing and doom eternal come out on the same day so people have been doing all this fan art and stuff of uh, Isabel and the Doom guy basically being best friends, and Isabel learning how to shoot, and Doom guy learning how to, I don't know, like tend to a home, and it's been like one of the most wholesome things that's ever come out, and it's just adorable. It's been all over the internet, and I, I think it's. Just, I'll have to send you guys some. Um, but other than that, I spent like last week trying to finish a d- digital painting, and I, I've been addicted to YouTube painting videos, specifically with watercolors. And it's like, hey, I want to go out and buy a set of watercolors. And then I realized, well, watercolors are expensive, so I'm just going to try to learn how to make it things look like watercolor in Photoshop. And that's what I've been doing. And uh, put up the painting on my Instagram and Twitter. It looked really nice. I'm trying to work up a, work on a follow-up for it, but daylight savings time this week has just destroyed my sleep schedule, so I've just been refactoring. Oh, daylight savings. What don't you ruin? Oh. I, well, I was... It's normal time's fault. Normal time. Daylight savings time. I don't care. Pick one and stick with it. Is it that hard? Apparently, yes. Apparently, it is. I mean, Florida has been trying for two years to get the federal government to let us just stick to normal time. 
and they're just giving Florida the cold shoulder. Both our senators are on board and can't get any support for it. Now that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean they've tried. They've they've tried to like, hey, we want to have Florida Standard Time. I mean, what is it? Hawaii doesn't do Hawaii one of doesn't them, do parts it. of New Mexico. Hawaii doesn't do it because Hawaii is too close to the equator. It wouldn't make a damn bit of difference in Hawaii. Hmm. There yeah. really aren't any seasons in Hawaii. <laughs> I don't think Puerto Rico does either because, again, it doesn't make a difference. Guam, there's no, absolutely no point in daylight savings for Guam. And anybody who tried it would be laughed at forever. <sighs> oh, I, I absolutely hate it. it. It screws up my sleep schedule, and I already have a hard time staying on a proper sleep schedule, and it just makes it 100 times worse. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it's, to me, it's always the change that's worse than the one or the other. The time in and of itself, I don't really care about it. It's, yeah, screwing with my schedule. Last weekend was short. Thank you, Daylight Savings. I love getting up and realizing, oh, oh, that's right. It's an hour later now. I get to go to work in the dark again tomorrow. Thank you, Daylight Savings. You're so thoughtful. With me, it's like it's one in the morning. Why am I not tired? Oh, because my brain still thinks it's midnight. It, unless we can invent some amazing ability to just switch everyone's brain instantaneously, and I'm sure somebody in Silicon Valley is working on that, it will probably involve just sticking computer chips in your brain. Then, But I think by that point, we won't need daylight savings anymore. I hope. <laughs> Hey, Phil, I heard you uh, pop open a can of something that could modify your brain and make you think something a little bit different earlier tonight, didn't I? It's all about the Devastator. I think it's already been invented. Oh, yeah. Pop open a cold one, boys. It's been a long <laughs> week. Man, I meant to buy booze this for Backtrack this week, but I just completely forgot, and I didn't want to have to deal with I being ID'd at self-checkout. Another backtrack made better by booze. <laughs> Even though we're talking about games that Phil has actually played this time. I know. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I can't remember the last time I contributed so much to a main event. You had a lot to say. I know. I'm usually like the, the backup singer for the other segments. Just that guy drinking alone in the corner. Mm-hmm. So anything else for you, Miss Relly? No, that, that's been pretty much it. I'm going to continue Rune Factory. Um, I want to try to pick up the tablet to paint paint some more. and just been way too tired. Mm-hmm. I know that feeling. How about you, Mr. Miki? Hmm. I seem to remember putting up a review for something recently. Does this sound familiar to anyone else? Hmm. The Fallout 4, was it? You know, I just, just yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. You, you oh, know, I that's... want to finish Fallout 4 before I review it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Can you, can you really Let ever finish? Here. What you know... is my total time on Fallout 4 right now? Come on, Steam. 250. 250. You are underestimating. Try 454. Away. When we did Earthbound, I swear you were in the 200s. I don't... I swear I said 400, and then I set it aside mostly so that I could do Longrisser. I mean, I knew it was under your Rainbow Skies number of five-something. And really it still is. It still is, yeah. 
And I'm actually reaching the point where there isn't a whole lot else to do. I'm just trying to deal with this. There's an achievement I wanted to try and getting. But what do you know? It's glitched because it's Bethesda. It relies on an item that appears to be stuck in a wall somewhere, and I have to try and use a power armor glitch to appear in the wall so that I can shoot it out of the wall and get it. Oh, jeez. There are, vi- there are several videos on YouTube about it because it's a well-known glitch. It's a Bethesda game. There are glitches. <laughs> Lots of them. And this one is just kind of annoying. I I can live without the achievement, but at this point, when I've gotten pretty much every other achievement in the game, I feel as if I guess I'm being a completionist. And I think I've earned it with 454 hours of playtime. I was going to say, you can live without it, but why should you have to? That would drive me up the wall, knowing that there was one achievement that I could not get because of a glitch. Uh, were there any other glitches that caused me to have problems? I'm thinking here. There, there's the fun one where I'm looting a corpse and then it gets stuck on me so that it, I can't move it quickly because happen. the cor- the corpse is stuck on me. The, the solution <laughs> is just to spin in circle for a while and until it finally falls off. But other <laughs> That's achieve- usually how I get corpses <laughs> off myself in real life, so... I mean, I, I didn't know you had imitating practice, real life there. Yeah. You, you never well, know. I, I think we're going to have to come to you every time we have a corpse disposal issue, which you know is very common. It might get even more common now that the world is, at whole has a different problem. <laughs> Although Stephen King says that it is not the stand, so we won't. It's not going to get that bad. <laughs> and it came from Stephen King. He would know something about that. He should. I read the whole 1,400 pages of the stand, updated, revised, whatever the hell it was. So I remember what happened in that book. (laughs) I I read the original. I do remember that. I think the updated version – the original was only 1,100 pages. Then he added another three, 400 pages to make it expanded. (laughs) And yet it still had a disappointing ending. Oh, uh, I don't really remember the ending, but uh, yeah, but I think I was kind of exhausted by the time I got to the end anyway. Listen, I don't remember the end of that. All I remember is Under the Dome's ending. Oh my god, talk about disappointing endings. I, I, oh no, wait, I the hand of God appeared. That, that's what happened. <laughs> Involving oh. a nuclear device. <laughs> oh, in the sand, right? Yeah. All I really remember is that I was finishing that book up after uh, the power was out for like 24 hours because the tornado hit our town. And it's like, you know, I really shouldn't be reading a book about the end of civilization (laughs) with no power. What else are you going to do without the power? I I know, right? Because this was before the, the Nintendo Switch when I could actually entertain myself. Well, I would also suggest that you probably want to use those batteries while you have them and not read by candlelight. I understand that was very hard to do, and the few times I've tried it, it's not fun. Electricity, reading at night, so much better. Yeah, b- book lights, they are godsend. Better than reading by candlelight. That's really horrible. It, apparently. So, Thank you, Industrial Revolution. Reading oh, yeah, is that, 360. That game I reviewed. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> there is a game, the most recent review I see at RP Gamer is Lang Grisser 1 and 2, done by uh, Mr. Linky. I thought it was a Master Rinky. Okay. Yeah. That we was, have so many new people now. You know, it, it looks like an R, but in the ancient Greek tongue, it sounds like an L. 
or maybe it Japanese? was yeah l and r are interchangeable in japanese <laughs> so never ask for lice when you want rice because people will get confused <laughs> so i hope that's not on the menu anywhere so sell me on this land greaser remake because i had it in my hand and I was like, I really want to bite on this, but there's other stuff coming out that's going to occupy my time. All right, Kelly, let's let's start with this. Do you like tactical games? Yes. I seem to remember this being the case based on things you've discussed in the past, but I feel yes. like let's just get it out there. Do you like uh, something different about Longerister is its sense of scale, as in your yeah, the standard number of commanders, but they can each hire troops. Those troops are completely disposable. You can let them die, and you, you don't even get a reward for having them survive at the end of the battle. You have to hire them all over again for the new battle. But it's a symbiotic relationship. If they stick next to their commander, they heal damage for a, for a turn, and they expand the commander's reach. So if the commander can't quite get up there and kill something, then the troops can do it. And the troops can be a different type than, the say, the commander is some kind of infantry, and the commander hires some cavalry. Well, that's a pretty complementary skill base. Mm -hmm. We've got the standard weapon stuff. Uh, if you've got pikes, then you're good against horses. If you've got horses, then you're good against foot soldiers. And foot soldiers are really good about, about taking down pikemen. And there are archers who suck in general, but because they can hit from a distance, they can't get counterattack most of the time. <laughs> and there, there are some changes from the originals, and since I played the originals enough, I could do a lengthy comparison of it. The big change to Longrisser 1 is that it is no longer strictly linear. Halfway through, you start getting options. If you let this person live through the battle, then you can get something different to happen, because most battles are either... There are some battles which are just kill everything, but there are also ones where you have to chase down some enemies that are trying to run away. Or there's a certain enemy you must kill, and once that one dies, the battle's over. Or the beginning of Longrisser 1 is you've got to escape, because you really have no ra reasonable way of taking down everything that's attacking you at this point. It's got a good variety of battles. Longrisser 1's narrative you will probably not get too into because it's fairly clearly something from 1991. Oh, of course. But Longer 2 is a bit more multifaceted, and it also has... It had choice from the beginning, and there are even more choices now. There are four major ones. You can either take the fairly standard one, oh my goodness, Emperor Bernhardt wants to be, take over this awesome thing and be, try to take over the world. Of course. Or you can ally with the Empire, and then you'll end up fighting the people you were, would have been allied to when you were instead fighting against the Empire. Or you can betray the Empire, and then you will end up fighting with the forces of chaos against the Empire and the people you would have been allied with in the earlier rendition. And there's a nice variety of battles again. Even though some of the same battlegrounds are reused, the circumstances change. The enemies are different, and the placement is different, so it's not a complete rehash. And I suppose if you must have a dub, then you're disappointed because that's that's not happening. It's not in here. I mean, it's not a game breaker. I prefer dubs, but most of the time I'm playing with the sound down anyway. 
I would recommend keeping it up for Langrisser 2 because the music is awesome in Langrisser 2. Langrisser 1 has some good tunes. There just aren't enough of them. You'll hear the same ones too many times. And you get to change them around. There's an option to switch from the arranged versions of 2019 to the original synth of the 90s, which, you know, mostly it just shows you that Noriyuki Iwadare can compose some damn good battle themes no matter when or how they're arranged. And you can change the graphic style also. You, you want the maps to look like they did on the Genesis? You can do that. You want it to look more like uh, they've been updated for the present? Yeah, you can do that too. You can change the art style. The new art style by I have to have, I have to look at this guy's name. Who was this guy? This was a fellow named Ryonagi. He has a definite style, and if you look at his art versus Satoshi Uroshihara's original art, you will say, "Yep, those sure are different styles." <laughs> and I don't know. Look at my review. The first page has the first picture has Satoshi Urushihara art. The last picture is Ryonagi art. You can tell there's there's a bit of a difference. I think NIS America did a good job with the localization. I blasted through the thing, even though there was a horrible, horrible bug and. This probably came about because I was playing a, a pre-release copy. There was a name change, even an update to Steam. Instead of Longrisser with one S, it changed to Longrisser with two S's. And now I can't access my earlier save files, even though I moved them into the right folder. I don't know why. Oh. And yet, even so, because I was determined to get this thing done and out before it released, I... Played through all of Longrisser 2, redoing the 12 or 13 maps that I had already gone through in order to blast through it. And I took a different route than I did in the earlier. Oh, I saw a lot of different stuff anyway. And at the very least, you should buy it to indicate, yes, you do want to see games like this come out here. Because, let's face it, this is a remake of a tactical series from the 90s that we haven't seen a new entry in. Barring something on the 3DS that really, I don't know how that came over here, but it did. These are good games. I feel pretty confident in saying you will find a lot to absorb you in them. There's even some more freedom than there was in the original games because you can switch between classes whenever you want. Whereas in the original games, once you picked a class, you were stuck with it until it hit level 10. And then once you chose what it evolved into, you were stuck with that. Man, the Switch version is, like, back-ordered for two months, but the PS4 version has plenty of copies in stock on Amazon. Interesting. I, well, that's why you pay the Switch tax. I guess so. Free shipping by Amazon usually ships within one to two months. <laughs> Maybe I'll get it off of eBay. Because even though I got a free copy on Steam, I would like to support it and get the game. So I think I'll just get the Switch version. Yeah, and I'll buy it off eBay, because there are copies there. Uh, let's see. So, I've talked about Longer Series 1 and 2 a bit. I could talk about them more, but you could also read my review. And I think, now that the embargo is over, you'll find lots of content all over the internets about them. Uh, and then there's the other thing that I am playing for review. It's called Mistover. And Phil wanted to chime in recently, saying that it looks really, really neat. Does that sound familiar to you, Phil? What was that? 
I seem to remember you mentioning Mistover recently. Does that sound familiar? It's so pretty. So cool. So stylish. I agree. It does have a really neat, distinct art style. I... I don't know what my final score for this is going to be yet. It's going to be somewhere in the middle range because I like certain aspects. I really like the things that you can change in the options, mostly with regard to difficulty. Yeah, there's the standard easy, normal, hard. But you also get to change a whole lot of things. You can change how the traps in the dungeons work. Do they kill you? Do they just annoy you? Are they gone entirely? You can switch that. You can switch the number of skills that your characters get at a level up. It's default one, but you can switch it up to five if you want. That could be really, really helpful. That could save your butt. You can switch... There's a state called Limbo, where if your character is zeroed out on HP, they stay in Limbo for a turn until either the battle ends and they're not dead, or they get hit again and then they're really, really dead. You can switch that off if you want so that they die instantly. That that seems unnecessarily hard to me, but you can do it. You have food, because that's a roguelike trade, isn't it? You, you have to keep mm-hmm. eating, or, and once you stop... It's all about survival. You can change that if you want. You can say make it so that the not having food won't kill you. You can change... Various status effects. You can make it so that your characters can't get stunned, which, if you run into some enemies that like to do that, could save your butt. You can change it so that they won't get, won't be bleeding, which functions like poisoning. Oh my goodness, I'm bleeding. I took a set amount of damage this turn. So there's a lot of, to play around with, and I games would do this because it it really encourages you to go in there and see what functions you like. The the other parts of it being a roguelike, that all of the equipment is stuff you randomly find in the dungeons, and if you find crap, well, too bad. That the dungeons themselves are randomly generated, so you wander around, and that the, that the traps are often really hard to see because there's another thing called luminosity, where... I guess it's functioning like a torch. Once it sputters down, then you can't see a damn thing around you, and you could wander into an enemy without even knowing it. Have fun with that. And inventory management is annoying because you can't equip anything in the dungeon. You have to be out of the dungeon, and you have to counterintuitively go to the storage menu where you can all of these things that you're carrying around and try and put them on characters, and they have level requirements, so if your character isn't the right level, then it's useless. But, yeah, I I really don't know how to feel about this thing as a whole yet, but it's very interesting, and I will have a lot of things to say about it when I review it, which will not be soon, because I think I'm in the third of the five major dungeons, or maybe there's a six. That's kind of hard to tell from the outside. So there, a, a very non-committal talk about Mistover. <laughs> no, you must commit, Mike. I need to know whether I need to buy this right this minute. In Too answers, bad, Phil. No, don't buy it this minute. Yeah. Wait a lot uh, more minutes. Buy Langresser instead. Didn't you already do that? I hope you did. Did you buy Langresser, Phil? Did you? Oh, that's unfortunate. That's very uh, disappointing. No, I, I, I was on mute. 
Did, did I, did, did I, no, I was to say, no, I haven't just yet. Uh, I'm definitely going to. I just haven't had time to jump into the eShop because, you know, that's like an experience, right? You got to set time aside to go into the eShop. But I do have money on my, my shop account. So well, yeah, why, I'm going to definitely get Why not just it. get the physical copy off eBay so that then you won't even have to, mur- to rummage around with clearing out storage on the Switch? It is, yeah. You know, I'm probably good either way because it probably doesn't take up that much storage, right? Uh, how much is think. it? How much? It was something like a gig and a half on Steam, which seems large for a game this that originated this long ago. But I don't know. If, I don't know if it's bigger or smaller on Switch. Let me take a look here. On the, I'll take a look and, and let you know here in a minute. I will say that I did buy um, Animal Crossing uh, digitally just so that I wouldn't have to fuss with switching out cartridges for that particular one. It's 1.6 gigs on the Switch. So, why could kind of go how, either way? How much way? storage do you have left? Like 250. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, I suppose it's not too critical then. Papa Phil popped for big storage because I ran into too many issues on the Vita where it kept saying, you can't install this game. You can't install this game. You're out of space. You can't install this game. So, And on the Switch, the memory's a lot cheaper than it was on the Vita. I was going to say, on the Vita, the memory cost like a firstborn. More or less. Well, I might have I might have pulled out a second mortgage on my house, but I was able to swing it. And we are all grateful because otherwise your Vita library would be reduced unconscionably. Well, I mean, for the most part, I feel like I should always have installed the games I like. Like, if there's a game I play and I don't like it, I'll delete it and free up the space. But I really get kind of irritated when I've got, like, 20 games in my library that I like, but I can only install five at a time and rotate them out. That... For me, that doesn't work. As I sit here and update my 200 gigabyte hacked Vita. Oops, I didn't say that. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I, watched... I didn't hear that. What did you say? Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I got my, I got a buddy, I won't even call him that. My wife has a good friend who has a husband that is good for one thing. He hacks Vitas, and I got to, uh, I got him to hack it so I could put a regular memory card in. Is that yep, even doable? Oh, yeah. They're mm-hmm. on Amazon for like five bucks. Yes. they were. It was very inexpensive. Wow. I want to say for $35 total, I have 200 gigabytes of space. Huh. That's cool. Wish I would have Which known that be enough before I invested. Except that all of the big games now tend to take, what, 50 to 60 gigs? Oh, yeah. I mean, for Vita, I, it's fine. What's anything on Vita? Four or five tops? Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, there's like, yeah, I can't remember. I just remember on the Vita, I probably had like 10, 15 games. And I started hit a limit, and so I ponied up for one of the premium cards. Um, and those were not cheap. Uh, nope. Nope, I wasn't kidding about the second mortgage. Uh, so, see, see, I ended up springing like sixty for just a thirty-two, and that seemed excessive. So I can't imagine spending that kind of money on like a two hundred dollar one. It was like, oh no, it was like it wasn't two hundred. It was like eighty-nine, which is okay. still excessively expensive for any sort of memory card in the twenty-first century. That's what I. I don't remember what I spent right now, but I just got the 64 gig, the biggest one I could find off of eBay. Because, of course, you can't find them now anymore in stores anymore. Oh, no. The poor Vita. Yeah, see, I got I got my Vitas so late. I think I got one Vita three years ago, one Vita two years ago, and I just bought them for $100 from people locally. 
and one came with a 32, and one came with a 16. So that did that did just fine for a couple of years, and then I was like, no, I bought way too much on the PSN store, you know, at a dollar and two dollars and three dollars here and there over the course of two or three years. See, I bought my first Vita when the Slim came out, and it was that one Borderlands bundle. Um, got, got that as kind of a birthday present for myself because um, I, I really wanted a Vita at that point. And then my se- my second hacked one, I ended up getting used and bought like an old LED one or OLED one. Which the yeah, problem that's what there, I have hacked. The problem there is trying to find the damn right right cable for it. Mm. Um, you can get the third-party ones okay, but whether or not it's going to like be USB compatible is another story. But luckily, when it comes to hacked Vita, you can just uh, set up your Vita like an FT server to transfer stuff, which is nice. Uh, let's think. I don't think I've played anything else recently, but... My father, for whatever reason, wanted to see Call of the Wild for his birthday. Everyone else liked it. I didn't. Because I could clearly tell that those were Digi-Dogs. Digi-Dogs are not real dogs. What? I know. You may have, in fact, noticed that this is a Digi-Dog during such moments as... <laughs> he pushed the lady out of the pup tent so that he could sleep in there instead. Just like a real dog would do. Real dogs push people out of tents instead of just climbing in and sleeping between people, right? <laughs> or when poor Harrison Ford is drinking, Buck knocks over his drinking glass and then picks up that bottle and takes it out and buries it in the snow. Just like a real dog. Real dogs are very concerned about their owner's drinking habits. Well, they I, should be. I do they, not understand why this movie chose to use a 100% digital dog instead of using both. The best explanation I've heard is that by doing by motion capturing a Cirque du Soleil performer and turning him into a dog, you can completely control what the dog does on screen. Which also you can get wonderful moments like Buck spotting another dog stuck on a log that's in the middle of a stream. So, like all smart dogs do, he uses centrifugal force to push on the other end of the log and swing that dog out of the river. Just like I see dogs do all the time. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, sure, of that course. Is, that's what, that makes that's what mine does. <laughs> And we can have cute little moments like him almost getting caught in a bear trap. But you don't need to worry because he's a digi dog and that's a digi bear trap. Uh, Even beyond that, I was actually falling asleep towards the end because I was kind of bored. I was not interested (laughs) because I didn't care about the digital dogs. (laughs) <laughs> I see, and I'm not a hundred percent anti CG person. I like CG where it makes sense, like for example, the Sonic movie, where that character is impossible to make without the CG. But in, well, the, in the case of the Cole picture the Wild, you just shared, Kelly, look. If you look closely, you can tell there's something not quite right. That doesn't quite look like a real dog. Yeah. See, Sonic the Hedgehog, there is no real Sonic the Hedgehog. If you use an actual hedgehog, no one would recognize it because he barely resembles his, his namesake. <laughs> but 
I know what real dogs look like. I've been around real dogs. Most people have. Most people can tell what a real dog looks like and how a digital dog does not look like a real dog. <laughs> these dogs, these these digi dogs even do human things like, aw, look at the facial expressions they're making. They're, they're just like people. Well, the thing about a dog is... I like dogs because they're dogs, not mm -hmm. because they can act like Then I get weirded out. <laughs> Just like if cats started to act entirely like people instead of like cats, that would not be right. That would look weird. <laughs> and it would bug me because, you know, a wonderful movie like Short Circuit, if it was made now, that robot would be all CG and it would just take away all of the charm. And that's what I feel like about this movie. There have been a lot of versions of Call of the Wild. I don't think any of them have really done it great because it, you know, it's a it's a book from the perspective of a dog. That's inherently mm -hmm. hard to do in film, and this is another one that doesn't really do it great. Oh, but don't you worry because there's a human villain. That's what we needed in Call of the Wild. Let's have a villain, and you know he's a villain because he wants to whip those dogs when they don't immediately make the sled go up in the mud. As the snow is melting, because he also considering that this is the Yukon, and when things melt in the Yukon, nobody goes anywhere fast. Mm -hmm. uh, Harrison Ford was really good. I want to. I want to say that. Oh, he didn't sleep throughout the entire performance, like he clearly does in other movies when he's not no, th interested. This time, he actually appears to have been interested. Okay. In a digital dog that, uh, yeah, I, I'm. Oh, that's right. An even better moment of the digi dog. You know all those times when real dogs stare down grizzly bears. Sure. As we all know, grizzly bears easily concede ground when you're coming up on them and trying to use their territory. That's just what grizzlies do. They're no. Jovers, <laughs> but it's e it's much easier to stare down a grizzly if it's digital, and if you're a digital dog, <laughs> the pixels can do whatever you want the graphic artist to make them do. I'm glad I skipped out on this movie. I was curious about it, but it it just sounds terrible, and it just makes me want to. Yeah, I. I mean, I can pick it apart from other aspects, like, why the hell do we have a dog that destroys the big spread near the beginning, providing a rationale for him to be in the doghouse and thus nabbed by the, the dog snatchers who take dogs up to Alaska, but then he will not immediately take a treat that somebody offers him? I've been around dogs. Dogs will usually, if you offer them a treat, immediately, because that's what dogs do. <laughs> But really, I once it becomes obvious that you are not watching a real dog, that there are no stakes because everything, all of these dogs are digital, then it was kind of boring for me. <laughs> that's that's why I started to fall asleep toward the end. <clears throat> I mean, who knows? Maybe PETA got to them or something and just pressured them to not use real dogs. I don't buy it. It. 
PETA has been on thousands of sets at this point checking. It's not hard to get a PETA approval. All you have to do is not be oh. evil to your animals. I mean, it's, it's actually the Humane Society that does the checks, and, the, and they're not quite as militant about about that kind of stuff as PETA. It's just, for years, PETA has been trying, like, screaming at Hollywood to not use real uh, animal actors anymore, even though, you know, those animal actors are probably treated better than some of the people on set. Yeah, because those animal actors have to be trained. You don't just pick up a random bear and put it on the set. You put a trained bear into which a lot of time has gone that people care about, especially the people who have been training it. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I guess if PETA is made super happy because, oh, we don't have to worry about real animals being harmed because there are no real animals here, therefore no reason to care when this story is about animals. What a, what a wonderful world we have entered now. <laughs> night, Matt. Good night, Matt. Good night, everyone. I was going to share one more thing here. I wonder if it's become cheaper to do the animation than to actually hire the dogs and to go through all that nowadays. <laughs> I am not sure. It's, it probably depends upon where you're doing the animation, but still, mm. especially if you're putting out a move, if you're making a movie on a low budget, then it's probably simpler to just grab. Hey, hey, Bill, here's your dog. Your dog's <laughs> not doing anything. Uh, can I put it on camera as I throw some balls and it fetches? Sure. I I can't imagine that that is more expensive than a digi dog. No, I can't yeah. imagine that. You got me there. The real entertainment will be if this hit comes out on Blu-ray, and if you can see a cut of the movie that just has the green screen with Harrison Ford and this guy in a frog suit pretending to be a dog, <laughs> and Harrison Ford pretending this guy is a dog, and the hilarity that will ensue from watching sets. We do not yet know, but at least we no longer have to wait so long for video as we did in the Dark Ages. Oh, God. And and when video, video was so expensive. <laughs> Remember when it took two years for things to come out on VHS and they cost $30 when they finally did? No wonder rentals were popular. <laughs> I mean, I remember when that crap was like 80 bucks. I mean, it might have been, but as a kid, I just didn't tune in because I knew it was always cheaper to rent it and – my parents would only grant, would actually buy me things if they knew that I was going to watch it more than once, and they could I mean, barely guarantee that, except for the Godzilla movie. <laughs> I mean, my my father refused to buy me any store bought VHS tapes. I mean, he would always just like <laughs> we had two. We was like one of the few people on the block that had two VCRs, so we would usually rent stuff and just copy it, which you know you're not supposed to do, and was perfectly illegal. But statute of limitations, this was the '80s, but. I didn't. Yep. I think my first store bought VHS tape was uh, Lion King in 1992, and I had to like beg Dad to even let me buy that with my allowance because he was just like, "Yo, just wait till it comes to the Disney Channel, and then you can tape it." Like, no, I really wait, want this wait, movie. Wait. It's got to have been from 94 or 95 because Lion King wasn't out until 94. What did I say? 92. Yeah, that's my bad. I I get the dates wrong. I, I'm or maybe, so old. Maybe, or maybe you were thinking about Aladdin because that came out in '92. Yeah, that that was the first one. I'm sorry, you're right. It was Aladdin, which I think we did buy, and I did watch that multiple times because I loved that as a kid. Oh, me too. But yeah, that was that was a that was a fight to let him 
get him to let me spend my own money on a VHS tape. But <laughs> that uh that those VHS tapes were very well watched, I'll put it that way. Fair enough. I watched my Godzilla I think I had five Godzilla movies on VHS that I watched many times because it was Godzilla. Uh People would tape things with dinosaurs off the TV for me because they knew that I loved dinosaurs, even if it was a crappy movie. (laughs) I had a huge taped VHS collection, and I wish I still had it because if if I could pull some of those old commercials off of that, I I could like put them on YouTube and monetize and be rich. But unfortunately, I had to I had to throw out all those VHS because I was like, I'm I'm never going to watch these again. I think, A, I threw them out, and B, most of the stuff that I taped for myself, I was usually watching at the time, and I would run up there and pause it when the commercials came on, because that would get me more room to tape things. Yeah, I had all kinds of weird stuff taped, like uh, the first run of the Ninja Turtles cartoon, and the Teddy Ruxpin cartoon, and all of that stuff. I didn't never even saw the Teddy Ruxpin cartoon. Uh, yeah, Rexman, it, it, and then my cousin broke it, so I yeah. barely remember it. That, that was like a surprisingly deep lore show for a kid's show. It kind of like cemented how much I love fantasy stuff, just how crazy the world building in that show was. Uh, let's see. Otherwise, um, oh, yeah, I just watched the new Invisible Man. Elizabeth Moss is really good. I heard that that one's supposed to be pretty creepy, especially since it's dealing with like heavy topics. It doesn't go as far into them as it could have, probably because if it did, then it would turn into some kind of a an actual meaningful drama, which, well, people people don't like that. But it does tiptoe a little around the fact that she's escaping an abusive relationship and is terrified of the guy because, well, what little you see of him in the beginning is enough to yeah, this guy is dangerous. <laughs> I... I think that the, the conclusion, or the last half hour or so, isn't as strong, mainly because it involves the idea that there's a prison facility in which no cameras seem to be operating, thus none of the evidence that we see and that multiple police officers see as they are being taken down would be common knowledge. But I want to give it credit for being pretty effective and elizabeth moss is quite good in it she she is unquestionably the lead she's in every scene and she's good uh what else do i want to say anything else oh hey borderlands 3 is almost out on steam because i didn't buy it on epic game store what are you talking about Borderlands 3 is finally coming oh, to Steam. Okay, all right. There you go. I I mean, I could have bought it off Epic if I really wanted to, but I didn't really want to. Fair enough. Also, I've never played Fortnite, and I don't want to. <laughs> I will tell you, like, so I, I, I will never criticize somebody who says to me they, they don't want to deal with Epic Games because I was the naysayer for, like, the longest, and I'm not their hugest fan. However, I do have it installed and running it. One of the reasons why is I was doing the, um, uh, what's that game called? The Dauntless for our write-up at RP Gamer. And the second reason is all of the freaking free games they keep throwing at us right now. There's Ando 9-2, Return to Dust. 
um, which is, if I recall correctly, an RPG, um, like a two D, like an action RPG dealy, and that's free. free. And they keep throwing free games out there. They actually got three free games going on right now. The other two I haven't heard of: a short hike and Muta Zeon. But there's been some really good free games on there, and there's been some really good discounts on there. To the point that apparently they don't communicate some of these with publishers and whatnot, piss them all off. Yeah, you'd but, think publishers would want to know if their games are going to be discounted, but I, Epic Games' communications seem to be sorely lacking. <laughs> right? But as a customer who's always looking to get games at a discounted price, I'm kind of like, okay. Um, I'm like one of those people that will occasionally complain about Walmart, and yet I still shop there because they got the lowest prices. So, uh, But I totally get it if someone says that they, they, they don't. Uh, I totally get it. Look, if it had been my job to play it using Epic Games, then I would have, but I didn't. Do we even have a review? I never checked. Of uh, Borderlands 3? Yeah. Well, let my fingers do the walking and find out if we have that on our site. Please, uh, please uh, ignore that uh, typing here. Borderlands 3. Uh, Borderlands 3, Borderlands 3. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Doesn't look like it. You might be the first one to get it knocked out. Uh, mm. I'm not seeing one. Yep, no reviews yet for this game. I wasn't the only one avoiding the Epic Game Store then. Mm -mm. Unless we didn't get a code, which is quite possible. I've, I have no idea how generous 2K Games was with the codes for it. I only started using it... I only start using it like, like a few months ago. Whenever I did that or that Dauntless write up, wasn't that long ago. So, yeah, and I haven't rushed out to get Border Three. I'm too busy, anyways. Same here. Oh, since it's half off right now, I'll probably get it, but I may not play it for a while because when I played the other Borderlands games, I had waited long enough for all the DLC to be out, and I, I like to do that with my games. I don't like to come back to the months later after this new content has come out because I've forgotten what the hell I was doing and how to do it. Yeah, and they had like one of the sales they had during like the Christmas season is is if you bought a game, you get it like they had discounts across that were on levels with Steams. But when you bought a game at the discounted price, as long as it was like above a certain amount – you would get a $10 coupon on your next purchase. Nothing stopping you from applying that $10 coupon on another game that was already on a Christmas sale Steam-like discount. So I was picking up, like, some of these games literally for $5, $3, whatever it was. Um, yeah, it was pretty, you know, you talk about cutthroat. Um, yeah, it, it was it was pretty big. You know, I feel like we haven't talked too much about the... Downloadable content practices of Koei Tecmo in this episode on Muso games. Probably because the games we talked about weren't terribly egregious. But there are a few Koei Tecmo Koei games that I think qualify as egregious in their downloadable content demands. Would you, I, I, would you agree with that? I've yeah, only heard they are fans of their DLC. That's that's for sure. I, I've only um, heard Jim Sterling gripe about this. <laughs> well, I don't know how many people out there who actually comment on the games rather than just keep finessing their approach to Dead or Alive 6, other than him. 
would be complaining about the what was Jim Sterling's video? One thousand nine hundred seventy-six dollars of downloadable content for Dead or Alive Six. There's one thing you need to understand about you know if you're a creator like Koei Tecmo and you start making uh, these these DLCs, they're like Pringles. Once you pop, the fun don't stop. I'm surprised I haven't seen that as an official slogan anywhere. You know, I know, right? It seems kind of catchy. Uh, someone can have that for free. But uh, yeah, you know, it's just, it is funny. I've seen them before and I pretty much just kind of ignore them. I've always played those games and I've really not given up a, a whole lot of thought. Uh, what is funny is they engage in all of the kind. So the in the old days, the shenanigans might be to release an expansion that isn't truly what we would consider expand expanding the content, but rather it's it's just adding a few things. Um, and it's called an expansion and expansion price. A good example, a modern day example, would be uh, that's very um, in tune with what we were talking about is Warriors Orochi 4 Ultimate. So we had Warriors Orochi 4 came out. It was a really good game. I really enjoyed it. I, I mentioned it. I can't remember if I mentioned it back on the main event, um, but I was talking with somebody in our chat channel. I would put it up there as one of the most fun Muso games right next to like Hyrule Warriors. But this Ultimate Edition, it just, it adds a few more characters. Understand, it's already got 170 characters. So when you add six more, it's like, eh. Um, hey, that sounds like about a 2.5% increase. Yeah, yeah, a 2.5% increase. It adds a new game mode that is also kind of, eh. Like the in-game mode in Zelda is much more robust. Uh, this one is just kind of like throwing some stuff together and calling it an in-game mode. Um, it's got, you know, some cosmetic upgrades. The menu system looks a bit better. It's like a facelift. Honestly, when you look at there's like three or four major changes. And two of them feel like they should have just been like, um, like updates to the game. Right? And the other two felt like they could be cheap DLCs. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like... And they're going to charge you... Like $50 if you're buying this game brand new. And if you're buying it as DLC because you already own the base game, I think it's somewhere in the realm of like 30 or 40 bucks. And and this is shenanigans, man. These guys, aside from like the annual Madden-like releases of like Dynasty Warriors and stuff. It, yeah, no, trust me. It's a lot of shenanigans. And, um, and yet I do pick and choose my shenanigans, but I probably spend too much on it because it is a fun formula that I really enjoy. Sometimes you just have to play shenanigans. I'm like, I, you know, like, it's funny. I, I will sometimes point out to people who, pl who who buy every year of Madden. I'm like, you're just getting a roster update. They actually didn't upgrade the game. Like, they just updated the roster and released it as a $60 game. And then I'll go and I'll buy Dynasty Warriors 8. Um, <laughs> so after seven, owning 7 Ultimate. Uh, but yeah. did you buy Dynasty Warriors 9? No, no, no one should ever buy Dynasty Warriors 9. I have at least learned enough wisdom and restraint to look at reviews of those games before they come out. And oh boy, am I glad I ever with Dynasty Warriors 9. Come on, Phil. I watched Jim Sterling's videos on those. It sounded like the changes they made were definitely for the better. Doesn't it sound fun to be able to just rush over to the boss and kill him and end the level immediately? Well, like, if by better, you mean driving you closer to insanity. So so at some point, somebody there at Koei Tecmo went, okay, we've got, we've been doing this Dynasty Warriors for a while. We, we need to do, we need to mix up the formula a little bit. You know, open world. Everyone loves open world. 
let's integrate some of that into our game. And everybody around them was like, yeah, that sounds exciting. And they were all so excited that they, that they, that they, they could, like, can we pull this off? I think we can pull this off. And they were all so excited they could, no one stopped to ask if they should. Because unfortunately, when you think about the, 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 the design of Dynasty Warriors games, moving them wholesale to an open world experience doesn't really work. Now we talked earlier about how with Dragon Quest Heroes, how uh, there is some open world today as you go from one place to another, but that's not really the central focus. It's just the way you get from one mission to the next. But in this game, Dynasty Warriors 9, they kind of made it a real central focus and they didn't even do a great job of it. Uh, it's not their cup of tea. And it just, it's horrible. That's aside from the fact like that the open world elements are bad enough. But yeah, when you get into the combat and you're used to having these closed spaces with rooms that you got to take over, that's no longer really a thing. You just kind of go up to the boss and beat him up instead of working your way through the rooms. That's a problem. And but then wait, you combine wait. that. Isn't, isn't the wide open space good? Because now you can just run around and there's really nothing to do because the enemies are also scattered around and not concentrated anywhere isn't that better right because i mean you don't play you don't play a muso game to destroy groups of enemies that are all clustered together you want those guys spread out one or two at a time you know it's funny we did it you know that that actually brings up a bit of a memory about uh, zelda hyrule warriors every once in a while you will get into one of those enemy keeps where for whatever gosh darn ai reason they've only got uh like they only give them to you like a few at a time and you're supposed to fill up this bar in order to take over a keep. You have to beat up enough of the soldier mobs that the com the keep commander appears, and once you defeat him, the keep becomes yours. So in most keeps, there's like 20 of them standing around at a time. You wipe them out. Let's say you got to kill 100, so five waves of them, and you're done, and they go pretty quick. But when you're only getting them five at a time, now you got 20 waves to deal with, and it's so painfully slow. And you're just trying to get onto the next objective because this game is all about go go go. Um, it gets frustrating. So in open world experience where you only come across one or two or three at a time, man, boy, that just sounds super exciting. I think you're missing the point, Phil. It's all about the value for money, clearly, because you're getting more playtime, right? You know, and what's really hilarious here is the way that they, you know, with these games is the way they get more, more playtime is they have you do the same maps over and over and over again. Sometimes with some variation, and 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 you would think that gets repetitive, and at times it does. Eventually, you do get the Dynasty Warriors burnout, but making it open world is not how you solve that problem. It's just not. Anyway, now that we've tied back into the main event of tonight, uh, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much done. So you're up, Phil. Yeah, you know, I mean, just using that kind of a segue, I mean, obviously on the main event, we focused on Muso games that have an IP tie-in with, uh, with, with, with well-known RPG um, IPs. But uh, yeah, I definitely do enjoy like Dynasty Warriors 8 Ultimate, uh, Warriors Orochi 4. I probably will end up picking up the Ultimate DLC or whatever it is just because I, I like the game so much that even uh, I'm terrible. I'm an addict. Um, so I would recommend that one. Samurai Chronicles 4. And what's uh, what's interesting is a little bit different on the Vita versus the PlayStation, but I kind of both. Um, it plays great on both of them. Um and then you got like some of the empires games. I got Dynasty Warriors. Is it eight empires? 
And and that's where, as I mentioned before, that's where you're kind of like running a kingdom in a in a turn based, almost like a turn based board game. Um, you're moving resources around and troops around, but then when it comes time for a fight because you're trying to take over land or somebody's attacking you, then it turns into the Muso game. So that's pretty cool. Now, your mileage is going to vary on that because if you're going to like that Empire's game, the combat doesn't feel as smooth and sleek as Hyrule Warriors or Warriors Orochi 4. Those are the two games that have the sleekest combat. But I like playing even the older games, even though the combat's kind of clunky because uh, I just like playing these Muso games in all their different variations. Um, I just think it's neat. Going back to our, our complaints about Dynasty Warriors 9, one of the other Fupas is it's very much a, uh, kind of what you get with Fire Emblem. And for whatever reason, in Dynasty Warriors 9, typically those Dynasty Warriors games has five or six, you know, dozen characters, and they each feel unique because they each have different a different weapon to work with. So they'll have different combos, and the, the, the they'll, they'll pull them off with different flourishes and the such. Well, for whatever reason, at Dynasty Warriors 9, everyone gets generic weapons. There's like, I don't know, eight weapons? Kind of generic, spread between all the characters. So I'm not as good as with the names as I think it was Matt or whoever was rattling them off the top of his head. Uh, but but I know might like... Have been, it, might have been Nathan. I can't remember. Nathan. Oh, yeah. He's really good with the names. Uh, but like one of them who normally would fight with a fan and another one who fights with a paintbrush right as a weapon it's really cool because they'll paint pictures and whatever have you in the older games but in this new one he gets a long sword chop 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 same combos as every other long sword user it just yeah it takes away from the variety i think that's all they, somebody will say how can you play a game where you play like the same missions over and over again maybe at a higher difficulty level where it means the enemies just get some more hit points how do you do that well one of the reasons why it's fresh is because a lot of times i'll just take different warriors when i go into those fights um, and they play differently. So you definitely feel that with Hyrule Warriors, though. Um, boy, I was playing some more of that uh, yesterday just to get ready for this podcast, and it was so good. So, yeah. If you, if any of you listening to this ever have any questions uh, about any of the Muso games, join points in the right direction, uh, yeah, shoot me off a, a message. I have played probably 70, 75% of them. And there's a lot uh, because, boy, there's there's some in the different IPs like uh, Japanese anime, manga IPs. Uh, there's Aslan Warriors on the PlayStation 4 based on the Aslan comic, manga, whatever the hell it's called. And I I got it on sale. I haven't sat down and played it yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's so many that are out there. Anywho, on other subjects, um, yeah, I, I've been playing uh, a game. And I don't know if you would consider this an old game, RPG backtrack type of game, or a brand new game, because it's a game that's constantly updated. I've been playing Warcraft. Dun, dun, dun. World of Warcraft! Oh my gosh, I'm so addicted again. Um, it is really funny. So, yeah, World of Warcraft, what? That's been out for, what, 15 years? Yeah. Feel like it's 15. Uh, yeah, this year was just, um, or rather, this last November was the 15th anniversary. Yeah. I had played Legion for a while. I did a lot of the weapon thingies, but I felt like, because uh, the cool thing about Legion is you have those legendary weapons that each had their own story. Mm-hmm. And I played a few of those on characters that I had leveled up at that point. But then after afterwards, you have like this artifact power grind and other in-game stuff that normally doesn't interest me. So after playing it for a couple of months, I, you know, I bowed out. And then, you know, Battle for, you know, eventually there were 7, 1, 2, 3, 7.3 I didn't pay attention to. Battle for Azeroth came out. Everyone kind of 
was uh, not so hot on it, and so I just kind of fell underneath my radar. But now with 8.3, uh, you have these, uh, you have, uh, it's based on Nazoth, who's essentially Cthulhu, and you go into these randomized uh, dungeons. And randomized in the, in the sense that you're going into Agrimar, a dark version of Agrimar or Stormwind, which are pretty much set up the same way each time. But the monsters, their powers, and the, the different things affecting the land around you, there's a, usually a global buff or debuff at play or two. Um, those kind of differ with each run that you do. Uh, and you can do these solo, or you can take one other person with you, or three other people with you. It, it'll scale. Uh, but it, I'm like, oh my gosh, they they put uh, what was those commercials where they put peanut butter in my sandwich or something? They put roguelike in my MMO. Now I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. So um, you ever hear those commercials too that are like, you know, come in for the, you know, come in for the hospitality, stay for the food. I felt like I got into this 8.3 stuff for the uh, for the roguelike elements because I love roguelike and I just want to see what that's like in the context of a MMO. Um, but I'm staying for all of the other stuff that people keep pointing out to me, like the the transmog collecting and the mount collecting and the race unlocking and things that I don't know. Before I know that there was some of that in early Legion. But there's more of it now, and it's more easily accessible than ever because of all the quality of life improvements they've done. And while it's not as alt-friendly as it sh- as it probably could be, the 8.3 well is a lot more alt-friendly, in my opinion, than than Legion 7.0. And and so uh, I've been enjoying playing. I love playing alts. Whoops, sorry about the noise there. I just knocked something over. Uh, but I love playing the alts, and I love... Uh, doing different things and the campaign storylines especially on the alliance side i have found very cool flynn is awesome isn't isn't he mm-hmm. Miss kelly he is so funny he, he's so funny he makes me almost want to be a perma alliance yeah right he is he is he is hilarious uh yeah no my name is horde uh like uh, miss kelly here uh, i have an undead warlock but i also have uh what is it uh janai mage and i want to unlock the void elves but to do not like the Void Elves, you gotta spend a lot of time grinding some rep with Argus and Reach, which is 7.3 content. And even though my mage is into Battle for Azeroth, it's level 115, which is five levels above what you would normally be at in 7.3. Apparently, because of the way scaling and everything works, um, that character still feels underwhelming when compared with certain elites and rares that'll kick my butt. So. I, I, that kind of pushed me to go back into BFA and do some of the Alliance quest lines to start leveling up. And yeah, it's pretty cool. I do like the, the whole storyline with um, Jaina. And just it caused me to go back and do some research. Um, so. Yeah, J- J- the Alliance side is great. I didn't really care for the Horde side story very much because it was just troll stuff. And what? Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me... That cannibalistic troll storylines are not your cup of tea? It was boring and stupid, and the Jaina storyline had much more stakes and kind of had much... You know, if you've been invested in the lore for forever like I have, it definitely um, tied up some loose ends and had some stuff to make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool, and uh, I'm not even that much into the lore and just the way they set it up. You know, you definitely felt like, I don't know much about Jaina at all. She looks like an Elsa ripoff to me. Um, but it, it, I'm sure she came before Elsa. Jaina's been around longer. Did she have the hair streak before Elsa or after Elsa? 
Um, hair streak came around Cataclysm, so I'm not before sure. Before Elsa, I think that's before. Anyway, I'm just <laughs> totally relevant. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know a thing about Jada, but they do a good job kind of setting the stage and making you uh, go, ah, "Gosh, I want to know more about her and what's some of the history that leads to all this tension between." you know her and her her mother as she basically in a way comes back home so it's pretty cool uh, i like it um and just been farting around with other games uh getting ready for this podcast i spent some time with some more muso games getting back and refamiliarizing and stuff but not a whole lot outside of that i will point out as i like to often do during my turn uh that gog is always doing something with old role-playing games. And lately, they've been resurrecting a lot of the Warhammer 40,000 games. They obviously secured some rights to those. They got, like, the Rights of War games from the 90s, uh, Shadow of the Horned Rats from 1995, going up to Man of War Cosair from 2017. But they've, they've, they got a whole smorgasbord, Warhammer 40,000 from 2018. But they got a whole smorgasbord... Um, of these Warhammer games. So if you're into Warhammer RPGs and those games have been hard, some of them, some of them have been more hard to find than others uh, in the past. You might want to check out the, the new library uh, that they have on, on their website there. Uh, that's pretty, I thought that was pretty interesting. I'm not a Warhammer fan. It's not necessarily my cup of tea, but if you're into Warhammer, I think this would be really super awesome because they, they managed to secure the rights to, some of these games that are over two decades old. So like, ooh, I'm going to bring that up on a podcast. Uh, that includes Mordheim City of the Damned, which if you're a fan of Valkyria Chronicles, that game actually kind of uh, borrows from that style. And if you're going to imitate somebody, that's a good game to emulate. So you might want to check that out. And it's actually pretty pretty on the affordable side. It's got a few shortcomings from what I understand, uh, but it's also a pretty solid uh, game as well. So... Might want to check it. I know you guys are all rushing to. I mean, right I now. do. I am interested in the Warhammer stuff slash story because it has neat lore, but that's also like a time in. <laughs> well, you know, and I, if you're doing like the the tabletop, right? It is a huge money sink. Uh, I just I, I I love playing tabletop RPGs, and I have friends who are Warhammer, and every time I sit around and talk with them about it, I'm like, how how much money did you spend on all of this? Um. But that cool, I would always say with all the complex rules that are involved and the money you have to spend, I was always like, this shit, this would be so much better as a computer game. Well, lo and behold, you got a whole bunch of these on GOG and they're pretty affordable because they're GOG games um, for the most part. So, yeah, there is a bunch of, speaking of DLC, though, some of these have quite a few DLC, not going to lie. Um, so, yeah, if you're into it, go and go and check it out. There's There is a lot there. Just looking through it. It's kind of a little overwhelming. Uh, but that's it. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, as a reminder, of course, uh, this is a RPG Backtrack. It's a production of RPGamer.com, your source for reviews, impressions, and editorials, and everything about role-playing games, both on the computer and console. Uh, go and check out all of the articles we mentioned and so much more over at rpgamer.com as well as our other podcasts that we have, the RPG Cast, the Q&A Quest, the Active Topical Banter, and The Hunt are all available. Of course, you can also find them in any podcast capture or uh, Apple uh, podcast app. And uh, hit us up on Twitter at rpgamer, Matt JC Servant, Mr. Mickey's at Jew Mason, and uh, Miss, uh, Miss Kelly, what are you? I am Red Rock 963 yeah 963 is anybody else still left on the call 
Nope. Just us. Okay, so that's it. That's all the handles you guys get. Uh, but feel free to, to hit us up, and we'll be happy to read your comments, respond to you. Hit a, come join us on our Discord channel, where we're constantly talking about uh, the, the video game market and RPGs day in, day out. It's a lot of fun. The community over there is a lot of fun. And if you're in a World of Warcraft, uh, we've been starting to hang out on there for all of our voice chat while we're playing. So feel free to come in and join us and just jump in and, and maybe we can get a group going. Because World of Warcraft lets you have cross-server groups. Woohoo! Does Final Fantasy let you do that yet, Kelly? I'm not sure. I very rarely group. I'm, mm. I'm in the same guild as most of the RP Gamer crew, but I mostly play solo and that. That's fair. I play a lot of solo. All right. Well, the, Mr. Minky, you got something to put us to bed with? I was going to say that even if you play our podcasts at 2.5 times speed, people do in order to get through them faster, you are not going to be able to knock them down the way that you can do in a Musou game. There are just too many of them. Sorry. 